Hello folks, Josh here. This is the second part of my look back with Donovan Grant at San Diego Comic Con 2018. We had so much audio that we had to split this up into two parts. So if you want to hear what we did on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, go to the TVU special feed and listen to part one. In the meantime, let's get into part two. Uh, hi everybody. Uh, hi. And hit it! Can I borrow a feeling? Could you lend me a jar of love? Hurting hearts need some healing. Take my hand with your glove of love. How about it, Luann? Will you marry me? Again? Oh, no. Oh. Saturday was like Saturday's the last few years because like there's more and more superhero shows on TV now and I've trying to been and I've been kind of like going to the press rooms of more and more of them like Saturdays have kind of been like my DC TV day the last few years because like this year was freaking crazy because usually the last few years what they'll do is um, because most of the DC TV stuff is like Warner Brothers well I mean they pretty much all are Warner Brothers will kind of have, like, one room, sometimes two rooms, but, like, one or two rooms, and they'll do, like, you know, Arrow. Then they'll do a press thing for, you know, Legends, you know, Flash, Black Lightning, Goth, et cetera, et cetera, like, all in a row. This year, so many of them overlapped, and um, I wanted to do as many of them as I can without having the new Gotham, which was which was depressing. I really wanted to do a Gotham press thing this year. Um <laughs> It wasn't as hard to juggle them as it would have been, but, like, that was nuts. But before I get into the gauntlet that was, like, making it to all of these press rooms that were some of them going on at the same time, Donovan, I hate, <laughs> to, make, I hate to make you relive this. I really do. But, like, you know, let, 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 let's give the listeners a sense of, like, the Comic-Con press room experiences. Talk about your Saturday morning. All right, so I would since um, twenty fifteen, actually, like like, like post Comic Con twenty fifteen, because I remember this. I got this after Comic Con. I've been a gigantic Steven Universe fan. I don't really watch a lot of cartoons for children these days, but um, I got into that show hardcore. That's that's my favorite show right now. Um, and for the last two years, like Josh has been very helpful in me getting press credentials to. To, like, like the information to be able to get into the press events. So in 2016, I was able to get into both the panel and the press event, and I was able to interview the creator and the voice actors of the Crystal Gems. And like 2016, I mean, I feel bad because I know Stella had a hard year that year, but that was actually one of my best years because I because, partly because of that. Last year, the panel was so insane that like I was no, I was not able to get into that, and I waited like over an hour. But the press event was right after, and that I actually had credit credit for. This year, I went to the, the same channels. I was in contact with, with the the press manager. I got I, I got I, I got the email saying this is how you uh, so I get it for the press event. I sent my credentials in. I said I've done this two years in a row. I just kind of want to go back there again. And usually, you're given an, a confirmation email saying that you're booked into the press event. And I never got a confirmation email. And they said, you know, if you don't get that email, then we can't accommodate you. 
And I was really upset because I, nothing that I did was different than the previous two years. So Saturday we, – we, And we were like uh, – call. oh, wait. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Keep going. I got ahead of myself. Well, I mean, I, I mean, like uh, Saturday, I, I was just figuring out if there's any last minute way I could pull this off. Um, and you were with me. You were riding with me, just trying to find ways to do it. Like you trying to. We find... didn't even know where it was. Like, like, and I was like, yeah. honestly, I was like, honestly, Donovan, you have the email. Let, just show up. Like, like, what are they gonna do? Like, because my system with these press rooms is, if I show up and they say, well, you're not on the list, I'd say I'd like to be waitlisted, and I've gone into some rooms that way. The thing is, and this is what, what really intimidated me, is that because this show's gotten bigger and bigger since. Like the first year, it was in a gigantic room in like the Hilton, but like I was able to walk in about like maybe forty-five minutes before the panel and, like, and get a seat. Last year, it was like it was insane. Like I, I, I flat out failed to get in the panel, and then this year, it's the same thing. Like I, I could not get in the panel; it's just too big. The show's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. So I was under the assumption that like the security is much tighter for this. And I, I thought. Well, I have a, the email. They could have been like, well, anybody could get that. And ultimately, there was a security team that, that, that barred me from getting it past a certain point to get into the room because I did not know the room number. Um, we tried finding out the person's – how did we find her number, the, the press agent's number? It's in the email. Okay, it's in the email. So we, we texted that person and saying, we don't know the room, and she said – like the room, it's like, it like, like kind of like the room category, but not the number, or the precise letter. And I was hesitant to press too much because I, I, I didn't want to come off as though I was being untoward or trying to like sneak my way into it, even though by all rights I should have had this information already. Um, so basically, and apparently, he, like we la- we later found out that this wasn't Donovan's fault. He wasn't rejected. It was like someone else's mistake. Well, that's what I was about to say. Is that like I go I go downstairs. I try to get into the thing. I know I go to security. Like I know this is in Indigo or whichever it was. First, okay, which door? And I'm like, and I and I is it, is it, is it A or B? And I completely roll the dice. I'm like, um, A. And the guy was like, you got to know exactly what it is. And I was like, I was like, all right. I I just by that point I was like, I can't lie. I don't know. I, I have nothing else in, in, in my utility belt. Um, I, I mope outside to look at the line, and I, I see that how impossible the line is to in the panel. So I got shut out of both the press event and the panel, and I was pretty well because because I, I did not know. I What I really resented was the whole going through the channels and doing the whole press thing and, and doing everything right. And just, just, oh, well, you're not good enough to be in this for whatever reason. You, that was the feeling I got. You're just, for whatever reason, you're not getting into this, no matter what. And I hated that. I absolutely And I kind of vowed, no matter what, next year, I'm going to have so much cred that, like, I will never be refused again. So that was really in my head for a while. It wasn't until after I got through the BTAS Blu-ray panel that I met up with some guys who, who were, we were talking, and they said, oh, yeah, um, because I think he had a CB Universe shirt. He was at, you know, he was at the CB Universe press event. And he told me, dude, no one got a confirmation email. Not a single person. We realized that because a lot of us were at the Adventure Time press event. No one got confirmation emails. So we had to kind of come together and, like, figure that out on our own. And I was thinking, I think you and I were saying that, like, if I had known somebody heading that way and just found them and found out where to go, I would have been able to got, got in. If I pushed this a little bit more, I would have been able to got in. But, like... I did, but the, the best, I, I did feel a sense of relief that, like, I was not, listen, it wasn't 
anything to do with me personally. But at the same time, it was like this was completely pointless that I missed out on this. And it was a very, very And, and, and you tried. Like, we were walking around trying to figure out. We were, like, going to every, like, report. Before you and I split up because I went to Arrow, I was like, hey, uh, do you know where Steven Universe is? Do you know where Steven Universe is? We were, like, talking to so many people. And by the time that, like, you, like, were at the final leg of your adventure and I was an Arrow, I was at, like, the table with, like, Tatiana and, um, I think the, the girl who does the Supergirl website, you know, who was at Young Justice with us, and I was, like, reading your text, I was like, oh, no, he's giving up. They're like, tell him to do this, tell him, to, like, the whole table was, like, cheering <laughs> for you, like, like, we were like, come on, <laughs> no. That's nice. <sighs> yeah. And, 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 like, again, like, um, what I because I, I don't know because I know that you tend to like you'd be very very um, uh, aggressive in, in trying to get to the things that you get that you, you get into so like I don't, I don't oh, think it's, it's yeah. shut out of anything and, and it does help to know other press members too because if you don't know when a certain event is like like you heard me talk to the Supergirl person like I'm like oh do you know what room you know this thing is and at, and at this time like that's helped me a lot the last few years and um, I mean I call the publicist it's people who are listening who want to know about the convention experience, like this stuff is hard. Like, like, like when you see like yeah. these interviews that we have with people, it is, it is hard. Even when you're publicists will sometimes like the, the, <laughs> the down and nerdy guy, podcast guy, uh, James, who I was like to telling you guys about, you know, uh, when we were talking about death of Superman, like him and I, like we talk about publicists. We're like, yeah, some of them just ghost you sometimes. And, and we like, we said we should make a ghost list, you know, and like <laughs> which publicists ghost you and which ones don't. And, and and legitimately, these guys get busy and like they deal with a lot of people. So I don't necessarily take it personally. It's just frustrating, you know, and we're not E! Magazine or like, you know, uh, Entertainment Tonight or the New York Times. So like, you know, it's, I'm not going to be upset when like they don't necessarily get back to just, just frustrated and like. I'm frustrated when some of them like legitimately screw us over, but that that has to do with um a different you know uh, person who was not at Comic Con. I mean, I mean that was the thing too. It was just like the feeling of I would say elitism, but like kind of the whole gatekeeping sense. It's like it's like why didn't they get back to me? I I don't know why. And like and like some of it was kind of self projection. Like you know I don't know what it is, but maybe like you know because I I, I do record these interviews and, and put them online through Earth 2. Like, like, like I don't just do that just to, just to hang out. Like, I, I do provide content for it. Um, and they, 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 they've checked my work. Like, like I've provided stuff that I've done before. So, like, I did not know what disqualified me, but, but apparently it was nothing. And unfortunately, because it's like, okay, so this was just a complete lack of care and attention from the press agent. So, I mean, I really felt that, like, I want to be – Bulletproof next year. I I, I want to just be have everything. Not so much of oh, I'm a dusty road, but like I just want to have this 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 to show for myself, so they would never turn me away. Because I feel that like I've, we've been kind of coasting on our TV reputation for a while, and this year we, we had a lot of kind of turnaways. And I feel that like I don't want to feel that again because we've been doing this for almost ten years. There's no reason why we should be turned away by anybody just because we're not on a certain website. I mean, we were on good enough websites and we've done good enough work that like we're we, we've done good we've done we've been reciprocal enough to where they should know us i think and that kind of in fairness we have gotten into a lot too we have but but that, that was in my head the whole time as i was doing i, I was like i i don't want to 
feel inadequate about this again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, um, it was good that like that it was a, it was a mistake that everyone had to deal with, but at the same time it was like this, but this was still pointless, and that's not going to happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I'm I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving TBU, but like um, I've started expanding my horizons a little bit, and one of that has been um, working with um, the website Fansite, and one of the things I cover for them is the Arrowverse shows. And that hadn't been finalized when we went to Comic-Con, but, like, I was in touch with the people, so I knew that, like, I would be doing something with them. So I was trying to get into as many of those stuff as possible. Plus, you know, it's fun to be able to, like, you know, get into some of those. Um, Famously, I wasn't caught up on the shows last year, but, like, I tried to get into all those rooms last year anyway because uh, it was Ben's birthday, and, like he's obsessed with those shows, so I wanted to be able, like, for him to see his TV people on his birthday. But Stella was mad, because, like, even though I wasn't caught up on the shows, I was asking questions based on, like, stuff I heard to kind of, like, try and do it. And we talk about press people who, uh, don't, you know, uh, have the best manners in, in press tables. I guess, I guess I broke some of the rules by, like, asking questions about things that I should have known better to ask. So, this year, uh, um, I still wasn't caught up, but as of this recording, I am all caught up with all the shows. So I was a little more careful. I let I let more seasoned people like Tatiana, you know, like cover the stuff. That being said, I was able to get some, you know, good pieces that I'm able to use for the other sites from being at these press tables. And, you know, like I asked Kyler Lee from Supergirl about uh, the uh, <laughs> uh, the gun control thing because of that ridiculous gun control episode last year, which, like, I'm so, I, I, I am definitely, I don't want to get too political, I am definitely for sensible gun control, but Supergirl did an episode where, like, at the end of the episode, like, the military is, like, who fights aliens is, like, we will no longer use, like, lethal weapons, and it's, like, it's okay that you guys do it, like, you're fighting giant aliens, fighting giant aliens. like, no, one, no one's asking you to not use guns, they're just saying, like, they don't want Joe Schmo from down the street to have, like, an automatic weapon. And then, like, this is when people will write in saying, actually, automatic weapons are this, 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 it's a, whatever. So I started off the, this, the morning with Arrow, um, which was um, w- which was fun. Um, and while that was going on, I was texting Donovan about the Steven Universe. Um, uh, we had uh, the person who plays Wild Dog, the person who plays um, one of the Black Canaries, who I screwed up talking with last year, because, like, I made a joke, like, oh, man, your character died, and here you are back. And Stella told me afterwards, that's the wrong Black Canary! And, like, well, how many of them are there? And I found out that, like, the show <laughs> has had, like, a million Black Canaries, which I've never let Stella forget. And, like, she's made fun of me. Do your, do your research! Well, in fairness, like, I got the one Black Canary who never died. Like, the only one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, she was there, uh, talked to Stephen Amell, which like, there's a funny moment where I was like, oh, you went to jail and Barry Allen went to jail last year. He's like, I don't watch the flash. And I was like, wait, so Barry's not going to visit you in jail. He's like, no, we haven't spoken. I'm like, what a horrible friend. And I was like, he is a horrible friend. And I wrote an article about that for that website. And that's like the thousands biggest... of dollars later. Yeah. Like that article, like has like 10 times the amount of hits that every single other article I've ever wrote has ever gotten. Like, I kid you not. Like, I looked at, like, the traffic, and, like, there was an extra digit in that one, and I was like, I guess clickbait pays. <laughs> Who'd have known? Uh, <laughs> you know, and they talked a little bit about, like, stuff like the, the showrunner was there, and she talked about the Batwoman crossover. Uh, uh, 
it, it, it was it was a fun press session. So that's Arrow. Here's that audio. Felicity and Mr. Terrific. Before every table, we just like to say good luck and we're sorry. Yeah, that's exactly what we want to say. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Comic Con yes, 2015. How are you guys? 2015. Great. Here we how go. Are you? Good. One more year of the Obama administration. Let's enjoy it. Uh-huh, right? man, because the future is bleak. <laughs> We've been there. Future it's really bad. Back in time. <laughs> Has yeah. Barry screwed up the timeline again? Thank you, Barry. Barry He majorly screwed up this timeline. Let's Barry is just constantly trying to stay alive. And I think by fucking up the timeline, he just like, you know. Gets to dance more, which yeah. I, I kind of respect. Yeah, it's true. I would I mean, be selfish enough. If I could dance I would do it. more. Yeah. Well, we're here to talk about Oliver, so how is he screwing Copy up your that. lives this year? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man, he screwed up a couple oh. timelines, too, let's be He's honest. He's fucking relentless, oh, this guy. God, <laughs> Oliver will not stop. I like to walk around and be like, Oliver who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, you know who I am, stop playing. You know, yeah. it's very serious. Is going to be angry at Oliver? Or Lizzie has a lot of emotions, and I think they're very confusing, and anger is one of them. Mm-hmm. Also, she's extremely horny because she hasn't had sex in Yeah, months. yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I think no that's conjugal super, visits. I think that's super no confusing. conjugal visits. You know what I was thinking of? That, uh, uh, not to spoil anything, but I was like, yeah, if she goes to the prison, I mean, like, I would just have to, like, slide right in, like, sex room. Yeah. I know you had our term for it, but like at the bottom of the day, it's sex room. Yeah. And at the yeah. top of the day, it's still sex, sex room. room. Yeah, that's true. So there's not that's a lot of happened in the last five months, you know. Uh-huh. Are you both working on your business though? In the meantime? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're trying to create new type mm-hmm. of new new type of tech that can help people who haven't had their lovers for five months. You know, we're just really working on that. Can do that? We don't know. <laughs> no, you can't do that. <laughs> Yes, you can. You can do that. Uh, but, you know, we're working, working hard, trying to make something. <laughs> so for uh, Curtis, uh... <laughs> what kind of sex room is Curtis Oh, okay. So let's talk about Curtis's sex life. <laughs> but I'm down. Talks about uh, his friend what's our relationship been uh you know we're uh we mentioned this earlier but we're all taking a um i wouldn't say sobriety but it's not a celibacy oh wow oh until felicity gets to get some no one else in star city gets to get some yeah Yeah. it's like the whole city the whole city's doing it (laughs) it's like no babies are being born yeah you know except except, uh not as fun yeah Diet's hard. Diet's not fun, but not getting any is not fun, too. Oh, man, is it ever. Is it ever. <laughs> <laughs> We're experts on not getting any, so we can talk about this later. <laughs> but I went to the sex room. Yes, she did. <laughs> Curtis did not. Well, how is uh, Felicity? She's a single parent now. Is she... She might turn to her mom for any advice. Can or? you guys believe someone let me have a kid? <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking about it. It wasn't me. I didn't let you have a kid. I know, but I'm looking at you being like, fix it. I could I could fix it. I could. Children aren't problems. <laughs> They're the solution. I'm going to send some T-spheres in and just get William out of there. Fly him on out of there. <laughs> the T-spheres going to be a babysitter? Or... They could be. I mean, honestly, they can do so many different things. They have nanny cam. They can fight, you know, fight for you. Whatever. They turn into yeah. pets. They really do. Yeah, you can pet them. Experience with Zoe. Oh yeah. Stop and gotten some. Oh yeah. Curtis has gotten some. Yes. Yeah. Babysitting experience. Some baby. Oh, right. Exactly that too. That too with Zoe. Zoe. Yes. Is he gonna have any more of that, or maybe develop the dynamic? Well, uh, the sitting or the baby. Sit, sitting babies, sitting on babies. Anything. Well, he wow. loves this. First of all, I don't know what you heard. I don't know what you heard. It's a bold face lie. Curtis is not like sitting on babies. I just want to throw it out there. He never does. And he How never many will. sitted babies does it take? 
to get to the center. Yeah. Oh, Man, Arrow's going to be lit this season. On that note, I'm going to have to Okay, take bye, it. guys. Thank you. I'm apologizing for every interview. Sorry, bye. <laughs> wow, dog. To me, that's when Wild Dog's theme the entire time is redemption. Um, so personally speaking, from, from his perspective, like, what are the choices of him becoming, you know, becoming a vigilante uh, with Oliver going to prison now? Oliver gave a directive to say, hey, keep on fighting. So now we'll have to see how Renee interprets that, right? Um, uh, so... I think um, I think this entire season will be like will take us all the way back to the beginning of why each character decided to become a vigilante or not, and all the choices they've made in between that leads them to this moment here, which would be the redemption arc that we want to kind of like complete for this season. So, uh, but again, I feel like I've my character's always been living in that place. Every decision he's made is because he's felt like I didn't like where I started from, so I'm going to correct it. You know, because I'm going to change my trajectory. So uh, with this year, I feel like it may be something pivotal for, for Renee. I hope, you know, that, that uh, the writers can come up with because uh, I care about Renee. You know, I, I want to see him do good. Yeah, he had a lot of corrective moments uh, with Zoe last season, sort of like redeeming that Yes, exactly. So are you going to get to have more time with your daughter? I hope so. And I've said that last year. You know, I was like, I hope I have more time because I think that's what makes him interesting is like a character who can who has this energy right like like uh what i loved about logan with uh hugh jackman is like this 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 dark energy in in, in logan but at the same time he had this um loving energy towards a little girl you know and to me that's renee you know there's this darkness inside of him but he, he's he's a marshmallow when it comes to Zoe. You know, he wants to be there for. Her. He wants to be the dad that he that he knows he can be. Um, so that juxtaposition of always having her in his in his life um, is what makes it interesting for me to play. You know. And how do you think that your character would react if Zoe wanted to become a superhero one day? Oh man, I think he I think he would love it. Oh, he would love it. He'd be like, what? That they would share the love of guns and knives and. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be freaking awesome. I don't think awesome. that's how you do superheroing. Oh, no, I think that's that's the normal way to parent. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think about these Glock, sweetheart? You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so, the NTA. Yes. A fan sometimes call them, have developed really like close family bonds in yes. the of that separation. Yes. So, what is that like behind the scenes for you guys? Uh, I mean, personally, like... Yeah. As actors? As actors. Oh, uh, oh, it's great. I mean, you know, we love working with each other. We love spending time with each other. We respect each other. Um, you know, uh, it's just a cool energy. And, I, and for me, I haven't been on as long as the, the veterans, but they've embraced me like I have been from the beginning, you know. So that, that's been really great to just kind of, you know, come into the fold and, 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 and receive that love from them and, and to feel safe in, in the environment of creating, you know, Renee. So, yeah, it's been great. It's been good. Thank you. All right, thank you, guys. Have a great day. You too. Hey, everyone. You guys are 
awesome. I just want to. You are. Awesome. I mean, I just met you, but hopefully you still feel that way when uh, you leave yes, this table. Yes. Like, Those guys just, suck. It's very, very calming. It's much more calm than I thought. <laughs> well, will this be a calm year for you? Oh uh, no! This, maybe that's why I feel calm because everything else has been crazy. <laughs> the calm before the storm. Exactly. Well, what are you up to this year then? Um, well, you know, show running. <laughs> it's a small job. Um, no, this it's uh, it's super exciting. I'm, I can't wait for everyone to get just like a little bit of season seven because um, it's it's cool. It's really cool. So, what are the big themes this year for the show? So, the big theme for this year is redemption. Um, definitely for Oliver and all our other characters. He has because his identity was outed last season. There's definitely, you know. Uh, mixed feelings about how the people in the city felt about the Green Arrow, whether he was here or whether he wasn't. And so he has a long way to go. He's got to redeem. He's got to redeem himself. So Batwoman is coming this season. Yes. And we got a lot of Batman, well not a lot, but a few Batman references last season. Yeah. What can you tell us about how they're going to react? And if you would like to see any other Bat family members. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could tell you more, <laughs> but it's a little early for the crossover. Um, you know, we haven't even... We're still working on the beginning of the of the season, but I was so excited when I found out. I mean, it's going to be awesome. What have making the last few crossovers taught you about, you know, the process? Like, what works, what hasn't? Um, like, what lessons have you taken into making this next one? I've learned that it is crazy. <laughs> it is the most ambitious and crazy time. Um, I think, um, you know, every year is, is so fun and so different um, that I'm not sure... You know, if I've I've learned something new, I think it, I think the best part of the crossovers, personally as a writer, is that we get to work with the other writers on the other shows, and it's just they're down the hall from us, and we get to like you know learn about what's going on in their shows, and I don't know, it's 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 definitely unique. Not most shows don't have this kind of um, storytelling. So you mentioned about Oliver's in prison. How is, I mean, obviously for us, but the whole team in general, how, what, like, when you start season seven, how do we find them? Yeah, so you're going to find them, uh, everyone's kind of spread out doing their own thing. They all get along. Everyone, you know, has made up <laughs> since the end of last season. But they've all found, you know, what makes them a hero to the city that was not necessarily being on the team. Um, without their leader. So they all have kind of a different role. We're going to find them in different roles than we had before. Yeah. So, uh, who's mayor now? <laughs> I know. By the way, it's the worst position. We joke about that. We're like, that is not, we're like, that is not a, a you know, a, a very popular, yes, that's not a popular role. Um, it's the cursed. Yes, there will be a new mayor. Um, you will see. <laughs> what can you tease about Roy coming back? So excited Roy's coming back. Um, personally, because my uh, his first episode on the show I wrote, and so I feel definitely some ownership over his character. And um, he's going to come back, and again, he's going to be in a. We're going to see him in a different capacity than we're used to seeing him as well. And anything with Theo, we're going to learn why. We're going to. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to learn why. Yeah. Okay. Definitely not in a way that makes sense. Yes. No, well, I can't I can never <laughs> promise that. <laughs> and on that note, uh, we're going to end this interview. Okay, so much. Thank, thank you so much. Guys. Good luck with this. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Cool. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for reminding me. I have to keep checking. Uh -huh. still up here. You still okay. got it? Yeah. <laughs> How's your morning going? Good. All right. Yeah. Cool. So season seven, what can you tell us? 
it is within the first paragraph of reading the, the pilot episode, I my jaw was on the floor within the first paragraph. So it's really exciting. It's new. The format is new. You know, we have new writers, new showrunners, so it's a little bit different just stylistically. And I think it's going to be amazing. I have a really good feeling. I think it's going to be a great season. Yeah. She's not a Dinah. She's no longer undercover. So she doesn't have to be kind of here. I hope so. I, I really hope to see more of Dinah's background in her past, you know, through flashbacks or however we do it. Um, I have my own story that I set up for her in my head, but it's always interesting to see how that differs from what's written. Um, and it just adds so many layers to see little bits and pieces of her past, especially since she did come in later. So, yeah, I, I hope so. What's your relationship going to be like with Black Siren this mm. Um, it's... <laughs> <laughs> That's That's an indicator. Indicator. <laughs> oh my. That's it. <laughs> it's complicated, you know, it's complicated. But I do think that the death of Quentin um, gave her a little bit of empathy for, for Black Siren for sure. Would you say in general? I think so. I think especially with Oliver in prison, it's like she really wants to you know, she she's looking at things different differently. It got real. Thank when, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. <laughs> you too. Hi, Jamie. Hello. Welcome. Wow, you guys have big equipment over here. <laughs> yeah. Is this a special table with the big equipment? It is. Yeah. Well, you know. Oh, and karaoke. This is awesome. <laughs> what would you like to say? Don't go breaking my heart. I'm uh, not that. Oh. <laughs> um, that's okay. <laughs> Oh, you're the first one to uh, look at look at you. Um, so, uh, what would you like to know? I can't say. I am not. I am not allowed to say. Um, again, I think that. You'll find uh, a lot of surprises um, this season. Um, the writing is very, very intelligent. Um, our new showrunner, Beth Schwartz, has a lot of fantastic plans and on the direction to take our characters and, and how to introduce our new characters. Um, and uh, as far as our big bad or big bads, um, I I would if I said anything, I'll give it completely away. So DC Cannon or something else? Yes. <laughs> anything new you got to direct? What's that? Have you gotten to direct anything new for the season, like something you haven't done before? Oh yes. Um, <laughs> Yes, uh, in the premiere, you'll find you'll find some elements uh, with a season one feel, but um, you'll find other elements um, that uh, that are new uncharted territory that we've you know we're going places that we've never gone. The, um, that very um, involved design on your phones very distracting. Oh, sorry. Um, no, <laughs> and beautiful. Um, Tell me all your secrets. 
Uh, what I can say is, and I said this to some of the other folks over there, uh, Beth and I had a phone call with uh, BSMP, which is our, our sensors, um, a very lengthy phone call about a, a particular uh, scene and sequence that we've never had before. So we're, we're really trying to push the limits um, on the show um, in, in the gritty um, factor and what, uh, you know, we're trying to go as far as you can go um, uh, within the confines of, you know, our, our network and, and um, what's expected of, of us and what we can and can't do. We're not, uh, we're not on, on Netflix, so we'll never be able to, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, but uh, we're damn sure going to try. <laughs> so, yeah. Are they taking me away? Okay, good. They told us one question. Yeah. They told you one question? Oh, I mean, I have something Oh, the crossover. Um, I'll be directing the crossover again yeah. this year. Um, it will be episode nine, not episode eight this year. So it will also be the mid-season finale. Um, did y'all like the crossover last year? Yes. That was yeah. a steps up, and the the previous one was good, but that last one. Really, really. The previous one was our hundredth episode, also. Yeah. So, so we had a different, which I really enjoyed right. um, being on. Is, are you supposed oh, yeah. to be here? I was here. Oh, oh, you were here already. I did already. You, want me you to guys saw Beth. Yeah. yeah, please. Okay. Yeah, okay. Beth, oh. Beth needs to. <laughs> we're talking about. Uh, they have questions about the crossover this year. Oh yeah, which to which I said that it's too soon. It's too soon. <laughs> but that was minutes ago. Is it still too soon? Yeah, now that yeah. more time has passed. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, tell us about This is what I do all day long at work. Like, actors ask me a question on set. I'm like, just a second. Well, can I... Yes. Can I pitch you? It sounds like everyone's scared of me, but that is not what's happening. Yeah. Can, I, can I just pitch you the possibility of Iris and Felicity having a friendship where, you know, they can mend the fandom, anger of oh, the Oh, wow. Process. Oh, the nice. wedding. Yeah. The wedding, yeah. Just a nice scene of friendship between ladies who do not harbor ill will towards each other. Yes, yes. They are friends, actually. Yeah. And having them, the dynamic on set is, I had a lot of scenes in last year's crossover with Emily and Candace, and we just have, you know, the greatest time ever. And it's like afterwards, everybody's texting each other. Hey, do you have any pictures of when we're on set? And, you know, you know, it's, it's um, there's no ill will whatsoever. So, so the fans should know that. Yeah. You know, everybody are we're all a big family, and um, no amount of you know. Oh, this this they should hate each other. That's that's not going to change it. So, everybody's everybody loves each other. What is on the bucket list? for this crossover that you really, since you haven't started, that you really want to see? Bucket list. Crossover, I mean, we've, we've done so many things. It's hard to, you know, each year we... Every year. ...top ourselves. Um, Is that on the it's too soon list? Yeah. <laughs> it's too soon. <laughs> well, we did we have the... Idea, so we did have the uh, announcement of... 
that, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, yeah. can I say? Yeah, it's like, that one. mom. <laughs> well, and there's a great yeah. teaser out for it with like introducing. Her Isn't that cool? Yeah. Whoever whoever cut that together, it's with snippets of comics and yeah. cool. and it's so cool. It was put out yesterday. Yeah. I think. Oh, okay, yeah, that's why I didn't see it. I heard that they were looking for an openly out actress for the role. So is that something that um, Air, Air vs. Doing more of, of just like trying to be more authentic in casting? Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely we're definitely making sure inclusion is a big is a big deal this season, and I don't know that we haven't in the past, but um, but yeah. I think that I think that. Um... And we bump you guys. Get out. Bump. All right. Only for, last... Only for no, Thank you so much. Oliver, stay in prison while things are going down outside. Yeah. Yeah. Is he going to be able to do it? Guy, he's a, he's a life sentence. He's going to stick to that. Well, Oliver could break out of prison at any point in time. Right? He's in prison because that's the terms of the deal that he made, right? And Beth and I talked a lot about this because I was always like, we know that Oliver could break out of prison at any point, right? So, um, no, he's there. He's in. So Green is the New Black is actually what the show is going to be called. I've never, se- I've never seen Orange is the New Black. You I've never seen it. You would it. like it. I, I, I think you would like I'm it. I'm too busy watching like, Succession right now. You're in, you're in Orange is the New Black now, so that's why. So there you, you go. You have to see it. But uh, how do you think the world's going to react to uh, the news, you know, you being Green Arrow? Like, you know, we don't... Um, we touched on that a little bit in the. We touched on that a little bit in the in the in the premiere, and and the lack of uh, vigilantes in in Star City, um, but Oliver really has effectively no contact with the outside world, like his his day to day, and his prison time is just it's just that just time. So since he has no contact with anyone by himself, what kind of emotional like places? Bad, really bad. It's really bad. The 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 cool the 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 thing that I've really enjoyed playing in the premiere uh, is there's absolutely nothing heroic about Oliver. In fact, like it's kind of the opposite. Um, and if you're a fan of his uh, and you root for him. I really hope that the premiere makes you mad. Barry Allen went to jail last season. Do you guys, you <laughs> Did know... He? I don't watch that show. Did he go to jail? <laughs> yeah, so do you guys get... I guess, well, this answers my question. I was going to say, do you guys get to compare notes on that? You know, like... No, I mean, they, 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 haven't, uh, they haven't... They haven't... Uh, they haven't chatted. Okay. Maybe he... Maybe he's he a looked, horrible friend. He's a terrible friend. <laughs> Is this prison beard? Oliver has a little bit of... Yeah, he has a prison look. That's for, that's for sure. I was going to ask, what's the right setting to get an Oliver Queen? I think I'm almost there. But I, I think I, I, on one of those, it's, it's, like a, it's, like a, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a four and a half for the stuff, for like a, like a four and a half. Yeah, there you go. Can you think? Can you guys say anything about who Oliver's going to face in jail that he put there for previous seasons? No, but he's in jail with people that he put in jail. Yeah. That's it. That's the whole answer. That's the whole answer. We, we are, we are, we, we have been very, very fortunate to get some people back on the show that uh, you haven't seen. 
in a while. Yeah. How do you think you're gonna react to that? I know we're not up to that stage with your character. Oliver's interaction with Batwoman is not the interaction in the crossover that I'm most interested in. Okay. Oh, oh. Okay. Go on. Then again, I have to. I have to get out of prison. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send you the a cake. Just There's one long, one long visitation. <laughs> hey guys. Uh, Would you say it's a fair assessment that one of the issues that Elizabeth struggled with last season was Oliver not treating her as partner and like letting her in when he needed to? Like, for example, going to jail without. I thought that he let her in a lot last year. Um, I thought that what he did in the finale, um, you know, helped a lot of people. Didn't certainly didn't help their relationship. Um, and uh, you know, one of the things that we wrestled with in the in the premiere is like, what what if, what if he made the wrong fucking call? What what you know? He might have. It wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> um, but we, we really, we really, we wrestled with that in the premiere. Did I do okay? That was really oh, good. No. I was impressed. <laughs> I know what happened, but I was still excited. Um, immediately after Arrow was Legends of Tomorrow, and that was overlapping with Supergirl. So that one was, like, tricky. So, like, and some of the people who I was at the press table with, like, the Supergirl podcaster and, like, Tatiana, like, they were doing both. So I said to them, hey, I'll leave in the middle of Legends and save us all a seat at Supergirl. Like, that way, you know, like, you know, so that's why I like making friends at these things, because it helps us be able to, like, divide and conquer and make sure that everyone gets something. So I did, like, the first, like, few people of Legends of Tomorrow. Um, I got the person who plays Constantine for, uh, I forget his actor's name. Um, uh yeah, Matt Ryan, uh, the girl who plays uh, Nora Dark, who's uh, Brandon Routh's wife, I think, in real life. Um, Brandon Routh and Katie Lotz, who uh, the Batwoman quotes, and uh, the person who played uh, Vixen's grandmother, like one of the original Vixens. She's coming back as a new character. I had actually not seen, like, that many episodes of Legends before this. And, like, as of this recording, I'm all caught up on the entire series. So, like, I've gone back, like, listening to these interviews again, and I'm like, oh, this is exciting. This is exciting. <laughs> this is cool. Like, I understand the context for some of this stuff now. Like, <laughs> I know who some of these characters are, you know, before you I was you just... like that before you did the interviews. <laughs> well, but but I was, I was able to get content from the interviews I was able to use, regardless of not being caught up. So, uh... Here are the Legends of Tomorrow interviews. Hello, hello. Hi. Five minutes of coming around. How are you guys doing? Right. Enjoying Comic Con? Having a good time? Yeah. What day is this for you guys? Like four? Oh, man. Uh, it depends on if you count Freedy night and flying yeah. over here. How long are you in town? I came last night, leaving tomorrow. Oh, nice. Fly and fly out. I know. Wow. Go hard, then go home. Yeah, you got production to work on. How far along is filming a production for this Okay, season? so we just started episode two now. No, yeah, it's episode two now. And then, uh, yeah, so I have yet to start filming myself. It's exciting, but it's coming up soon. Yeah. Is there anything you can tell me about who you are now? Yeah, so I'm playing a 
new character, she's called Charlie, um, and she is a magical fugitive who basically has come over because of the malice, what we've done to time, she's one of the ones who've come through to this dimension. Um, so when we meet her, she's a bit of a rebel trickster, a bit of an anarchist, so it's like punk rock kid, um, and basically the legends stumble upon her and have to decide whether she is a friend or a foe. Um, even though she doesn't resemble Amaya. So this is like her journey throughout the season is like, can she join or will she actually join and undermine and continue to have her like naughty ways? How's nature react to this? It's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I think um, it's definitely going to open some wounds. And I think because Charlie is a trickster and loves sort of playing people, both emotionally and like, in every single way, um, I think that she might take advantage of that. Just me guessing, I don't actually know. Yeah. But I think it might be fun if she actually like, challenges him on that. Um, and we'll see the consequences of that has to be. What do you like about playing a new character? Huh? What do you like about playing a new character? Oh my god, it's so fun. It's such a relief. Like, I love Maya, but I definitely think, like, with the weight of her destiny and everything that's happening, it was time for her to go And now I get a new chance, and I don't have to be so good. <laughs> It'll be fun to play a baddie, it's fun to play someone a bit more tough and, like, edgy, so I'm really looking forward to it. Would you like to see Amaya interact with this character I'd love to. I mean, anything's possible on this show. I played myself age 80, you know? Um, so... There's definitely a possibility. I think we've spoken about it as well, and to see what they make of each other. Um, and what is Charlie's motive? That's what we're figuring out at the moment. Like, why is she here? What does she want to do with the legends? And, like, what's her, like, overarching aim for this season? Now, last season, we saw you age yeah. quite a bit. Was it a bit of a, of a shock to you what you could possibly look like at 85? Yeah, I was really Did you, like, you trim down the face? I know. I was like, what? I thought black don't crack. Um, but no, I had a lot of wrinkles. It was like a six-hour process, the whole thing. They like did a mask of my face, and the whole thing was glued on. Like There was no part of it that was actually my skin. So having to act with like a rubber face was also interesting. Um, now, now also doing the new character. Do you yeah. have to keep your real accent, or do you have to... Do I'm British. I am British. And a little bit more of a rough, kind of like fun, not cockney, but like more down that road. So it's going to be really fun, I think. She's cheeky. She's faithful. It's more like Amaya in the pirate episode. Kind of like that kind of world. Yeah. Speaking of Amaya, did you ever wonder amongst yourselves who the father of Richard is? Yeah, many times. And I mean, we still don't have the answers to that. He's out there somewhere. And it's really interesting, like, if we do meet Amaya again, at what point is she going to be in her future? Has she had children? Is she in love? Is she, I don't know, what she's up to? Um, and maybe, yeah, so I think it's going to be interesting just to sort of come across her, but also hopefully to leave her happy finally. Is one of them going to look like Nate? Huh? Is one of them going to look like Nate? I hope so. We'll <laughs> see. Should we just rewrite the comic book? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're gonna have to watch to see. I don't know. We were. That's the blonde guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's the boss guy. right there. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's interesting because they they you know they, they obviously both come from the uh, from you know the world of magic. It'd be interesting to see kind of how that this dynamic works. But you're by any means necessary kind of guy. Yeah, I'll completely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Nora is too. So yeah. <laughs> So for, for Matt, what is it like for you to 
Obviously, the show was cancelled after 13 episodes, and you know, I was disappointed because I felt like we were just getting the tone of the show right. We were just kind of getting going, and um, and and at every corner of the journey with this character, I've always felt it was over, and then they just keep on pulling back in, whether it's for the animated uh, the TV show or Justice League Dark animation or Arrow, and then Legends, and then to be able to now have a run of the character for 16 episodes is like, it's great. I get to explore him again. The only bad thing about it is I have to have my roots dyed every two weeks. And that's a pain in the ass. We've already gotten Brandon slash Ray's take on the relationship between Ray and Nora. Yeah. How do you see it? Where, where do you think Nora's coming from, Ray? I, I really feel for Nora because she... Uh, you know, I, I don't know how much happiness she's ever been able to experience in her life. Both her parents were murdered, and then she was put into foster care, and then she was put in a mental institution, and then possessed by a demon since 13 years old. Yeah. From 13 to into her 30s. So, part of her life. Yeah, and so um, I, I, I kind of forgive her for her, her, her first instincts um, when, when trouble arises. Uh, but I think she's very intrigued by Ray Palmer just because he's, she just thinks, like, are you for real? You know, are, are their bodies buried in the basement? Like, you can't really be this, this sunny and cheery all, all the time. He's kind of like an alien to her, an oddity. And I think, you know, she's kind of like an oddity to him, but he also wants to, he feels like, I don't know, maybe he's on some kind of good guy crusade to save her soul, you know, to see if he can change her. So it'll be interesting to see what side wins, you know, the devil on her shoulder or the angel on her shoulder. Do you think that so I think we already saw a bit of that different side come out during the um, uh, No Country for Old Dads episode. You know, where she was finally not at her father's side the entire time. She was being influenced by somebody else and seeing that the world could be different. Torture isn't the answer. Excuse me. And uh, that's when Ray's influence really started to to show. So yeah, I think I'd like to see more of that. I think it's more interesting. She has a nice moral gray area that I, I, I'm really interested in. Uh, you know, rummaging through. That wasn't right. I didn't finish that sitting. <laughs> Delving, Delving into. Delving into. Diving into. Diving. Rummaging through. I like rummaging through. You said the magical creatures come out of the closet. I did say the magical creatures come out of the closet. So, yeah, I get one. I'm going to get quoted on that, you know. So what characters do you want to interacting with your characters? Like, well, I, I, like all of them, just getting to ex, uh, explore the, the, the different dynamics with, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the relationship between John and and, uh, and Sarah Lance is, is kind of the emotional core of kind of why John comes or, you know, that, that playing out that dynamic in episode 310 when I first came on board was like, oh my God, this this really works as a, as a kind of dynamic. And then... You know, just the the little things we've got to do so far, the way he interacts with, with Mick. You know, they're both con artists and like, you know, Mick has fire so he can provide John with the light, but you know, other than that, are they gonna get on? I don't know. And like his relationship with, with Ray, who's the scientist and and he's magic and um I you know 
I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of exploring all of those. And, and do you know what's great is there's so many different relationships um, in the comic books that I've read from doing my research that I kind of know how to uh, I, how to approach. And there's all these relationships here in this new scenario that. I don't know. So it's all about discovering that and figuring that out. And that's exciting because we get to kind of create that uh, in the moment. And Would you be willing to do a Lucifer cameo for having a team? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love Tom as well. And it's like, yeah. Thank well, my, you. Yeah, thank you. Very much. Thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I can take my boots back for you. Oh, yeah, you're... Oh, it's over there. Okay. Do you want me to get it for you? Um, uh, I'll grab it out. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. So, Brandon, I saw an unconfirmed uh, thing on the internet that says that you were doing the voice of Bebo through a voice modulator. Is that true? Uh, I'm untrue. Uh, I did a, when we recorded Adam in Bebo, mm -hmm. I did the voice for fun, which I thought maybe they would use. Um, so I posted a video of that, so there's that video, but that was just my voice, unmodulated. But in, in the actual episode, it's not my voice. Now, both of you left off last year, somewhat ambiguous love lines. Like, you're going to be able to feel like you're coming back together, we don't know exactly what And you maybe have a crush on Nora, or maybe you're deeply invested in her relocation? He doesn't, Ray doesn't understand what's happening. So, where is that going for both of you? Well, I think that's something that's going to be explored. Um, uh, for Ray and, and Nora this season. Uh, first of all, in the beginning of the season, it's kind of Ray just uh, coming to terms with the fact that he let her go, and is that a good thing or a bad thing? Not knowing if the, the craziness that's happening with features popping up all over is because of her or, or, or what, um, necessarily. But I think, um, you know, it's confusing for Ray because she's very opposite of anything that he should be attracted to. So... I don't think he knows what it is that he feels, but he feels some kind of connection. You know, they went through a lot. You know, had had life and death experiences together, so you know they're bonded in a way. He has a crush on her. I feel. <laughs> um, Sarah and Ava are in a really good place. They have a very healthy, nice relationship. Um, of course, that's going to get challenged. But right now, we're good. <laughs> would you like to see maybe Nissa come in and see how that would? Would love to have Nissa come. Um, I mean, I love Katrina Law. The fans love her. Like everyone, you know. I miss Nissa. You know, of course, it's like the first, the first love. Um, <laughs> it would be a lot of fun. And I'd be like, well, aren't you married to? <laughs> The, the arrow guy? <laughs> um, is she still married to him? I think he's an alligator like it's okay. Yeah. Okay. How are you guys going to go crossover this year and joining the We're not in the crossovers this year. No, our legends are not in them at all. We're like doing our own thing. We um, we're all, you know, pretty excited about it. Bad girl school. I mean, I think the more you know, women heroines, uh, the better, and fill out our universe even even more. And um, the audience. I mean, the buzz from the internet seems excited. People are excited for it, so I think it's a good move. And uh, really cool. happy to have uh, her be a part of the 
Arrowverse. So how could that cause conflict with her being LGBTQIA with your relationship with me? Uh, why would it cause conflict? I don't know, maybe, you know, like, Oh, like, maybe Sarah's gonna be like, yo. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I feel like <laughs> Ava and Sarah, like, have something. It's more than a fling. So, like, some hot chick in a bat costume isn't gonna just, you know, pull her away. But you never know. I don't know. I, I tell her that all the time. I'm like, oh, well, you know what? I'll just get another one of you. Is Sarah going to be facing any leadership challenges this season, or has she really come into her role now? I think her big challenge is she had nothing really to lose before. Um, so there was nothing, like, it was just work, team, this, and now she start like she has a relationship and you know feels like for once in her life she's not a screw up like they we fix time and she's st starting to have like the standard for herself and when uh, you know every stuff is going to start to happen and jeopardize her being able to balance the two um and i think sarah just really wants to be like have some normalcy um and like a real relationship and like do human things like her whole life she's kind of missed out on that you know and i think it's it that's gonna be hard trying to hold on to that while being the captain of a traveling type ship yeah how is she going to help? Because now basically she has her, her mom. She, yeah, we won't see much of that on uh, Legends just because we're a comedy and, you know, it's it's there. It's like the truth, but it's hard to bring stuff over from the other shows. And I think a lot of that happens in off screen, so to say. Like we, we talk about it and acknowledge it, but it's at least at this point isn't a big thing. But I would love to dive deeper into like the family stuff and have Sarah mom, you know, go, come on, would be great. Great, thanks guys. Thank you. Then I went over the Supergirl, which like I said, I was caught up with. Um, I got Macabre Brooks to um, do uh, the uh, I got Macabre Brooks to do like his half of the Jimmy Olsen thing that like I recorded the first half with Mark McClure. He was he was all about it. Um, you know, uh, Tatiana and, and, and you know, and all of our friends were able to like get seats with us. Um, I wasn't able to hold as much of the table as I wanted to because <laughs> people were starting to like get angry at me. Like they're like, like all these seats are taken. I'm like, well, one or two of them. And they're like, come on, we're all sitting down here. So I was like texting them, hurry, hurry. <laughs> Tell the legends that you have to go to Supergirl. <laughs> um, you know, Melissa Benoist, who's really excited about doing the Red Sun storyline, you know, I guess you would call it Red Daughter in this case. And um, they announced um, before the panel that, um, oh, let, let me let me look this up so I can actually, like, say who this character is. <laughs> they gave us um, an embargoed press release, meaning that, like, you know, they told us this information so that we would be able to ask it during the press events, but we were not allowed to like tweet about it or post a story about it until after the panel. So that way, like, you know, it wouldn't be spoiled, but they cast, um, Nicole Maines to play the first transgender superhero. And Nicole Maines is, is a trans person in real life. 
and she's going to uh, now she wasn't at the press thing, but she's going to be playing Dreamer. So we got to like talk to the producers and the cast about that, and um, uh, so so that that was nice. And I asked Kyler Lee about you know if they were going to be revisiting the gun thing, like I said, and I was able to write an article about that. Um, so here is the Supergirl audio. Robert Rovner and Jessica Queller. How much can you guys say about season four and how closely it will follow the Red Sun comic arc? Well, uh, I'll, the season as a whole is about which is stronger, hope versus fear. And, you know, one of the things that we're doing this season is to get back to some of the more graphic storytelling that we've told. Uh, you know, Superman has always reflected on real, ish, life. real life issues that are happening. And so, we're, you know, we're, we'll be telling stories uh, that reflect uh, our time. The In terms of the Red Sun, um, you know, it is a, we're telling our version of it, and it'll kind of, it'll be teased out in, at the beginning of the season until it becomes a big It's more of point. a runner, and then it will blossom, more of a mystery. It's not the main, the main um, meat of the season at the, at the start. So you're introducing the first trans transgender superhero. Yes, we are. So this is Dreamer. Tell us about Dreamer. Okay, so her name is Nia Nall. She's awesome. <laughs> She's a cub reporter um, who was sent by Cat Grant. She worked for Cat Grant as an intern at the White House. And, um, and Kara is going to be her mentor. And what we learn about her is that she is the great, 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 great grandmother of... Nora Nall, who is a, who's dream girl from the Legion, and her superpower is seeing the future. And we are just over the moon that we found Nicole Maines to be um, our Nia. We did a worldwide search for um, trans actresses, and not only is she a phenomenal actress, she's also a real-life hero. She has been an activist in her community since she was 14 years old. She was um, honored by GLAAD. She's just, uh, she's just, she's an incredible woman. So we're just, we, we couldn't be more excited. Does Nia being a reporter mean that we're gonna get more time at CACO with James, Cara? A thousand percent. Uh, yes. No, yes. And one of the things that we're excited about this season is that we're getting back to CACO. And you know, awesome. the, uh, you know, I think what the fans will really like, you know, as, the, as we're talking about issues that are reflecting on, you know, we'll, one of the things we'll be talking about is the power of the press and how the free press is very important. And so it'll be a nice journey for Kara. She realizes that Kara can be as much of a superhero as Supergirl can. Wonderful. How, um, what are we going to see between Leah and Kara now that their relationship is, uh, excuse me, Lena and Supergirl now that their relationship is? I mean, I think that Lena and Kara are best friends. I think Kara, Supergirl is trying to make amends with Lena, but you know the relationship. She'll continue to grow closer with Lena. Will continue to grow closer with Kara as there's still tension mounting on the Lena Supergirl front. So we'll see some conflict in Kara from that. Yeah. No. I mean, we know, you know one of the cliffhangers was uh, you know with the Harnell. So at some point that will 
become an issue. The Midvale episode last season was my absolute favorite oh. of the series. Mm. Um, are we going to be getting any more episodes in that vein? We are going to have more um, deep character-driven episodes. You know, that not necessarily the girls from Midvale, but we really love um, carving out time to delve deeper into specific characters and taking the time to do that. We have a few planned. One of the biggest character shifts last season that didn't get as much attention because of the world killers was Kara finding out that she's far, she and Clark are far from the last Tony still around. Yes. You know, is there going to be after effects from meeting her mother, knowing her mother and other friends are out there this season? I mean, this season is much more grounded. Um, we're not, you know, we spent a lot of time off world uh, last year. And I think one of the things that the end of last season did for Kara was to really solidified that Earth was her home, and I think knowing that her mother is out there brought a sense of peace and closure. So, you know, if the story takes us there, we love uh, Allura and having her on the show, uh, but for right now, we're kind of focusing on her Earth family. When you talk about the, like, the notion of a free press and that mm-hmm. part of your story, yes. of, of all of the DC shows, do you feel like that one of the distinct qualities of yours is that it, it, it has to make kind of real-world commentary has to be a, a thousand percent. We, we really love the fact that we're able to do that, and right now in the world it seems like, you know, a really powerful time to tell allegorical, allegorical stories, and one of the issues we're dealing with in Supergirl this season is there is a rise in anti-alien sentiment, and so, and as Robert said, the theme is what is stronger, hope or fear? So um, our villain, Agent Liberty, and his group, the the Children of Liberty are going to be spreading fear and hate, and Supergirl, of course, stands for hope. But the but the challenge she's going to face is how do you combat fear when you represent the one thing that the people are afraid of? Because she is an alien, and so one of the ways that she's going to learn to fight this is as Kara Danvers, the reporter. And so we'll see that being a reporter is just as heroic as being Supergirl, and so that means a lot to us. And it's in the DNA of Superman, you know, he's always spoken out on social issues and kind of been a proponent of truth and justice, and so, you know, we feel a responsibility to to carry that torch. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us more about Sam Sam Whitworth coming on board? Yeah, I mean, he's a wonderful actor. He's a legacy cast. He was in Smallville as Doomsday, so we're excited to have him on. And it's, uh, you know, it's a great role. We think uh, you know, Agent Liberty, it's different than in the, the comic books, but uh, he'll have his own origin story. And so we'll kind of, it's a very layered approach to kind of understanding who he is and why he's, you know, Yes. <laughs> like like Rain, we're, it's he's not going to be a, a mustache-twirly, one-dimensional villain. We're going to see all the forces that made him w- become and who he is and why. No, and, 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 Rain was absolutely perfect last oh. season. Oh, no, thank Dad, you. She just she meant so much to part. us. She sure did. You know, yeah, Dad was wonderful. But for, from Agent Liberty's point of view, he's fighting... You know what he believes is the good fight, so we'll understand why he believes that as, as the season progresses. Uh, and will the um, the adoption storyline still be weaved in a little bit more further as well? Well, uh, we're not going to drop the fact that Alex wants to be a mother, and that's uh, that's that's a given, and that will unfold. You know, we'll figure out in what way. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Slowly.
sometimes I still feel like a nine-year-old putting on mom's high heels. So, hello. How is everybody? All right. Great. Now that we have you. Good. Oh, that's very kind of you. Thank you. So, Alex is in charge of the DEO. But yes. um, it looks like, you know, uh, John Jones is still going to be around on the show, so... Is there going to be any conflict with him being like, hey, when I was around, I was running things this way, you know? Uh, Not that I have seen. And I feel like Jean has done such a good job helping Alex figure out who she is and where she is and, and just her her own strength. Um, and the couple times that she had to play director, you know, um, of the DEO, I think... Um, He's more encouraging and, and honestly trying to walk her through situations, but from afar. It's like a parent, you know, having their kid ride that bike instead of freaking out and trying to hang on to the back of it. You got to let him go, and if they fall, they fall. Otherwise, you know, they, you get to see him riding the bike, which is pretty cool. I love it, but it is kind of weird. I've done a few scenes in the DEO, and David wasn't there, and it's just like <laughs> it's this moment of like, the, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's cool though it's a great dynamic I love it is there a new relationship for her on the horizon oh that's a great question isn't that one um, I think the biggest relationship that, that Alex is working on at least initially is with herself I don't really see that side but it's that idea of okay I'm trying to just figure out who I am and I'm really trying to figure out you know that aspect of herself without relying on somebody else. So it's whether it's it's Alex relying on Kara or it's Alex relying on John or you know or on Wynn. <laughs> no. But, <laughs> but there's so much change happened. Um, yeah, so that's kind of are things on the horizon? Things are always on the horizon. What about with motherhood, which was one of Alice's dreams? Is she taking steps to realize that this season? Um, I th that's going to be definitely part of the journey, for sure. Um, there's so many things that we had to incorporate, you know, and, and different ways to kind of put a little bit of a button on how things, you know, had gone with Maggie and how that... There's, there, was, there was a lot of things we had to work through to, to bring to justify and to bring some a sense of justice to, to the relationship. And so it's just that it's never it's never easy to tell stories. It's never easy to tell the end of a story or the middle or the or a crisis or you know it's a it's a delicate balance. But so bringing that part of the motherhood that side of her I think that's a huge part of who she is anyway, and she kind of did a lot of that in the beginning, even with Kara, she had to be that role. So I think for her to come and understand and say, you know, this is something I want in my life, and to ask that bigger question going, how is that even possible? Like, am I gonna get a bulletproof baby Bjorn and carry like a baby around, do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, what does that look like? Um, like that really stretchy spandex, if, if she were to get pregnant or something, I'm just think, trying to put all these things in my mind, like imagine the baby gate, or something but I think for her it's just again it's just her figuring out what she wants how to get it how to have that um, especially in the position that she's in now does it make sense now is it something that she is a little further out there's a lot we can do with it and I you know we just keep talking about how to do it respectfully and um, with great purpose how is it shooting uh, on the DEO, as you mentioned, not just without David, but also without Jeremy and not oh, there, for, you know? It is, it's, it's strange. It is, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. But 
it's not that we're not going to see Jean back in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it's not like he's like baby left for college and like you know you see you Skype or whatever. You know what I mean? It's no FaceTime. So it's not the last time we'll see him um, in there. Um, but it is it's, it is interesting because now Alex has has this dynamic with Brainy, which is a little a little rough around the edges in the beginning because he's not win. And so that relationship, trying to figure that out, is absolutely hilarious. And I'm so excited because Jesse Rath is amazing. I think he's such an excellent addition to the show. And we've already set the tone of being super awkward, the characters. So it's fun to see how awkward it gets. They're an old couple. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Last season, there was the plot point of the DEO phasing out lethal mm-hmm. weapons. Are, mm-hmm. are they going to follow up on that and continue on with that this year? Um, it's that is a good question. We haven't really gotten to at least that part of it from a DEO perspective yet. It's still incorporated in the world outside of the DEO. I mean, you do see that. That's life. That's reality. That's where we are right now, and it's more and more prominent. Um, obviously, the idea. We're not, we don't just throw things in there just to have a one-off and, and do that. And sometimes yeah. it can look that way until we're able to figure out how to bring it full circle. So a lot of the stories that that were set up last season will find opening up a lot more this coming season. And I do believe that'll be a part of it. And I think figuring that out and what that looks like when you're, you know, fighting against a 10-foot alien that's <laughs> running at you and you're like, oh, my neck. You know, so yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how she does, they, how they do that. I was wondering about the line about your past in Seattle. Was that something you came up with, or the writers came up? With? That was actually Greg Berlanti. He put that in there, and I didn't even, I didn't even get it right, right away. And then we had the table read, and I said it out loud. I was like, ah, no, that's clever. And he's like, he did. That was a little wink for you. And I was like, that's great. Everybody picked up on that, which was really fun to see all the reactions. I was like, Lexi. I'm like, but I'm Alex. <laughs> It's, I'm still a sister, I'm still a doctor in one way or another, and I'm still an Alex. So, she rises again. Yeah. I'm so sorry, you guys, but I'm going to try to get uh, along so I'm going to get everybody, like, just a couple minutes with everybody. No problem. So, thank, thank you so much. No, my pleasure. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I try to gracefully get up and walk over there. How are you? All right. What's John going to be up to when he's not DEOing? <laughs> he's walking the earth. Uh, he, he's living amongst the people in National City, as he promised his father. Um, but he's really kind of struggling to live a life of total peace. I mean, when you're as badass as Jean, uh, at some point you might have to step in and kick some butt. And um, I think that's going to be his conflict going forward, is how, how far he can take the idea of, uh, of you know, the, the pacifist ideals of his father how how he could really implement them in a, a world which is violent and uh, and um, you know that needs to, needs 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 some sorting out. So that's I think that's going to be his conflict this year. This season, Worker and Carl, you had a couple of depressing scenes. But I'm not sure if you were if you start laughing when he comes in saying, "I had the best thing ever." <laughs> um, I didn't actually because it was such a sweet. You know, it's, I mean, I, I, what, was, what was wonderful was, was, I mean, I loved his delivery you know, and I loved the fact that he called it brown water and I, some of his, <laughs> some of his uh, uh, colloquialisms were, were, were wonderful. But I, I think, you know, the idea of watching your father slip away uh, and re- repeat things, uh, and a number of people wrote to me and were saying how much they were moved by it because they, they themselves had had um, 
experience of that. My own father died, um, uh, and I had compli- died complications from dementia. So it was, uh, it was quite tough to play those scenes, and, and you know, I kind of told him about that. And so every time we got together, it was, it was, it was kind of quite emotional. So it wasn't really breaking. It was more. It was quite tough to do those scenes. But yeah. Wonderful to play it with him. He was just awesome. Really great fun. How hard will it be for him to let go of the DEO and let somebody else be running it? I think he's quite confident that, that Alex is the right person. Um, and I, you know, it's very exciting for me because, as I say, as a character, uh, I've never been outside the DEO. We've all, I've only ever seen him uh, in that DEO outfit. So it's going to be interesting to see how he... You know, we've had to talk about how he dresses. We've had to talk about, you know, you know, you know, um, you know, where does he, where does he live? What's his, what are his habits? You know, so it's like it's like breaking a whole new character, which is exciting. You know, so I think the audience is going to see him in a very different, very different light this year. And he's, he's trying to be peaceful. Even though he's on on quote unquote walkabout away from the deal, does he still see himself as a, like the parental figure for Kara? Oh, very much so. Yeah, I mean, he's never gonna—he's never not gonna be uh, the father figure to Alex and Kara, um, and I think we see that in episode. Um, we see that uh, take flight in episode four hundred four. There's a wonderful sequence in four hundred four where um, I think he finally makes his mind up that he has to be the Martian Manhunter, and it's a really cool sequence. Uh, so look out for that. Speaking of being a father figure, is there any chance that he and Joe West can ever get together and complain about their super children? <laughs> <laughs> um, who knows? Maybe that's another uh, subject for a crossover. Let's, let's, let's do it. I, I don't, I don't mind the super that. dads. The super dads, yes. I'd like to do that. Someone was talking last night about doing um, a Black Lightning crossover where just all the black characters come for Christmas dinner. That would be, <laughs> be quite... I think that would be quite something. Will there be uh, any interaction this season with John and Bond? Uh, again, you know, sometimes a lot of these things really depend on, on actors' availability, and uh, I think Sharon's doing very well. I mean, I think she's doing a show in New York, so I'm not sure how how much uh, time she, she has off, but I'd love to work with her, so I'd, I'd work with her again in a heartbeat. She's a fab, fabulous actress. Oh, Thanks, Jasmine. Oh, I have to take him. Oh, Sorry. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. David, you're amazing at soccer aid. Oh, awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Fantastic. Sorry, I, w- I wish I could. <laughs> I was outside and like, don't say nothing. nothing. <laughs> Supergirl is a pretty socially conscious show. We try to be. Yeah, where you basically came out as Guardian, um, giving others the ability to come out and be themselves. Right. Um, what other things would you like to see James do in a socially conscious way to help people in the world? Well, I mean, that's a great question. Thank you. Uh, I, I really enjoy that episode. 19 because we got to put racism in the cultural context of bullying, right? Where it belongs. So if, if you're, you know, um, talking about or making fun of somebody's weight, that's bullying. You're making fun of somebody's sexuality, that's bullying. If you're making somebody's gender or race, that's status quo. Uh-oh, wait, no, 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 that doesn't work. It's 2018, shit has to be equal. So like we're, like we're getting to a place now where we're able to put it into the context where people can understand it. And I really like that when people are listening. So, I want to see more of that. I want to see more of us attacking uh, some of the issues that, that have befallen African Americans and also some of the issues that have befallen Americans right now. Uh, I think that journalism is going to be, look, you guys, 
part, part of you guys. My mom's a journalist as well. So I, I, I'm of your ilk. <laughs> uh, I, I, was, I was born into it, so I was grandfathered in. Um, uh, so I, I kind of feel like journalism, the intelligence community, and law enforcement are going to be the things that save this country at this point. I don't think Congress is going to do it. And so I think that, you know, being James Olsen and being in charge of um, a magazine that we're going to make more serious this year, like it's going to start trying to be the New York Times-ish, um, maybe we can shed some light on how important journalism is and that, and, that, and that journalists are not the enemy of the state, as some people would have you believe. So from what you're saying about Jimmy's role there and as a journalist and what we, the little we know about Agent Liberty and how he's going about his business, is, is this like, is, is Jimmy and Guardian kind of the, the antithesis of Agent Liberty? I and mean, what, what can you tell us about um, I can, there's so much I can't say, man. Okay. Yeah, and like, and, and, and the more precise and good your questions are, the, the worse I am. <laughs> I am. Um, Yes, yes, in, in many ways they are, they, they are antithetical. Um, and in some ways, their causes overlap, actually. Um, can't tell you which <laughs> or why. Uh, a non-spoiler question. Sorry, right? yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think works about the Lena and James relationship? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Horrible. She's horrible. She doesn't wear deodorant. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Um, no, um, no, it's... Uh, no, she does. She wears the other hers. Do not quote me on that. Katie Live Mag tweeting. Katie McGrath no, is, Katie McGrath is amazing. She's amazing. She's absolutely amazing. Uh, what I think works about the relationship is the fact that, yes, they did start out. Yes, her brother tried to kill me. That was messed up. Uh, but, you know, bygones are bygones. Um, but I do think that the relationship has grown and progressed in a very positive manner. And the fact that, yes, everybody starts off, well, most of us start off guarded, if you will. Maybe with some secrets. And then... Once you start to, to love someone, you, you let them in on your fears. You let them in on the things that, that uh, you think about when you're alone, the things that you're, you're, you, would, uh, you don't want out there. So I think the fact that we've both done that with each other, shared that, uh, that's a beautiful thing. I think, it's, I think it's the healthiest relationship on the show, frankly. Now that Guardian support system, uh, Wynn, has gone into the far future. Yes, he uh, has. How is that going to change Guardian's uh, operations? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, like, listen, when, 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 is, when is many things to, to James? When is, yes, he's his sidekick slash tech guy, but he's also a really good friend, you know, and, um, you know, and a colleague and, and someone he respects. So it's almost like, yeah, there's, the, Brainiac can fill that hole, but... Can he fill the hole of friendship? <laughs> I don't know. You could finally show him Star Wars, because that was a plot point last year. What's that? Oh, <laughs> I guess you got to watch it, too. Kara's got to show it to <laughs> movie night. I'm messing with you. Thank you so much. War, War Star, it was called? Yeah. Cool. What is this, a hamburger? That's <laughs> This season is going to be different. You know, season three was a lot of fire and brimstone and, and witchcraft and uh, paying homage to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which we're all big fans of. And this season, I think, is going to be a little more rooted and grounded in reality and kind of mirroring a lot of topical issues of the state of the world today. So, um, the Arrow 
was the introduced Batwoman. Do you look forward to meeting her in the world's finest, the world's finest kind of way? I think that Kara. I'm so excited to interact, to see Kara interact with Batwoman. Um, throughout the seasons, Kara's had a few like funny, quippy lines about Batman and her opinions on him. And she kind of always thinks vigilantes are nuts. And um, we've always had those funny little moments. So I'm excited to see her meet um, Batwoman and see how they interact. It might be funny. The last few seasons sort of talked to me too a little bit. This season, obviously, there's a lot of journalistic politics, yes. the question of the free press. What's your sense of the political voice of Supergirl and why it matters? Well, I think uh, all of the ideals that she carries as a superhero, she'll uh, carry into her journalistic work as well, especially with uh, what she's facing this season. Um, and I think we're really going to explore the idea of how fear is the enemy. And her enemies, she does have people that she'll fight with hand-to-hand, -hand, obviously, because it's Supergirl. But I think fear is the bigger opponent, and journalism can fight that. Given how the last season ended with a little tease, how are you feeling about playing possibly a new character entirely this season? Well, initially I read the script and was like, guys, when are we going to do this? Yeah. I am... I'm, we don't have time. <laughs> but uh, the way they're integrating it is really clever. It's such a cool comic book. I read The Red Sun over the hiatus, and it's a really interesting idea. Uh, so I'm excited to see where it goes. someone had said to me um, was that you can be a super girl and a superhero being just who you are and that you don't have to do anything extraordinary to be an extraordinary soul um, and, and you can do that by spreading hope help and compassion which is supergirl's motto um, yeah it's not about like defying feats of strength and, and all of that. She is a superhero without the cape, and I think little girls deserve to know that. Yeah. Thank you, Thank you so Thank much. You. The rough part of that was, is this was at the same time as Riverdale, and I re this was a hard choice. I really wanted to do Riverdale, because um, I've been loving Riverdale. Like, uh, and after like Don and I were kind of like, what a laugh, this dark version of Archie. We were kind of like hate-watching it, but then it became like... <laughs> It went from hate watching to like love watching, and uh, it was good. But in its first season, yeah, yeah. But like I said, and I was even texting one of my, you know, uh, uh, like one of the other people who works at Fansided about this, who was covering these panels too. Like, yeah, it was really weird how Warner Brothers like overlapped a lot of the WBTV stuff this year. So I I chose Supergirl because you know I'm I'm going to be covering the over stuff more in depth this coming year than like Riverdale, but. It was a hard choice. So I sent Donovan, you know, I told Donovan, you know what, you know, you can take my Riverdale Patas. So talk about Riverdale. Do stay out of Riverdale. Uh, well, I mean, like, this is the third year in a row that I've interviewed KJ Appa, Cole Sprouse, uh, Lily Reinhart, and Camilla Mendez. Uh, the first year we interviewed them after seeing the, 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 
the pilot. And I remember the room was half full, but they were, they were enthusiastic about it. Last year, I went there, and it was more people than air. It was packed, absolutely packed. This year, the room was a bit bigger, so I wouldn't say it was packed, but it was, it was suitably filled up. There was the affirmation for Archie, Betty, Bronco, Re- uh, Jughead. Um, no, Reggie. Uh, Tony... Topaz? Um, Tony Topaz's actress was there, as well as uh, Madeline Pesh, who plays Cheryl. Luke Perry was there. You had um, the actors for FP and uh, Betty's mom. Yeah, Alice. Yeah, from and, uh, uh, she was she was from that other show that they keep on uh, Twin saying Peaks. Riverdale. Yeah, Twin Peaks. People compare. I've never seen Twin Peaks, but I've heard people compare Riverdale to it. And it's very funny because the character she plays in Riverdale is like this conniving, sniveling, evil woman. But like in Twin Peaks, her character was was like Betty Betty Cooper. She was a very like nice, <laughs> set upon teenage girl. <laughs> Betty's been more corrupt as the show has gone on, though. Like. Uh, and there was uh, uh, Hermione and Hiram, uh, those actors. Uh, and I gotta say that, like, uh, I watched the first few episodes of this season, and I, and I, I meant to follow up on it, but like, there's just so many shows I, I fell behind. So I was very much paying fast and those were my questions. And like, I remember when you ask, when you hear me ask the first question to uh, Veronica's parents. They kind of make a look of like, like seriously, like that's the first one. Because I was like, so what can we expect from season three? And like, they're like, is that the best you got, really? And I felt pretty bad because I was like, I don't know. <laughs> but um, uh, it was it was it was cool. And like a lot of the questions were centered around Archie going to prison. And how are how are you know, <laughs> he'll be cellmates with Oliver Queen and Barry Allen's old self? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but like a lot of like you know, how, a lot of the press was like, how is Archie going? How is Archie's friends going to help him out? And um, how did Jughead like play? Be, how did Cole supposed to like play Jughead this year? And how did Madeline Pesh film the uh, conversion episode scenes? Um, the cast seems to be really, really into it, which is which is cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, I vowed I can't do press if I'm not seeing every single episode. It's just too too stressful. But um, I did what I could and. Uh, if you if you come follow Riverdale, feel free to enjoy uh, this interview. How are you doing? I'm happy with um. Emily did the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you do? Your leg? Just, yeah, I just hit my leg on the Ooh, table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, ask him a question first. <laughs> oh my goodness. We did a photo shoot last year, and I was getting off a chair, and I had these like steel-toed boots on. When I got off, I swung oh my, my leg, and my, the back of the boot hit her leg. Oh no! And it was one of those moments oh, where you know so it bad. hurt. You know it hurt. If you can feel their bone shake, <laughs> I felt so bad. Anyway, that's <laughs> ask, ask away. Ask away. Uh, I have a question for both of you, and I think both of your characters. First of all, we need to see more about mainly. Like, I think they need love interests. And I'm wondering. We got them. Three... We got them. Yeah. Um, we definitely will have. I got a boyfriend. Yeah, you do. In season three, which started at the end of season two. Yeah. And uh, we come there, back, and she's got a little something. I, something. There's, there's a little something, something happening, but she's still not tied to anyone. And I was just saying that I think that a good reason that she isn't is because she's probably dealing with a fear of commitment due to her mom's infidelity. Um, and like. Who has the chance? I know it's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> My um, dad is sexy, though. He's a sexy sheriff. <laughs> so, that mayor can't say no. 
Love that guy. She didn't, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, she's got she's got a, like a little bit of salt and pepper on her plate. <laughs> Some sweet salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. We saw you have a bit more conflict in this season with Betty and trying to Kevin's trying to more, be more on his own, trying to pursue what he wanted. Will that kind of continue? Do you expect? I know you guys have not filmed too much, but do you expect yeah. to see him kind of going out on his own, or is he still kind of a reliable friend to Betty? I, you know, the relationship with Betty is somewhat confusing to me right now. I'm, I'm, I hope that they get back to that. I think it's, it's kind of was a crux of what Kevin was at the beginning of the show, and I think, um, you know, since then we've kind of gotten away. I'm picking my nose in front of you. We've gotten away from it, um, and obviously they had that bit of falling out. But they were, then they were back to friends right away. So I, I, I would love to see them dive back into that. And see how Betty interacts with all the Cooper, like with Mrs. Cooper too. I think that could be a cool um, dynamic. Um, but I, I think Kevin having this boyfriend, it's going to be fun to watch him as he is such a sweet kid. Maybe doing things that he shouldn't be doing, trying to make this other person like him more. You know, um, trying to leaving less of himself in order to please someone else. I think that's something Kevin does a lot. So. Um, I hope eventually we watch him grow to not do that. So I think that's a good story that high school and college and people like me should watch. <laughs> but um, So I think there'll be some of that, and I think we're going to kind of dive into the new part of Kevin. And our characters are moving in together. So our parents are moving in together. So it'll be fun to watch this, this sassy diva deal with that little <laughs> sassy I feel not like, diva. <laughs> I know, that's the thing. I, I, feel like, I feel like Josie and Kevin... It's kind of like one of those things where I might not be happy about like how our parents are together, but now I've got this cool sibling that we can make jokes and. Talk I want to make a band. I think we should do a band. Like I don't know why they haven't done it yet. Well, I think we're going to be exploring something at the speakeasy that we're on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that Josie and Kevin are going to be doing some stuff in there because she's going to be figuring out like yeah, just. Um, yeah, <laughs> metaphorical uh, dancing. Yeah. Um, she's gonna be Josie's gonna be with Veronica at the speakeasy, and she's also gonna be figuring out more of like what her particular sound is as an artist. Because um, I, she doesn't know who she is at all at this point. She's lost. Yeah, she is a little lost kitty. Um, so the, I think a portion of the season is gonna be showing her evolving into who she feels like she is. Um, and part of that is going to be her having red hair, um, which is going to be really fun. I can't wait for that. That's great. I don't have it out today. It was literally the size of like a lion mane last night. It got way too big. I liked it. I had to tie it down. <laughs> One more question, guys. How does what happened to Archie at the end of last season affect the, his friends and you guys and everybody? I think it, it, it affects us pretty substantially, you know, regardless of how much our interactions do or don't play out, you know, on screen all the time, like together as a group, when this thing happens to Archie, we're all affected and we all don't want to see anything happen to him, you know, because we, like, we're, we're in high school, like he's a kid and for, as far as we know, he's like not guilty, so it's, it's, it's a tough thing to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of banding together. I think it's the first time in the show where something bad is happening to one of the main characters, specifically like themselves. Like, there seems to be a lot of adversity um, for everyone, you know, with all these like random people like dying or whatever. But this time it's like Archie <laughs> is in trouble. 
and is facing this very bad thing, and the entire community is rooting for him. Um, so it's 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 kind of uneven. It doesn't really it's it's awkward, and I think it sets a really cool tone of um, amb- ambiguity of what's going to happen. And KJ is really good. He's really really talented. And every episode I see him get better. So it's fun to watch him. And he's really good this season, so I'm excited. I mean, the first 10 days he's been great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And uh, we're both executive producers on Riverdale, and John is also the CEO of Archie Comics. So we're really only here yes. because of him. <laughs> you guys backed yourselves into kind of like a big corner, putting your main character in prison for the start of the season. How soon are we going to see that resolved in season three? I mean, Archie's in, he's in juvenile, he, you know, he, he's, he has like a very big legal problem. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's, we're going to take our time. KJ is such an incredible actor and um, it's really fun to give him new challenges. And, and um, you know, also it's, it's, Archie is this like, this sweet archetype and so to really explore his darkness and his struggles between his darkness and light this feels like sort of a natural uh evolution but i think backing ourselves into corners is something that we do quite often in riverdale and enjoy doing yeah it's fun to watch his story unfold so it's going to take you know it's going to take a little bit uh, a little bit of time but it's a great story great journey great personal journey Um, I think that once again, it's um, very much tied to the town of Riverdale, and I think you start to get a taste of it very early in the season. Um, so I, I would just say, like, we never want to repeat ourselves, but we want to um, deliver to our audience the kind of complexity and storytelling that they've now gotten used to. So we take that into account. Can we expect to see Molly I mean, it's that was like my dream was casting Molly Ringwald on the show. So as far as I'm concerned, we can never have enough Molly Ringwald. We have to thank Sarah for Molly Ringwald. I mean, she loves her, and boy, I, did she deliver! She was amazing. So yeah. yeah. Molly Ringwald all day, every day. You've noticed everyone in Riverdale comes back a lot. Like yes. it's our cast is enormous, so I I would not be surprised to see her back. Yes. How's that? As a CEO, Archie, how does uh, your input or your overseeing the series uh, kind of come into fruition in the finished series? Do you make any sort of suggestions, or is there anything that Riverdale does that you want to like to see reflected in the uh, other media? Well, I mean, Roberto, in addition to being showrunner. An executive producer is also chief creative officer of Archie Comics. So, I mean, Roberto and I talk probably, you know, I don't know about daily, but certainly three, four times a week about everything that's going on. And yeah, I mean, you know, look, he's pretty amazing at coming up with these storylines. And I'd have to say initially there was a lot of input coming from us, but now he's, I mean, this is his ship. And he's driving it, and I'm loving what he's doing. I know. So there's there's very little coming, you know, from from us at this but point. But I, I will say that John Goldwater deserves an enormous amount of credit for this show because of his willingness to to play, to Thank really you. expand it. It's it's like it was a very you know risky and dangerous thing to do because you're allowing these sort of very wholesome 
characters to be embroiled in a much darker world. And I think uh, John was smart enough to realize that that can help expand the Archie universe. It doesn't hurt it. And I think that you've now done Riverdale comics that yeah. speak to it. So the two really do work hand in hand in a really exciting way. But it is, it's, um, it's, the show wouldn't exist if John wasn't so willing to, I mean, this, it's some of it's crazy. Like, we're like, and then Moose is, like, on the DL, and he's like, okay. Like, you know, it's, it's right. really, like, he's allowed us to have, like, a ton of fun, and I think he knows that not only does Roberto have RG Comics in his heart, but he, he also, he wants to protect them as much as John does, and I think that's yeah. what, and there's plenty of conversation, and John's very involved, but I think we're all come from such a place of love. That, um, and respect. Yeah, and I have to, I have to mirror what Sarah said. This is all love, respect from Sarah, from Roberta, from Greg, from everyone at Warner Brothers. So it's, it's really been a, a wonderful, great journey to see this all develop. It's been thrilling, actually. And, and speaking of thrilling, just wait for the chilling Adventures oh, of chilling. Sabrina. Chilling oh, Adventures of Sabrina coming. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> is she going to make an appearance on As of now, I have no plans for that. It's like different networks. It's, it's and everyone is working all the time, so. Can I have one quick, quick Riverdale yeah. question? Um, but last year you guys went from 13 to 22, and that is a big change, and I'm just wondering if you like learned any lessons from that experience that you're kind of implementing Yeah, I think, look, hopefully everyone gets better at doing things the more they do them. I'm sure you guys do as journalists, and we do as producers, and uh, we definitely learn lessons, and I think part of it was was realizing how fun it is to kind of take a time out and do. We had two really exciting episodes last year, which obviously the musical, and then the episode where we sort of did the tales from the, the three separate storylines of that trip to Green to um, across the river. And so, I think we want to continue. We've learned from that how fun it is to do that, how fun it is for the cast and crew. And I think, um, yeah, I think we. Absolutely, we learned tons of lessons, and they'll all be hopefully applied and make season three even better than season two. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, guys. you guys. Hi, guys. Hello. Woo wee. Guys. Guess we're waiting on Luke. Have you guys enjoyed the con so far? Yeah. Did you get to walk around inside? No. No. Yeah. First year I did. You did? Yeah. I've, I've come to Comic-Con for a while. It's definitely a different beast now. Definitely a different beast. Um, but we end up running around from place to place to place, so we don't really get too much time in. But we're in Hall H tomorrow, which is going to be cool. First time in that big boy. Yeah. So uh, Jughead had a lot of dynamic things happening this season. Uh, Join the Serpents to very violently leaving the Serpents. Uh, what was it like to play in terms of like kind of sort of the, uh, the kind of action turmoil? And do you expect to see more of that in season three? Uh, it was nice. I mean, I, it's it's really it's much more fulfilling and enjoyable to play that kind of character. We Jughead had flaws this season, obvious flaws that got him almost killed. Uh, he wasn't this kind of immediately lovable, no no nothing wrong with him character like I thought he kind of was in season one. Um, yeah, but it's nice to be challenged that way as an actor, and it's it's always enjoyable seeing what what trouble Jughead got up to. I mean, I think he got his ass kicked like four or five times this last season. <laughs> he was just a magnet for getting his ass kicked. 
is he going to have revenge for that now that he's the leader? Of the I don't know if I don't know if revenge is part of his leadership quality, and I, I, I think I don't know if revenge really suits him. I think he's going to be calm and collected and much more tactical about how he approaches leadership. I don't know if he's just going to be that hot-headed kid he was. Um, so no, I don't think revenge is in the picture. How is Archie's arrest affecting you guys? Because it's, it's a huge thing that will be. Yeah, I don't dig it. <laughs> I just don't like it. Uh, my whole life is about him and keeping him out of situations very much just like that. So I'm not happy with Hiram and I'm not happy with the situation in general. Mm-hmm. You're about to see Fred open mm-hmm. up a can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to put uh, his relationship with Veronica to the test as well. Uh, if he goes away for a while, I think he's going to be, they'll be separated for a long time. So it'd be interesting to see. How that plays out. And I don't trust Veronica. Neither do I. <laughs> Me neither, honestly. <laughs> we don't find Veronica to be very trustworthy. I'm going to stress Veronica over here, okay? Do you think that um, because of what happened to Fred in the beginning, uh, at the end of season one, beginning of season two, and kind of just throughout, uh, Archie, the wholesome main protagonist, has kind of become darker and darker to where can he still be called a sort of like optimistic protagonist? Absolutely. I think uh, he was manipulated by Hiram, but I think, you know, Archie is, um, he, he doesn't always make the best, I, I like describing Archie as a meathead with a heart of gold, you know what I mean? Like, he makes stupid decisions, um, but he always has the right intentions, and I feel like he wants the best for everyone he needs. Uh, although he turned his back on his, on his dad, he's a family man, and, and uh, his family and friends come first. What's he like in jail, in juvie? Huh? What's he like in juvie? Well, we'll see. Hopefully, I'm not. Hopefully, you'll be in this. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I got a, I got a feeling that. I mean, as an actor, I'd love to. I would love to uh, be in a jail cell. That'd be cool. <laughs> it's pretty easy to shoot too. <laughs> yeah. How many shirtless push-up scenes are they going to make you do? Many. And he's going to eat fifty eggs. <laughs> yeah. A whole montage sequence of push-ups. Um, so, Cole, at the end of season two, um, Jughead asked Betty to be the Serpent Queen. Yeah. What, what exactly was he asking her there? Like, what was no, idea. no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, yeah, skin, it's, it is a bit ambiguous. We actually addressed that in, in, in season one, and, and, or uh, in the first episode, to clarify what, what exactly that means. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's more of just a, a partnership thing. Uh, means I got your back, you got my back. And, his unwillingness to include her in the service before was, was an attempt to protect her, so his willingness to include her now is an attempt to say, you can protect yourself. I, I feel confident by you. How is the serpent? I need to wrap that. You can ask this question. Then. How is the serpent going to be different under Jughead's leadership? Uh, different for Jughead, under Jughead's leadership? Yeah, versus how the servants have been over the last decades. Uh, well, they're also just not the same servants anymore. I mean, they're broken. They're on the run. They're they don't really have a home anymore. They're probably much electric scooters because of yeah. all the greenhouse Razor scooters and, and Heelys are kind of the only way they get around anymore. <laughs> um, no, he's he's not really dealing with, with with the same gang that his father was dealing with. But but I think Jughead's a kind of tactician, and I, I, I think he's a cerebral leader. Um, 
I don't necessarily think might is right in his opinion. So he was kind of a pacifist for much of 2A, and I think he's going to be bringing in uh, that kind of feeling to the surface, which is how do we rebuild without making so many enemies and simultaneously standing our ground. It's going to be interesting. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Thank you very much. I'm staying. What can we expect uh, from season three? <laughs> That's not too crazily spoilery. I would say that there is, um, there's obviously a new mystery, but you always know will happen in Riverdale. Yeah. It's just going to be an unexpected, an unexpected mystery that they're going to have to pull the string on. Both the kids and the adults hmm. um, are involved in the season three mystery. Would you say? Yeah, I think um, you know. The biggest surprise that I always get is just by reading the script, and you really never know what's going on. Even as an actor, it's it's yeah, it's, it's, it's so much fun. You know, when people ask you for like what's going to happen, like I don't really know what's going to happen. Sometimes they you, you are told things that are going to happen, and sometimes they don't. So I I just enjoy you know when the new script comes out and there's you know I'm like oh my god they came up with another thing so it's really I'm, I'm really excited about this season it's some really good stuff we're also just finding out so like he said we only find out when, once we read the script we're on episode 2 so that's what we know yeah so what how's the prison storyline play in this season the the the, prison. the building the building of a prison yeah um it's Is interesting I you know uh, yeah. I, I, it's a good question yeah. it's a good question don't know. <laughs> we'll let you know when we yeah. find out. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Really, I don't know. I'm wondering if they're going to be like a united front this season or if there's going to be a little more of discord between them. I think there's going to be discord for sure because yeah. they started as a united front. And I think in Hermione's mind, he went too far. You know, once you start messing with with Veronica and certain things like that, it's, it's, too, it's too much. So I, I think we'll see them more like that. Yeah, no, I think that, you know, look, he came into the season and knowing that his wife slept with another man. There's so, that, yeah. so there's there's always there's always like new lines being drawn and you know, if you think if you, when that's how it started. Um, so loyalty to him is is really a one-way street. And I think loyalty in the family is a one-way street and it's it's super transactional. They're good um, as a united front. They're just working on the wrong side of the wall. Yeah, you know, I think I think it's what's what's fascinating is like you know they're both they're both making moves and both and both people, at least Hiram knows he knows what's going on behind the scenes. It's it's smart. I mean, it's it's he's smart, and I think from I can't speak for you, but I think Hermione knows exactly what's going on too. So, but it's like it's kind of like what's unsaid that I find really interesting with these two characters. There's a lot of stuff that's not yeah, said. Yeah, sure, very true. You know, and. I don't know, that's, that's, the, that's the fun part, I think. Does Hiram reconsider his, you know, what he did and see that maybe he did something wrong and make changes from that, or does he still feel like he did what he needed to do? He's a man, he's always right. <laughs> so, I think um, he's Machiavellian. There's, there's no right or wrong, there's just the end, getting to the end, and that, that justifies the means for him. It's the way he's wired. I think there's moments of, moments, maybe moments of, you know, should I do this? And of course, I, you know, he should do this. It's just that he, he, has, he has to get to point D and 
you know, A, B, and C have to happen, and so so what? So, yeah. At the beginning of season two, there was kind of like a question of like, oh, is he going to be good? Is he going to be bad? And then at the end of season two, he's getting our lead character arrested. Yeah. So what's it like now? Like, you're the bad guy now. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, like, there go it goes like Clifford, Penelope Blossom, the Black Hood, and then Hiram. You know, it's like he's like even the worst of the worst, which is so fun. Um, You know, I think that it'd be too obvious for him just to be that brutally bad. I think there's going to be some some things that change. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. everybody are you? How are you? good have you guys been doing this all day yeah, yeah. who was your favorite interview so far it's about to come yeah yes <laughs> what you got new power couple yeah or old power old power couple back to rising once again yeah <laughs> like a phoenix were you guys surprised at the like very powerful fan response to the popularity of your I was a little surprised. I, I'm yeah. still surprised. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's uh, it's it's rabid. I mean, yeah, um, yeah I, it's always interesting, and I know every time she picks up her phone and we're in, <laughs> something's something's brewing. <laughs> But I think that they're, they're both very fiery characters, so every time you see them together, you know something's going to happen, whether it's positive or negative. So I think people, I think they enjoy that. Our audience enjoys it. In season one, uh, they were kind of vault to people that had their own very, uh, very, very big flaws. And in season two, certain situations kind of came forth, you know, certain relations were made. Yeah. So going to season three, do you think that... Um, do you think that FP and Alice are more mature, or are they going to kind of fall back into the same habits? I, I mean, I think there's there's even another dynamic that's being developed in season three, like another layer that's being peeled away. That uh, you see different sides of Alice already, you see yeah. different sides of FP already. Uh, the ships keep coming closer and closer together because I think circumstances keeps bringing them together. Yeah. Well, I think Alice was in a really vulnerable place at the end of season two, and I think that was a really good opportunity for Polly to present something she thought would be a good fix, and um, Alice tends, when she goes in, she goes in all the way. So let's just say Alice is really searching to try to heal herself. So, yeah, she might be exploring some things. Yeah. <laughs> what side do you guys think you're going to be on when it comes to trying to help Archie get out of jail? Are you going to try and stay out of it, or is there going to be this couple in active force trying to help them? I think that that was one of my questions, is, is Alice has been so, like, against Archie, but then yet she still came to their aid when he was in trouble. And I was like, where does she stand? And I feel like uh, when something happens to one of your key members in a, a small town, everybody rallies together and supports. So that's so far what's been happening. 
what are the odds that if they decide to help Archie, it'll be on the up and up? Uh, low. Yeah. <laughs> Very low. Yeah. I don't think anything's ever on there the up and no up. There is no up and I mean, the, the you know, it's no. it's a very corrupt uh, <laughs> town. town. with a lot of secrets. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, it, yeah, I don't think there's any uh, legal way to... Well, maybe. We'll see. With what Hiram's done with, with buying up the town and people are being displaced with that, how does, does that affect your character at all and how do they deal with that? Absolutely. I mean, the serpents are living in a tent city, um, so uh, they're displaced, um, a little bit disjointed, and, and very pissed off. Uh, so his, yeah, it, it affects everybody in some way. What what Hiram's doing, obviously. He's a pain in the ass. It's <laughs> your team anti-Hiram all the way. Right? <laughs> of well, I mean that's uh, yeah. He 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 tried to have my son killed. So, yeah. Um, the yeah. vision bring us like an on-screen FP and Alice moment finally. That's what we're being promised. That's what we're told. That's what we're told. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Like not just spitting the thumb out. Right? <laughs> I don't, did we even say a word in that scene? No. No, we didn't, did we? No. Um, but you spitting at your gum spoke volumes. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, that piece was old. It was. You needed a new fresh piece. Yeah. 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 need to make sure my breath was good. Yeah. Well, Alice put on her blood red lipstick, so that means something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there's. We're, I mean, we're told there's a lot to come, and, and we're told some pretty specific things uh, that are that are very exciting. But so you're gonna tell us right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <we're laughs> gonna tell. Oh, oh man, last question: How is Alice sort of dealing with the reveal that her husband was a serial killer? Last, like, how is that affecting her? Uh, in my opinion, watching Alice, uh, she's not dealing with it very well. She's having a hard time coming to terms with uh, that she lived with this person that lived such a lie for so long. Um, so yeah, she's not she's not dealing with it well. I know you saw us. Yes, thank you. thanks guys. Thank you. so good anymore. So both of my knees on this pole. Are you okay? I'm fine. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Uh, tell us everything about season three, Choney. I'd like to start by saying it's Shoney. Shoney. Yes. I don't want it to sound like Chode. So I feel like Shoney <laughs> yeah. has a nice ring to it. Um, not a lot we can spoil. Uh, we're still going strong. Everything's very good for the two of us in, in season three so far. Yeah. Yeah. It's She's cute. It. We, we have, we've got a cute relationship. Yeah. Very happy. It's the first time you see Cheryl, like genuinely happy. Genuinely happy, yeah. Yeah. And Tony lets her guards down. We both let her, we both yeah. let. Well, more so, I think it's more interesting when you let your guard down, because Cheryl, all she does is let her guard down. Yeah. Sorry, we're talking to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now that she's officially a serpent, what does that mean? How involved is she going to be? Interesting. Um, so Cheryl now has this weird dilemma where she's gotten this like high off power. Like she's feeling like, oh, I'm a serpent. I've got a girlfriend. I'm feeling so energized. So she starts trying to make a power play throughout the rest of her life in different areas. Like she thinks that she's gotten rid of Penelope. She's now emancipated. So she's going through this kind of struggle of trying to take over power in maybe places she shouldn't. And I think that will be her biggest downfall. 
Vanessa, um, what was your reaction to being made a series regular for season three? Oh, I was so happy. I mean, I already felt like I was part of the family, but it's just like, it's kind of like the seal, you know, the official stamp. The stamp, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I was so happy, and um, I, I called Madeleine as well and told her, and yeah. I love I love the cast, so it's definitely. We knew that was coming. There was no way. There was no. I had way. a feeling. I had a feeling, but yeah. So somewhat related to that, what was your reaction to the like huge positive? Um, you know, everybody loves Choni. They were so. Choni. Yeah. Reading it, I know it looks like it, but yeah. Yeah. Choni. Yeah. We were so happy. We were like shipping it before it was even really yeah. a ship, honestly. <laughs> we were like the captains of that ship before. Yeah, we happened. put that out there. Yeah, we put it out in the universe. If you were gonna kiss somebody, you want to be your best friend. Yeah, easily. Yeah, 100%. For Cheryl, how is, is she moving on from all the family drama? She's trying to. I think this like whole power struggle that she's making as her way of kind of trying to put that in the back of her mind and moving past Jason and moving past her mother and, and her father and whoever her uncle is. We kind of delve more into that this season. Um, and she, she starts trying to like take over other realms of her life because her entire life she hasn't been able to take control of anything other than that facade she's put up. So now she's finally trying to take control of things that are out of her control. And I think that's where it gets really interesting and it, her, her parents will definitely come up a lot more. Family well, drama will never end. It's still part of the season. Yes. The Blossom drama will never end. You had some pretty uh, dramatic scenes this season, like the conversion uh, storyline. What was it like filming that? Um, it was it was kind of hard mentally and emotionally to, you know, you live kind of naively thinking that those things don't still happen. And then when that storyline came up, I did a lot of research on it, and I was heartbroken to hear some stories and to read some stories on Reddit and all these different places and, and doing a lot of research. And I just felt like a very large responsibility to do it justice. So I took it very seriously, and I, uh, I feel happy with the result. But it was a hard storyline to, you don't want to think about those things, and you don't want to, you don't want to, but it's important to bring the camera as well. So it was like this dichotomy of trying to figure out the right navigation through. So I think we did a good time. And Cheryl and Tony both seem very stoked to be in the Serpents together. But that feels like a world where things could very like complicate a relationship. Will we see it bring them closer together or could that be some struggle? There's some struggle. I would like to hope it would bring us closer together. I personally think that all Cheryl's ever needed is a support system, yeah. and I think that's literally exactly what the serpents are for her right now. Mm -hmm. So I think it will only build together. My only concern ever was, you know when people get into relationships, which happens often, you don't want them to lose themselves. Yeah. And lose Cheryl joining identity. the serpents so quickly could potentially make her question if her identity is still there, mm -hmm. but I think that's going to be an interesting struggle because it happened so much in high school. Yeah. So we'll see. Can we talk about the red jacket? Yes. I just love it. I just love that Cheryl even enjoying this thing. Like, you know, no. I was kind of resistant to it at first because I wanted her to finally be a part of something and not separate herself and make herself an outsider. But I love the red jacket so much that, like, selfishly, I'm like, it's cute and I want to wear it. But isn't that, like, Cheryl? It is like, very right? Cheryl. But like, she's, when, she's yeah. so, like, not aware. She's, yeah. like, not self-aware enough to realize that that's what she's doing. Yeah. Last question, guys. I think we hit them all. What were your favorite um, Shoney moments in season they were sparse. I know. Not enough. But all the conversion camp was one of mine. Oh, when we kissed. Yeah, when we kissed. But wait for the, the DVD. All of the deleted scenes are ours, so. Oh, they put them all on? There's like five deleted Tony scenes, not Shoney scenes, <laughs> on the DVD. Yes, you do. <laughs> it's so hard uh, on the DVD. So those are where all the good ones are, I think. Yeah. Like where I bring you flowers before your performance. Yeah, really or in the hospital when I'm consoling you. I wonder if that made it. I don't know. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. So many good moments. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And after Supergirl ended, 
there was a little bit of time before, you know, um, my next thing, which was, I'm pretty sure that was Black Lightning. Let me check. Yeah, before Black Lightning. So I actually, like, went down to, like, see if I could do the end of Riverdale and meet up with Don. And I was there for, like, the very, very end of the Riverdale press room. And the guy was like, uh, the guy who was like doing the check-ins, he like, I showed him the email and stuff. And I was like, I already have someone in here who's representing me. I'm just going to take some pictures for B-roll and stuff like that. And he's like, uh, okay, 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 fine. And uh, I took some pictures of like the cast, you know, doing the group photo at the end. And uh, one of the um, families that I've been working with for years, um, this is actually the older sister of uh, the kid who played laser tag with with you and Stella when you guys came down to visit last November. Uh, so it's Alex's older sister. She's obsessed with Riverdale. So I got like Camilla Mendez, who like is one of her heroes, to say like hi, Michelle, on on a recording. So that uh, that got her excited. So she hates me a little less now. Uh, <laughs> for now, <laughs> I better get some more pillows from the Riverdale cast at New York Comic Con to like hold off. To <laughs> <laughs> to buy me another few months. So after that, um, what, and I'm kind of proud of myself too, because when I made a list of all the stuff I, I went today, I legitimately was in Riverdale for a little bit of the end. So I can say, okay, I did all of those WPTV stuff. Um, yeah. I, I went to Black Lightning and um, that was cool because um, you, you and Stella talked about um, the Benson sisters hugging you last year and how like you've never been hugged by a talent before. I don't think I've ever been hugged by a publicist before. Like, so, uh, uh, when I introduced myself to one of the Black Lightning publicists, um, I'm, I'm not going to say her name because there's a few of them and I don't know if she wants me to, like, call her out like this, but, you know, it, it, this isn't a bad thing, but I don't want, like, people to, like, go up to her hug. I get it. I, I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, you, well, they said on the Batman universe that you give hugs. So, uh, <laughs> uh, she, like, hugged me. Oh, you're this guy. Cause her and I have been emailing, you know, like, because I've covered Black Lightning at different conventions and stuff. Um, I went to the, like, the DC and DC thing, which, like, that was just a great experience to launch Black Lightning. And um, she follows me on Twitter, and she retweets when I, like, post about Black Lightning for other websites and stuff. Uh, so it, that was a nice experience. And uh, the... <laughs> Chris Williams was like was like asking me where Ben was. It's like it's like, well, where's your boy? Where's he this year? And, you know, and like showing um his on screen wife like the picture of them interviewing each other last year. Um, oh, nice. That was a fun event. What I talked about too was um to Donovan was I'm trying to say this without making it sound like I didn't I did not have a problem with this, but I, I did realize I was one of the few uh, oh, yeah. of color people <laughs> in that room. And, uh, and it was interesting. And there was cases where like people were asking, you know, Cress Williams and a few of the other people, they were talking about like experiences of like being a person of color in like Atlanta. And it's like, yeah, this is, this, this is really talking about life experiences that I don't have. And that's okay. Like, I'm not bothered by that. I don't need every single piece of entertainment to be for me. Like I still enjoy black lightning, even though like I'm not a person of color from Atlanta, you know, but it's, this show has touched a lot of people very deeply because of like stuff like that and the music and like the setting it's uh it's a big deal to a lot of people because they can relate to a lot of what's in there and uh i maintain that like that is a show that um uh, more people need to be watching um it's it's one of the best like dc tv shows but spoke to the showrunners um uh salim and mara akil um and uh Cress williams who plays black lightning and his and his wife did one together um both of the daughters anissa and jennifer and uh 
Yeah, James Remar, who plays, um, yeah, Gamby, and who also played Gordon's on Uncle Frank on, um, there's the Gotham <laughs> reference, <laughs> on, on Gotham in season three. And actually, I, I did reference him being Gordon's uncle, but it was an organic reference because he was talking about, like, different superhero properties he was in. He was like, I was this and for this superhero. I was this for this superhero. And I said, and you were Commissioner Gordon's uncle. So <laughs> it was organic, you know. I know that even though Stella wasn't there, she would have, like, Swam all of the way back to the U.S. from Kenya to like kick my butt. So. <laughs> had that, had that happen. So, uh, me and Marvin here. Are you doing? Oh, we're doing singles. Yeah, that's what I thought. I you're, I doing no you're doing singles. You're here. Oh, I'm yeah, here. You're fine, honey. All right. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know what? It's okay. You're good. You're good with tech. You can build me a new one if you're anything like your character. Oh, it is. <laughs> How's your time been, James? So far, so good. So far, so good. It, it's uh, it, 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 we're entering the twilight zone of, of fatigue right now. Yeah, that's no we, we've been up since very early. I did not get a lot of sleep last night. <laughs> but it, you know, like thousands of hello. <laughs> hello, 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 hello. Very good. All's well. So, Things up with the family, and he's starting to get back into things. What can we expect uh, season two from Gabby's journey? You know, actors are the last ones to get the info. You know, it's like the, the 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 writer has it in his head, and they go and they go through it, and then it's like even even the crew gets a script before we do. So um, I can say that from the three episodes that we've shot, that we're you know we're, we're, we get back up to speed. We 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 have. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a reintroduction of things, but we also pick up where we left off. Uh, and and I'm I'm up to my old tricks. I'm working with uh, I'm working with with Black Lightning and, and and developing and taking care of his his equipment and his intel. But uh, what what is so far developed uh, is my relationship with Anissa, where where I'm 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 a more active uh, participant in her heroics because she's not a reluctant hero she's she's gung-ho and 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 I'm, you know gamby wants to protect her at all costs now speaking on that relationship with Anissa, how do you think that's going to translate with jennifer now that she's about to come to her own season <laughs> those, two, those two sisters fight a lot <laughs> but you know but they're but they're very tight and 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 hopefully you know, now I'm just speculating, but I, I can tell you, I can tell you for sure that you know, uh, Anissa and, and Gamby are very tight. We don't, we don't have um, any of the baggage that that, that attends the, the the Jefferson Gamby relationship because of what happened with Jefferson's father and and, and Gamby's involvement with with, with the ASH. Anissa just knows him as Uncle Gamby, right. who's just always been there and, and always been 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 good to her and kind and. They they really thrive on each other. Um, as far as Jennifer is concerned, you know, because she's more rebellious uh, at the outset about having powers. She's just like, what's what is this? You know, I don't want this shit. I just want to go back to being normal. Towards like the end of the season finale, we see her kind of accepting. Well, she she's got to defend her family, but doesn't you know? She she doesn't like it. She doesn't you know. Anissa loves it. She's yes. She loves it. Awesome. Jennifer's all what the? She, she, <laughs> I just want to be normal. Um, so, 
you know, I'll be there to, I'll be there hopefully to assist her, you know, into into her coming of age, and 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 the same, you know, with with the technology and. Uh, you know, whatever expertise I can offer, because I would imagine that the two of them, once again, it's just my imagination, are going to be more of a team. Okay. You know, Gamby, you got this? Yeah, I got it, girls. <laughs> Is there a device that you want Gamby to create that maybe we haven't seen yet? Well, maybe something like a little self-propulsion unit for himself. Yeah. You know, I'd like to, you know, I think Gamby should have some tech instead. Speaking, speaking on that, does it bother you going from Raiden to being the guy that's... Well, why would it? Why, that, that means that the great-grandfather of Black Lightning. <laughs> there you go. Right. I, am, I am an elder god. Yes, you have Black <laughs> Lightning is technically my one of my... my um, that We're going to reveal that in season 12. That <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah, Lord Raiden is, is, is Black Lightning's true father. <laughs> and you're also Commissioner Gordon's uncle, so, like, all the heroes come All the heroes. You. You're the godfather of the comic book universe, in a sense. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it, it, not immediately. I don't think that's going to happen, uh, and I don't think we want it to happen because then, you know, that's called the Arrowverse. And right now, uh, Salim is focused on, on on creating and and maintaining the integrity and the identity of the Lightning Verse, and 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 really establishing that as a, as, as its own standalone community and uh, experience. Um, so we're not we're not crossing over in the immediate future. I don't I don't know. You know I'm not one of the powers that be uh, because those those characters do cross over in the DC universe um, in in the comics. But uh, you know that would probably be uh, addressed to a higher authority than myself. I mean I would have you know season four, season five. You know you, then you start to, to reach for a little more. <laughs> Material, but I, I, we're, we're establishing the lightning verse and the and the and the and the city and the world where we live and fight and and, and live. Uh, you and Lynn, uh, Christina have like a lot of kind of great epic verbal battles, and I was wondering. It's just it's just like real life. <laughs> <laughs> I would ask you what it's like getting into these like really intense fights, especially with her as your like advocacy partner. Well, she, we, we, we've had some really terrific scenes, and there are scenes where there are two people that have a very strong opinion, and they're expressing themselves, and they're not backing down, but they, they are united in their love of that family. I mean, it's her, her blood family, and it's my surrogate family, or just the, my adopted family. Um, and, and, I, and I love and respect her. Uh, so... The, you know, she doesn't want her husband to go back to that. And and she and I are interesting. We're the only two out of this bunch that don't have any powers. And so we're we're two regular humans dealing with these metahumans and we we it's like I guess two doctors disagreeing on how to treat a patient. You know? Do you and Lynn get a lot of time to like I'm sorry, do you and Christine get a lot of time to like work together, rehearse the scenes and kind of get into it? Well we get the we get the same the same uh uh, uh amount of times anybody else you know we, 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 we get in there we get up we know what's coming and and you know we rehearse and go for it that's how it is in episodic television we shoot a full uh, 48 minutes in, in 8 days blah 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 that, that's, it. That, that's where the fit that's where the action all is. are you coming back here no I'm sorry no, no, no. are you done are you done with your answer 
I'm, I'm with you. I, I had many answers. <laughs> Are they done with me? I mean, if they're done with they're me, I... Yeah. She, she's very articulate. Thank you all very much. Uh, I talk about you a lot. Did you really? Yeah. Okay, yes. we're talking about you a lot now. Good thing. Hey, girl. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing? You like gorgeous. <laughs> love fest right here. I, love I know yeah, this is a love fest. Look like crazy. This is the best comedy. Thank you. With both hands. Oh, they've definitely measured me for it. Oh, okay. I can't say too much about it, but you guys are gonna love it. It's very different from Thunder and Black Lightning. I'll just say that. But it's yes, I have had a video. How does how does Jennifer go about this season dealing with now being a part of a superhero family, being a superhero asking herself? Having these abilities now. The dark version of the Incredibles. Yeah, right? Like really dark version. Let me see. So Yo, she's she's struggling with it. I, I feel like she'll always kind of struggle with it until she becomes more confident in who she is because she's a teenager. She's still just trying to get used to dealing with peer pressure and just simple things about being a teenager. So you add superhero, like, you add superpowers on top of that. It just makes everything more complicated for a kid. So I think she's still going to struggle with it for a while, but that's not going to stop her from suiting up. Don't worry. Uh, speaking of struggling with things as a teenager, uh -oh. how many cell phones has Jennifer gone through? Bro, how many has she gone through on the show so far? Like two or three? Yeah, like two and or then, three. And price like, iPhones. I'm like, yo, and I'm like, sure. And that was, that was <laughs> toward the end of the season. So now you got a whole season worth. Oh. That's actually true. And I've when they've showed up with new phones, like this is your new phone on set. I'm like, how do her parents keep buying her new phones? Like, if this was me, I would go without a phone. Or just get you a cricket. Or just get you a cricket phone. <laughs> Have Gammy give you like a phone case that like lightning. Right, right, right. A pager or something. Or like, she doesn't want. Her parents will be like, you have to do this. We are spending so much money on phones. Right. Please. I'm like, something. my parents would be like, you ain't getting a new phone. We're gonna get you a little flip phone or something. No school, no kids. They don't break the nothing. Well, so electricity and brick. I'm with you on that. So now we just announced uh, Painkiller. What do you think the relationship is going? What the dynamic will be between you and him now? Oh, man. Um... She acts like she doesn't have time for him and like she hates him because of how we ended last season. He basically killed her father, you know? But it's complicated because he doesn't know that Black Lightning is her father. And he doesn't know that she has superpowers. So all of this is it's a very complicated situation, but she acts like she doesn't have time for him. But I think that deep in her heart she does. I got a question about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Van Killer was in the school, right? When it was broad daylight, right? I know. And your daddy was a six foot ten. <laughs> the biggest black dude in, in Atlanta Light, as I like to call him. <laughs> Atlanta Light! Atlanta Light. And when he walked past, she really yelled out, Dad, like, how come nobody else heard that? Right. Right. Yo, it is all. 
it was so obvious. Bruh. But it was bad though because I asked while we were filming it, I was like, should I not be calling him dad, y'all? But I think that that's one thing that kind of slipped through the cracks in the tape because I was seeing my father laying there like after he got hit in the chest. So me yelling out dad was just instinctual for me. So I guess it would be instinctual for Jennifer as well. But that's a good question. I, that's a good question. He's the only six foot ten dude in Freeland. Cut that out of all the interviews. I don't want. Only six foot ten dude in Freeland with the same beard. And everybody just like I have no idea. He could have like, at least shaved. Or put on a toupee or something. <laughs> a toupee. Like he did in the old books with the like like aura. He had the fake afro. Oh my god. Y'all would have killed Celine if he had had an afro. As <laughs> like you would have been okay with that. I've been tweeting crazy jokes to him like, hey man, shout out to Black White and all this. Maybe a dream sequence or something. <laughs> okay, we're gonna try and do a dream sequence this season for y'all. With the Afro. <laughs> a year ago, you came out here and not, the show had not ended. Yeah. You back a year later, fans know who you are. How is it doing this time of coming? Oh my god. Well, it was strange last year at Comic Con because I had a lot of fans from Disney, from Descendants. Um, so it's kind of been the same, weirdly enough. Um, but now we have more fans of like the show as a whole. Like we had a full house just in at our panel. It was crazy when we walked out, like six thousand people, they had to bring in more seats, you know, for people to file in and it was it was insane. And that was something that we didn't have last year because nobody knew. Um, they didn't they hadn't seen the show and they also didn't know who Black Lightning was. I didn't even know who Black Lightning was before I got the audition. So now that people are woke to it and they're aware it's been it's been huge for the show this year. Yeah. for the show. I never really thought about it, to be honest. If she would start singing. <laughs> she become a producer. Is she in Atlanta? <laughs> That's Atlanta Light. That's true. Um, I would honestly have to think about that. But if Celine came to me and, and had written that and was like, I want you to do it, then I probably would do it. So... You just opened up a door, my friend. <laughs> you just opened up a door, okay? Yes. Yes. We have like a lighter in action. We haven't seen you in the yet, but we know it's coming now. Are you getting ready for these action sequences? Are you excited? Well, I just finished filming Descendants 3, not even a month ago. So we had four weeks of fight rehearsals and dance rehearsals and all of that for Descendants. So I feel like that's really going to help me bring <laughs> getting ready to play lightning and I'm really excited about that I wonder how much Jennifer's gonna fight and how much it's just gonna be her powers because she's pretty powerful you know so yeah I, I think that Descendants definitely helped me with the fight sequences on the show thank you boo thank you guys so much y'all rock this is a lit tape <laughs> Jason Edmund and Ashley Robinson said, what up? All right. Hey, man. All right. Okay. All right. Back 
Bearcats. Bearcats. So being Detective Henderson, you got a six foot ten black man. <laughs> here we go. Here it is. All, All right. Get this out the way. And a six foot ten principal. Right. The only difference is one talk with jive and the other one talk straight. Like That's right. That's how do you right. deal with that? How does Henderson deal with that? Henderson has to remember that Henderson is on a superhero show. <laughs> And there's great suspension to disbelief on a superhero show. But you know, there, there was talk before of why we couldn't recognize him, the, 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 the glare, and then we blinded by, you know, the superhero show, man. That's it. And, we, and plus, we don't know how long it's going to last. You know, he may find out this season that his, that his boy is who he really is, you know. Because so. Henderson just got a promotion now. now That's right. Deputy Chief. Deputy Chief. Deputy Chief. That's it. The speech you gave in the season one finale like, wrecked me. It was, to think that a pop might actually acknowledge to his community, like, look, we have a lot of issues and we see that, and we want to be better. And I was wondering, like, for you, like, as you're preparing that speech, were you talking to anyone specifically? Did it impact you in the same way? Wow, that's an interesting, that's a very thoughtful question. Thank you. I think, um, I have been very interested in how law enforcement walks the line of having to support the communities they protect and serve and the fact that those communities don't always support them. So I think I like to read a lot of local stories and talk to people that I know to, to source some of that material because I want to make Henderson not just another you know, detective or Inspector Gordon or something, but actually make him a, a real complex and deep human being. So that's what I was trying to do in that and the fact that you said that it, it struck you, that moves me a lot. So, thank you, man. Thank you. Because it's like, yo, this is real. It's real stuff. I've always said for the show, they take real current day issues that the black community faces and just put it out there. That's right. Like, it's no punches for them. That's right. And one of those issues is black law enforcement in a time where, you know, it is a very interesting time to be a black cop. And who is that person off camera or getting out the squad car that's standing next to some of the things that are going on? Who are you? What do you believe? What do you feel? How do you feel when you see somebody um, violently arrested or taken down or killed? You know, they has to affect that community. It, they can't be just a bunch of robots. So, you know. Yeah. We got to see a little bit of his family last season. Are we going to see more of his home I life? hope so. I, I yeah. hope so. We, we just started not too long ago, so we haven't yet, but I hope so. Because I think that, that'll be very... <laughs> That's very important, I think, for him, because that helps ground him a little bit. Again, yeah. you know, we don't see a Commissioner Gordon's, at least I know, not his family so much. But you know, I like I like to keep it real. And if the whole theme of the show, or one of of the themes of the show, is family and community, it's imperative that we see that. Well, him and Jefferson are both fathers, so they can That's, relate to that. Well, too. We're, we're sussing that out. I think he had a daughter in the original draft, but I don't know if he does anymore. So I don't know if my character has a daughter. So, yeah. Or a father. father. I haven't. I'm a little shy about soliciting feedback, but 
But, you know, I've, I've been in the, Oh, well, I appreciate that. Thank you, man. But I've been on a couple of shows now where I've played some dudes in law enforcement, so I always have a couple of people that I talk to. I'm looking for the... There's a cat on um, the first 48, because I watched, you know, that show. There's an Atlanta... You know, they have a couple of episodes that they shoot in Atlanta, and uh, there's a there's a dude there. I'm like, that's Henderson. <laughs> you know, so when we first started, you know, I almost stole something that he does uh, physically, but I said, no, that's too much. You know, he probably he probably want like commission or something. Right. <laughs> so residual, like, you know, that's you know. That's right. He's like, that's my toothpick. That's my mug or something like that. Yeah. But, no, but there's a dude that I liked a lot. You know, and that's a great city too. So. Sussing that out. Do you want Henderson to stay straight laced as just a cop or maybe get some type of hip tech and gadgets and stuff like that? Man, the hardest part is being the non superhero on the superhero. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everybody, everybody has powers and stuff. And, and I, you know, I'm not happy because I don't have to work as long sometimes. But, but yeah, it's kind of boring when you show up and, you know, that thunder, you know, and then they're like, Inspector Henderson. <laughs> well, it, it is CW. If you don't have powers yet, you nah, have Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know what? I'm I'm in the dark about a lot of it. I've actually only worked a couple of days over a couple of episodes, so I'm in the dark so far. Yeah. Stay tuned. That's all. Appreciate you. Thank you, man. Appreciate you all. Thank you, man. Good to see you all. This one was yours. First of all, thank you for making two, three of my favorite shows. Yeah. Girlfriends, the game, and now being a part of Black Life. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that love. I appreciate that. Why Black Life? Um, that's got to be the first question. What else? Well, because I thought, you know, when we first went to Warner Brothers, after we got out of the deal with BT, we went to Warner Brothers. The one thing that I said before we wound up signing with them is that I wanted to reintroduce a certain type of black man into television. And I thought Jefferson Pierce, AKA Black Lightning, was that man. We needed to see a man who was dedicated to his family, his community, and, uh, and, and that's what he is. And so it, Black Lightning gave me, us, the opportunity to talk about and tell stories that I felt were not being talked about and told. And that's one of the biggest things I wanted to ask you about. The opening scene of the first episode has been booed over. It's like you're going into this and you're pulling no punches. Yeah. How did you decide to take that route, especially with a superhero show on a network like the CW? Yeah. That
important thing to do. So even the idea of him being um, a father, being in, in his 40s as a superhero, that, you know, it's, it's, it's yes, it, it, that's not, it, the superhero is dumb is not, is regulated to somebody 20, 20 to 27. You know what I'm right. saying? And, and so anyway, I'm sorry. I no, 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 I appreciate that. That's what you see in I appreciate you saying shows that, yeah. on the CW. And it was like, okay, you took that chance. Be yourself wherever you are. Yeah. Even let's, on the CW. But well, let's we were be clear. Before on the CW. Yeah. Let's be clear. Yeah. You know, yeah. the CW yeah. put it on. Right. Very true. You know, Mark Pedowitz and Tracy Blackwell, uh, those and, and, and Peter Roth and the uh, Warner Brothers, they put it on. They were, they didn't balk when I said that, and they were true to their word when I said this is what I wanted to do. Uh, and so I think that, that that deserves some credit as well. Is that I think people were, they were ready to do it, and they 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 trusted that I would do it in a way that was true to me, to Mara's point. And that scene, that's that's me. That happened to me in Santa Monica. Uh, and and Culver right City. And Culver City. And 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 so there was no way to do this show uh, without telling the truth. We've seen, not a season one that's been done, uh, and you guys weren't part of the other DC series. Has talks come back with an idea to be part of the other series? We won't. Ever? No. We're creating the Black Lightning universe. The lightning bird. Like Arrowverse sprawled out from Arrow. Do y'all see y'all having more spinoffs? Maybe bringing another characters. Maybe like a Static Shock or someone else. Wouldn't that be great? No characters. We want. We want to. And and we'll say it, and you guys should repeat it. Is that that's what we want to do? We want Static Shock. Static Shock should be in there. Because nobody else's hands it should be in. We haven't seen it. We haven't seen them in yeah. since. Yeah. So. Um, but that's what I love about. You know, and also the milestone comics. You know, hardware and icon and and and, and, all, and bloodstone and all of those. I want them all. Just keep. I want them all. Because I know I've tweeted out to you a lot of times about the appreciation yeah. for writing. Yeah. You know, to know the dialogue is so genuine and so true. The yeah. message everything is conveyed in a realistic way of things that happen to us in our community. Yeah. So I personally want to watch. Thank thing. you, brother. We appreciate it. Thank you so Thank much. You for the love. Mr. and Mrs. Lightning. Hey, what's up? How you doing? I wanted to ask you guys about uh, the interactions. I know Black Lightning has had a powerful effect on the Black community, just being able to see Black superheroes. Um, and I was wanted to talk to you guys about like just general fan interactions. Have you had a favorite moment? Has there been a, like a particularly touching moment? I'm just ruminating. Just oh, you're trying to ruminate? Okay. I mean, you know, generally, I think we talked about this. Um, one of the biggest things is like when fans have a real sense of pride and, and ownership of the show and, and reverence. And I think, particularly, you know, our African American audience, I think they really understand what the show is trying to do and, and they feel like 
there's a there's a place for it and that those stories should be told so you know I feel like there's a there's a real kind of people are so respectful when we meet them in the street and there's there's a real like gratitude that, yeah. that, that somebody is telling that story and that they can see themselves in all different forms in our show so that that's been the biggest thing that the, the fans feel a real connection and pride and, and ownership yeah yeah I mean I, and, and you know in our in our uh hiatus I went to um, quite a few conventions and, I, and just every time I, I at each one I encountered people that kind of almost made me cry you know I mean one it was really interesting it was a an interracial couple that came up and the, and, uh, the husband was like a brother from Brooklyn and his wife was like uh, just a blonde woman from England right and and yeah, he was right. talking about the show and he, and he was getting emotional he started talking about the music and how much he remembers the music. Uh, the music reminded him of, of his grandmother and taking road trips with his grandmother. But then he's just getting emotional about how the show has touched him and like crying. And then his wife then in turn started to, to thank me and thank us for the show. And she started crying because she's like, because of this show, she's like, I now understand him more. I understand yeah. what he's been. What because not only was she you know different race, but also from different a different culture, country. Yeah. And so she's like, I I understand what his life has been like. And. You know, I've I've encountered little kids who've been bullied, and, and like a mother like left me a note to let me know like that he's been bullied at school, and this this like almost made his year just to. to so you're just always encountering servicemen who like say watching the show makes me feel like con- connects us back to the world again. It's just. The stories are like yeah, endless. yeah, it's, it's endless, yeah, and it's pr- and it's profound, you know. Yeah. So I think we're so proud of that. Yeah. Quick question: I know Black Lightning is the face; he's the guy we see the action. Yeah. But Jefferson Pierce is the hero. Yeah. The way he talks to the students. Yeah. The messages he conveys. Yeah. How does that have an impact on you? You know, it. it I, I love voice. I've been talking all week. You know, I, I understand. I understand. Um, like I always say, you know, I. I uh, I took on the, uh, the show, I wanted to do the show because I wanted to play a superhero. So I, I wanted to, to do the show because of Black Lightning. And then once I started really getting into the script and the, and the story, I love Jefferson more than anything. I mean, I watched episodes like when he was interacting with Malik. And I, and I was just like, like I removed myself from what I was seeing and I was like, man, Jefferson Pierce is a cool dude. Like, I really, <laughs> legitimately. And it, he That's reminds right. me like, to, uh, how to be a father, how to parent. You know, I have a 13-year-old and I've got little babies and, and even my manager's like, when I watch you do this this show, he goes, man, Chris has got to be a good parent. But, it, like, it it, uh, it raises Sets the bar. The bar yeah. yeah, yeah. And also, again, I think there's something very important about that. If, if I'm sure all of you, I know I had that one teacher that had such yeah. a profound effect on, on me and my future, yeah. ultimately. Yeah. And probably is the, one of the reasons why I'm sitting here today. And I think that's important that we see that. And yeah. that, that again, you know, we talk about hero, heroism personal heroism servicemen teachers single parents first responders those are the real heroes I think in the community and I think it's good that we have that parallel to to say that you know teachers should be of value they should be at the top of the food chain as far as I'm concerned that's a whole other conversation but you know and I think that's what's so great about our show that there there are real parallels in what what is real and what isn't and how as regular people we can be heroes you know every single day and we are you know Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Is that it?
<laughs> you can you can come party with us later. Thank you. Alright, so we were talking to Jane and he's telling us a little bit about two of you working together. We have so much fun. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about working You know, he's an OG, he's a legend. So when legends speak and you're in the room with them, I get really quiet and I listen and I pay attention and I learn. And um, not to sound cliche, but we really, you know, are like a family outside of the show. So I believe that's what helps it to translate on, on film. So he's like an uncle to me, like in real life. So it's cool just to get in front of that camera and play. And, you know, now that we're in season two, we all know each other really well at this point. We know our characters and we just have fun and go for it. Now, the fact that you are into the superhero realm, yep. but also in this new era where representation is happening, heavy. Heavy. How does that, how does that feel? How does that feel? It's, it's overwhelming sometimes. I, I met with, um, you know, we're at these Comic Cons a good bit, and a, a young woman came up to me. She was a teenager, a lesbian, and she said after seeing Thunder, she felt normal. So to me, that was the greatest reward, and it was really overwhelming. I'm crying, she's crying. And to know that we're being used, you know, to show people what they look like. You know, representation is very important and we all want to see ourselves on TV. So I think that's what's most rewarding for me, knowing that when people tune in, uh, they see themselves. What kind yeah. of challenges can you kind of tease that are going to go like that and this is going to have this season so far? I know you guys have done maybe three episodes, but like what are going to be some of her biggest challenges? And also, how will she help Jennifer kind of usher her in? Well, she's definitely still trying to help Jennifer understand to embrace her powers and that they're, this is a God-given gift and we got to use it to save people who can't save themselves. So they're still kind of butting heads on that and still trying to convince her that this is what you have to, to do. Um, challenges, I think maybe juggling maybe a love life and, and trying to um, be really, really focused but understanding that there's a balance between her love life and you know her career and, and her her. Her, her work as a superhero in the community. Yeah, so that balance. She's so focused on work and so focused that, you know, her family has to sometimes remind her, like, you still need to live. So hopefully a little bit of her love life, we'll see. Yeah, I was yeah gonna we ask didn't about focus Grace. on that. Yeah, oh, look at you're ready, huh? <laughs> no, no, you, you're ready. You answered before I could say it, so. Yeah, I think her love life is, is something that I would like to see a, a bit more of and to see her explore that. Um, not easy dating people when you're a superhero. You can't tell everybody you're a superhero. You gotta trust them and trust the process. That can get weird. So, um, yeah, I'm looking like forward to it. In like different low relationships, they haven't lasted. They haven't lasted because people don't understand her and understand, um, you know, just how focused she is when it comes to that. Like season one, it was just really all about her powers and understanding how to develop them and, and grow as a superhero. That love was on the, the last thing on the list. She jumps right in as soon as she gets in the house. As soon as she gets in the house. Ready to go. She's hyped. She's excited. Would you be the same way? You hell got those yeah, powers. Hell you'd be yeah. Hell yeah. Hell <laughs> yeah. The original. The second one is better. The second one is better. The second one is more practical. Um, but yeah, she just jumped right in. And I think that's where the, 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 the struggle and the conflict comes in with her and Jennifer. It's just like, wait a minute. Like, how are you not going to jump right in? Like, this is what we're supposed to be doing. And for her to have a... Uh, 
you know, different thoughts and feelings about being a superhero. It's just like, how can you not want to come hit the streets with me? <laughs> she doesn't understand. So hopefully we'll see that. That's what I think I'm most excited for is to see all three of us team up. Hopefully we see that this season. So they have, like, Anissa, who's, like, really good co-working with Gamby, who's, like, also really good out there. Uh, do you have any like cool gadgets yet? And if you can't talk about those yet, is there a gadget you want? I want to talk to y'all. <laughs> there is something really cool and new. Um, mm. You got your bike. It's a motorcycle. I can't give it up. Y'all gotta stay tuned. Y'all, y'all gotta stay tuned. It's, it's, it's something really cool. And like her a dad. Cool room. Oh, nice. okay. Nice. All right. Okay. Thank I'll you guys so much. I'm going to wrap it I'll right here. I'll give you that. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. That was a very, very fun press room. That was going on around the same time as The Flash. Like, the overlap wasn't as, like, big as the Riverdale and Supergirl overlap, but the overlap was, like, enough that you had to pick Black Lightning or Flash. And I love The Flash, but, like, Black Lightning, because I was there for that, like, premiere and launch at DC and DC, and because, like, the publicist, you know, gave me a hug, and we follow each other on Twitter and stuff, like, I feel like I have more of a connection to that show, so I chose Black Lightning. Um, the person who played Inspector, Inspector Henderson, too, I'm sorry, he was also there. Uh, I didn't get to talk to uh, Tobias Whale. There wasn't enough time uh, by the time the press room ended, but when it ended... I looked at the time and I was like, you know, there's about like, I don't remember how much time it was, but it was like 15 or 20 minutes left in the flash room. I was like, I'm, I'm going to see, I'm going to try my luck at this. Um, so I went over to where the flash press room was and I was actually not uh, like confirmed for that room because, you know, I was confirmed for black lightning instead, but because the people have seen me in all these rooms all morning, no one really questioned it. Um, I waited at the edge of the table where, like, Tatiana and some of the other people were. And when I think they were interviewing the person who's playing um, Barry and Iris's daughter, Nora, when that person got up, I kind of, like, used that opportunity to go over and, like, get, like, a seat between, like, Tatiana and a few other people and just, like, kind of, like, slip in. And not to be sneaky, but just because I've talked about press room etiquette before, and I hate it when somebody walks into the middle of an interview and announces themselves, sorry, hey, here I am. Like, you wait when they're rotating the people, and then you quietly sit down. That's what you do. And even though I didn't get there till the very end, I mean, I was able to get Candace Patton, uh, Grant Gustin, and, oh, you know what? I think they were talking to the person who plays Cecile when I got in, yeah. Which, uh, I actually like that character, even though she was ridiculous this season. But, yeah, I got Grant Gustin. Candace Patton, um, and then they, they did Tom Cavanaugh and Carlos Valdez together. And uh, so I was like, honestly, I got like four of the main people on the show for showing up like at the like at the end. So that's not bad. And I, I didn't interview Daniel Panabaker, but I did like um, talk to her like a bit after the press room. And um, uh, she she did a video wishing Ben a happy birthday um, because usually they they. Before Ben was going to Comic-Con with me, like, it, it always falls on his birthday, so I get, like, the people from the shows to wish him a happy birthday in the video. So she did that again, and uh, I'll probably play, like, the brief happy birthday montage after the Flash uh, interview. So here are the Flash ones. The nights have been lonely since Gypsy and you split, so... Mm -hmm. Well, will we get more love for Cisco this season? Will we get more love? Yeah. For Cisco? Well, towards Cisco, for Cisco. I think most of the love that's going to be for Cisco is going to come from 
his sororal figure. I'm not going to talk. It's played by the lovely sororal, meaning sisterly. Okay. Okay. Um, it's uh, it's uh, antithetical to fraternal. Yeah, I yeah. got you. So, so anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, the love will mostly come from her and from Ralph, who are have a personal interest in getting Cisco back on his feet in the wake of such a disastrous breakup. And he and Ralph are going to have a bit of a boys' night out, we heard. Maybe just spend some time together as single guys. Who's to me? Apparently, that's what Harley said. This dynamic between you two huh. appears every season between Cisco and Wells. Yeah, it's kind of annoying. That's what I was going to say. Which which you <laughs> came up with that? Is that y'all or is that the writers? Uh, you tell me. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> that doesn't work this time. This is not a spoiler. To people who ask her questions that she doesn't want to answer to. What did she say? What do you think? Yeah, that's what I tell them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not really about the question. Come on. We all know that it's not really about the question. It's about entertainment value. It's right? about entertainment. That's right. <laughs> if, they think it's, if they think it's good, then they'll translate the show's good. Where the film might not be good, but... <laughs> How many Wells will you be playing this year? Uh, um, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think we're going to like try and get the show canceled with so many Wells, but we will do a few Wells. <laughs> we'll get to keep it right in the cusp. Yeah, at some point they're going to like, you know what, cancel. I can't, look at that guy. Somebody, some, you just watch, who's the president of that one? Yeah, Pedowitz is going to yeah, be like, yeah, you know what, he's having a bad morning and then like the dailies come in, he's like, if I have to look at that guy's face one more time, you know what? Tell the flash they're canceled. Click. <laughs> but you know what? It, it, it's a testament to how much faith they have in you that they keep asking you to reinvent yourself. No, 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 no. You know what it is? They're like, we're going to do this until you get it right. That's what I mean. <laughs> it's like, for me, I only got one chance and I nailed it. Yeah, you nailed it. You're on yeah, fire. Yeah, exactly. Whereas for me, I'm like, uh, well, tell them I'll pay them. How much money do you have? Okay, I'll pay them 10 bucks an hour to get one more kick in the can. And that was for Harry. Just wow. who we have to pay now. Yeah. Interesting. Ridiculous. Now, <laughs> we're hearing that people are going to get out of Star Labs more this season. Iris going to be a journalist. Um, Ralph's going to be a detective. Is, are Cisco and this Wells going to be able to exit Star Labs every yes. once in a while? Yes, they are. <laughs> he, I, you know yes. more about this than I do. That's right, I do. I know so much more. Because of Russia Locke. Um, that's right. Yes. That is in the ears of this institution. Yes. That's right. Elementary. Say d'accord. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. That's for you and me. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Tom, you're directing the 100th episode. That's pretty What? Awesome, right? Did they didn't tell you? No? You thought it was the 99. <laughs> well, we had heard that it was he was going to direct 100 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, you know the Russian gulag? It was like penance. Like oh, you know what? Three down. In hell, you got. get everything that you ask for for eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very Sisyphusian. Thank you. He just keeps pushing the rock. He just keeps <laughs> Sisyphusian. Sisyphus. Just keep Sisyphus. Christian the Rock. Sisyphus. My sister's a physician. Sisyphus. 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 Sis
sorry. <laughs> this is terrible. Cut! Okay, moving on. That's, yeah. right. That's all it is. Point the camera at them and get out of the way. That's what I think asked. we saw the whole Thanks. episode right there yeah. with that sister <laughs> position. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank Hopefully you guys. Yeah. 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 Oh, good. Great. Cheers. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Hope we answered none of your questions. Yeah. Like, you guys hey, I got a yes uh, out of you. Congratulations on being a new mom. Yeah. <laughs> and a teenage daughter, so no diapers. So isn't that great? No stretch marks, no morning sickness. It's lovely. Just skip right to Just the, skip the right good to stuff. It, yeah. You didn't have to have psychic pregnancy like Cecile did, no, so. did not. So what are the trials and tribulations of motherhood for Iris? I think next season we're going to see Iris kind of dealing with the fact that I that her and Nora don't have the best of relationship. I think we saw a little bit of that at the very end of the last season and we'll find out why. I think it's gonna be hard for Iris to see her daughter and Barry get along so well and her daughter just wants to spend so much time with her father. Mm. Um, Iris didn't have a mother figure really growing up and I think it's going to speak to a fear she has in herself that in the future she's not the best um, mother. How does she accept the news being a mother, is she, does she just go roll with it or is she like freaked out? Um, I think she's really excited and eager like to have her daughter there from the future because to Iris it means that her and Barry actually get their happy ending that they've been fighting for for so, so long. They both just want to have a somewhat normal life with a family and for Iris it means that in the future they get that and so she's really excited about that prospect. We're going to be seeing Iris back in the journalistic mm -hmm. field. Was that something you were pushing for previously? That you wanted to see that back? I've been pushing for that for years. Yeah. And I think there's been writers and producers who have also been pushing for that. And then, of course, fans who are very vocal about Iris going back to being a reporter. I mean, that's how we know her in the comic books. Um, that's where she got a lot of her agency in the comic books. Um, and I think the reporter aspect is a very cool thing in these superhero shows. It's the Lois Lane kind of character um, that people love. And I think... I was saying to someone earlier, we live in very precarious times where things are difficult and strange and journalism is, in its own way, a form of being a superhero and what you do with your journalism, how you use your sense of reporting. And so I think it would be very interesting to see um, them explore those kind of themes through Iris and through the metahuman world. And um, I hope it's something we really do right on our show because I think there's a lot of power behind it. Talk a little bit about how Iris returning to journalism more will affect the deep dynamic. At that, I don't know because I don't know how much they're going to be dealing with the journalism dynamic. I do know that Iris will still be very much part of the team. Um, she won't be disappearing from Star Labs. Um, yeah, so she'll be she'll be around. She'll still be in the thick of it. What is something that you've learned playing your character? Something I've learned from playing my character, either as like an actor or as a person. I mean, I've learned a lot as an actor. Um, it's been quite a journey for Iris. There's, I've had a lot of heavy work over the seasons in terms of emotionally, and you know, learning how to do four, five, six takes of that. Just having stamina as an actor. Um, I've learned um, improv and just trying new things. And when you work with someone like Tom Cavanaugh, it's like. You may have your lines, but he doesn't care. We're going to make new lines. Like, forget the script, we're writing a new script. So it's been really fun to just work with someone and be present and try new things. It always keeps me on my toes. Every actor on our show has their own strength, and it's only made me stronger um, by getting to work with them. 
will Barry and Iris get any parenting advice from Joe and Cecile? Oh, I'm sure. With baby Jenna? I'm sure. Joe is like the wise sage of the show. Um, so yeah, there'll be a lot of, you know, West House conversations on, on how to be a good parent, what that looks like, and the struggles and the joys of that. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. How are we doing? Good, how are you? Yeah, yeah. good. How are you feeling about season five? Great so far. It's, yeah, I think it's going to be a really good season. It's been uh, really cool having Jessica around. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think at first there's a little bit of uh, um, skepticism because we've had people walk into the cortex before and say, like, they're so-and-so and then they're not so-and-so. <laughs> Um, but I think Barry and Iris both um, kind of just like have a gut feeling that this is their daughter um, and maybe that's naivety but uh, they you know both feel like this is her it's uh, first of all Jessica looks like she really could be our daughter um, but yeah they just um, they think it's her and I think Iris is kind of thrilled and wants to get to know her and wants to connect with her and thinks it's great that she's here and I think Barry is a little more uh wondering why because um he feels like you know I, if this is my daughter i'd like to think that probably in the future i told her like you know like don't time travel for fun um so yeah i think he's a little concerned about why she's here um there's clearly a lot that she's not telling us i think barry starts to pick up on some tension between uh that she has with iris um there's, there's like clearly some kind of beef there um, and she's real clingy with Barry, and he doesn't know why. Um, but he can kind of tell something's off. Um, so it's it's a it's a mentor dynamic kind of at first, I guess. He's trying to help her figure out her powers, but he wants to kind of figure out why why everything is, you know, why she's here and whatnot. But I think he's kind of taking it easy because he doesn't want to. Too much, too fast, I guess. Last season was kind of a throwback to the first in terms of the tone and things slightly lighter. Yeah, at least initially. Initially, yeah. And it kind of got real, got real fast. Yeah. Um, how does this season compare so far? Is it kind of tone, tone wise? Somewhere, I think we're in the pocket now. You know, I think Jessica was a really good addition. Um, and, you know, now we've Hartley as permanent fixture and we've got Danny as a permanent fixture. And I think it's the kind of best dynamic our cast, cast has ever had. Um, and yeah, the first episode's really funny, but it also, like, I've been comparing it to our pilot. I think it's our best first episode since our pilot. We've got an action sequence in it that um, is something straight out of the comics that, like, when I, I read in 2013 or whatever, when I was shooting Arrow and, like, thinking of, dreaming of, like, stuff we could do someday on Flash and we're doing something I thought we would never be able to do. The, um, so there's a really cool action sequence. It's funny. It's got... You know a lot of the family tones, so it's I. I don't want to speak too soon, but I think it could be our best season. I think it's, it'll be what Flash should be. In terms of the family tone, yeah, um, Flash has it's unique in that Barry and Iris, you and Candace, have been able to develop that relationship for years. Yeah, you know, to become a family on screen. Yeah. So what is it like developing that on screen relationship with Candace? With Candace. Yeah, it's been fun. I mean, because you know it's been a roller coaster and. Uh, we didn't get to see a lot of it, but we've seen windows into it. But, like, you know, they've been in each other's lives since they were 11. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it goes so deep. I think it's this kind of relationship everybody kind of wishes they could have. That someone that's been your best friend since childhood that you kind of 
slowly fall in love with and um, realize there's nobody else that you'd want to be with. And I mean, they're each other's rocks. So it's, yeah, I mean, from the very beginning, I remember they like entertained the idea of like love stories with like Barry and Caitlin or like what we do other, you know, or like early on, you know, it's like how, how soon do we want to do Barry and Iris? But it always felt like I was pushed like, this is the love of his life. Like if it's, like, let's let's go for that. You know, it's more interesting. So it's it's the type of relationship I think. Yeah, everybody would like to have. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Ben Turner, happy birthday, man! Happy Comic Con. Happy birthday, Ben. Happy birthday, Ben. Thank you. Do you remember interviewing him at DC and DC? Uh, yeah, I heard you talking about where where is he? He's at church camp this week. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, Tell him we miss him. Yeah. Hey, happy birthday, Ben. Happy birthday, Ben. Happy birthday, Ben. What's up? Yeah. Happy birthday, Ben. Thank you. I do. I remember this dude. Oh, yeah. How's he doing? He's at church camp this week, but it's his birthday. Oh, cool. Tell him happy birthday for us. Yeah, you gave him an exclusive. He was so happy. I did it. And while Flash and Black Lightning was going on, Donovan, you were at um, Batman the Animated Series. Yes, the uh, release of the Blu-ray thing. And I think that, like, lately they've been kind of making up reasons to kind of have BTS panels at Comic-Con. Not that, I, not that that show isn't, like, gospel <laughs> to me. But yeah, I, remember, I was at a panel for this at, like, New York Comic-Con, too. I remember they had, they had um, a... 21st anniversary of Batman the Animated Series, and then had, like, last year it was like Mads and Phantasm on Blu-ray, and I was like, you know, Batman the Animated Series on Blu-ray, which, and, and they have a big mega release coming out in October, which, which is going to be really sweet. I'm, I'm probably going to get it, but um, heck yeah. I mean, like, uh, a lot has been said of this show, and while its legacy is deserved, deserving, it's I'm not gonna say it's hard, but I feel like it's it. it it sometimes can be kind of disingenuous. And I think that like what you'll hear on this on this interview is that like there is a guy who insisted on asking the first three questions for everybody because he clearly had never heard of them before. Um, and he's like, so what's it like being Batman, Kevin Conroy, or whatever? Or what's it like, you know, directing Kevin Conroy, Andre Romano? And they kind of pissed me off, but he was always very quick. Like once he was done, he was done. And like I, not not to sound a certain type of way, but like you know. As a somebody who's been, who kind of grew up and kind of became a fan of, fan of these people, like I've heard a lot of these stories before, so I try to kind of come up with story, come up with questions. Whether I, whether I did or not, it's up to the listener. But like, um, I try to ask questions that they've not heard before, and like, um, I felt a real like one thing that I've always thought of, of these these folks is that like they really enjoy being celebrated for, for the work that they do. Like Andre Romano, um, Kevin Conroy. Um, Alan Burnett, they all seemed very happy to, to be there. Um, Bruce Sim wasn't there, actually. Um, I don't know if later after the panel. Um, but uh, this is my first time ever, ever talking to Paul Dini. Um, Paul Dini was there at the very first press event we did with uh, Arkham, Arkham City with Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill, but we didn't talk to Paul Dini. Um, so this is cool. And, like, he came by, and, like, everyone was like, oh, hi, Paul, hi, Paul. And he was shaking his hand. I just sat there. I was like, I was waiting my turn. And he, like, looked at me in the eye and, like, held his hand. Like, hi, nice to see you. So, like, that, that was a really solid introduction. Like, when we were done with these um, interviews, I got out and I was like, you know what? You know, I'm, I'm a fan of these people. I'm going to get selfies with them. So I got a selfie with Kevin Conroy and Lauren Lester and uh, Alan Burnett and Paul Dini. And, like, and, like, 
it was kind of weird because like Paul Dini and I were on a certain side of the camera, so it took, it took a little while for us to settle it. But like they were very patient and they were very down for it. Like they were not snobby at all. So like this is probably my favorite thing that I did this year. I mean, okay, it's a three-way tie between this, the the breakfast, and hanging out with Harry. But this is definitely one of my favorites of the year because it was a real fan thing, and it was involved in like a press event that um, I thought uh, went overall pretty well. And was Tara strong? Not at this one. She, uh, we were expecting her because we were trying to make some room for her, and she bailed at the last minute to go to another another uh, panel or signing or whatever. It was Kevin Conroy, Lauren Lester, Audrey Romano, Paul Dini, Alan Burnett, and Eric Adamski. Um, I, I don't think I, I, she was supposed to be there, but she she didn't arrive there. And I think Bruce Tim was only supposed to be at the, at the press event, or I'm sorry, at the panel, not, not the press event. But um. It was it was pretty it, was, it went by pretty well and I would have liked to talk to I talked to Tara Strong a lot I would have liked to talk to her about Batgirl for this that wasn't the Killing Joke yeah um, because because she was really because she was Batgirl when Lormus was was Nightwing so that was that, that would have been their dynamic but like um it was still fun yeah I I noticed that um like there was a few things I think she was supposed to be at the it was the Lego villain she was supposed to be at one or two other things I was at and she wasn't so I was surprised. I mean, she's such a she's one of the most prolific voice actors around. That like I'm, and I know that she was there because I remember when we, outside. Actually, when we were outside of the boat, I saw her walking around with her kids. Yeah. Oh yeah, like she's like Kevin Conroy, where like we see her at these things like so many times. So I wasn't like, oh man, we missed her. But I was curious about like, huh, you know, like I, I we used I, to be I, that way. I remember Stella was chasing her for a while. Yeah, and I remember, like, I ran into her once while Stella was gone, and, like, I had her call Stella, but, like, Stella, like, put me the voicemail or something, and, like, like, hello, this is Tara Strong, Batgirl, hi, Stella, I'll see you later. I do remember, like, yeah. <laughs> there was one year, I, I literally, like, like interviewed her, I think, like, three days in a row, and, like, on the last day, I realized, like, she was her and the voice of Vicky from Fairy Idol Parents. I was like, oh, my God, it's going to be Vicky! <laughs> like, I thought that was, like, a sneak attack. Like, I had no idea that that was what I was doing. Director, producer, writer, writer, all around Gary, Mr. Burnett. So, yes. Um, when you came to the animated series, you had uh, worked on it was like a season of the Super Friends, uh, correct? I worked two seasons of Super Friends, the last two seasons, which was '83, '84, something like that. So, what what did you want to bring to the animated series in terms of like? Uh, not so much tone, but also like you know style. Like, what were the things that you've not seen in the cartoons that the comic books were doing that you wanted to do? Violence. <laughs> and you know, uh, Super Friends was a nice experience and a horrible experience because I was making a show that I discovered had to be appropriate for two-year-olds. So it's two to six-year-olds, really. It's the audience that I was dealing with, and uh, I had such hopes to change the Super Friends. And I got into it, and it was just impossible. So um, uh, the thing about Batman is, if he's not going to do a fist fight, and if you're not going to have guns going on, what is the point? <laughs> and so we made, so uh, Jean McCurdy, um, who I worked with at Hanna-Barbera, she was the president of Warner Brothers Animation, and she uh, said, we got your show on, come on over. And I didn't believe her. And she showed me the trailer that, that uh, Bruce and Eric had made. And I said, and I, and I still said, I, I still said, you know, something's going to happen where I'm, they're going to say no to this in the end. 
but they didn't. Uh, we had very good people at Fox uh, who were pushing us to make this a different show. And it was a 3.30 show, so adults would be watching it, kids would be watching it. We got sort of a tween demographic of 14-year-olds, which nobody had ever gotten. Two-year-olds liked our show because <laughs> it was quiet and it was colorful. And so we got a good demographic on two-year-olds. <laughs> so... Was there anything, uh, even after the, the successful run and the enemies and everything, that, that you still wish you would have done uh, way back when? Or are you pretty satisfied overall? You know, I'm pretty satisfied. You know, you go, you go back. There's no big, oh, if we only did this. Paul and I wanted to write a half hour. It was called Silent Night. It was a Christmas story. And it would be, there would be no dialogue. And we talked about that, and we started writing a little bit of it, and it just it just didn't work out. Time ran out. But that's I mean that's one episode that I uh, I, I I wish we had done, but it's okay. What about the? Wasn't there one called the Last Gun Story that was supposed to be about? Yes, that was uh, uh, that was a story about the gun that killed Batman's parents, and they, we followed through the creation of the gun. To the point where Batman, you know, it goes from hand to hand to hand. The point where Batman gets his hands on the gun in the end, and he throws it sort of back in the furnace and melts it. And uh, it was just too much. Uh, there weren't too many, too much stories for the network. They were pretty good to us, but that was one that was just too tough. But I think it's on as bonus material. You can read it. That's what I was going to ask next. So uh, on this upcoming release, is it on this release? <laughs> it's been on a release, I think, before, but I have a feeling they're giving it to you again. Okay, I don't remember seeing it on another podcast. It's just something I've heard about on podcasts and other interviews. I've never, uh, I've never uh, watched myself. <laughs> Did you record any commentary for episodes? Yeah, I've done that in the past. Are they doing more for this release? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. Or maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so. They're doing a big documentary with Talking Heads. Some of some of these heads you haven't seen talk before. Gene McCurdy's going to be on it. She was the president. And some other people. So, um, and I think it's going to be about an hour long. Sydney Iwander, who was uh, our chief programmer at Fox, he'll be on that. And he's fun. Any chance to bring it back? Uh, the, uh, Batman the anime series? No. I don't see, I mean, I, not really. Occasionally, we talked about doing Batman the Animated Series as a DVD. Just one big story in that style. But nothing ever came back. One more question. One more. Okay, at the time, yes. I, it was... I believe it was the first show that was the first superhero show that was in that kind of full animation look and like like we've been talking about how more mature. What do you remember what the reaction was from like when you first with like reviewers and things like that or how it was perceived? Because for me it was it was a real I, it was like a show I'd been dreaming of when I was disappointed watching Super Friends as a kid. <laughs> I remembered a bad review in the LA Times. Huh. You're kidding. No, I was. And I was like, come oh, on. <laughs> Why do they like it? I can't tell you. I really <laughs> what? Let's get them. No. Yeah, let's do it. Shall I follow? Armand Might have been. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, your question was to... Just, I mean, it was, to, for me, it was like a, just 
something I'd never seen before. And yeah. I was wondering if you know people realized that at the time because I was blown away. Fans did, yeah. yeah. You know, and we did get good reviews. And, you know, it's been been around with us for a while. And the TV Guide said it's the second most favorite uh, animated show or something like that. And so it. And we're doing it. It's, uh, 26 years later, we're sitting here. 27 yeah. years later, we're sitting here doing this. So it spoke. It spoke a lot to people. So, and I'm very happy about that. Yeah, people like it. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you real fast. I was on. Well, I was on Justice League Action, uh, and uh, we got a lot of live action writers who came in who wanted to do the show because because they just wanted to do. Because they watched Batman, yeah. you know, and they came home as kids. They rushed home from middle school or wherever, and they came home for this must-see TV, and and that told me a lot. That was a, that was a nice going away to retirement. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Challenges in you know doing this show, being the voice director on this show, because it was kind of different from the other shows you had done. Indeed, um, most of the work I had done before this were the cartoony shows, the broader shows, and so what I had to find casting-wise was killer actors, really good actors who could act with the voice. And as I've said before, actors who've had stage experience, they tend to be the best actors for animation because the energy is right. It's a little bit more boosted. People work only in film and TV, very small, quiet, because the camera picks up a lot, right? So um, finding a whole new talent pool was really a challenge, and joyous, a joyous challenge. And uh, because it's a known property, it was relatively easy to get people interested. The trick was to see if, if they could do it, if they could actually pull it off. So sometimes I would do what's called a phone audition, which is I would send the copy to the agent and say, I'm looking for someone to play the Riddler, as an example, and have John Glover call me at 2 o'clock on Thursday afternoon and we'll run through the piece together and I'll be able to tell if he can do it. And we would chat on the phone for a moment and he'd run through the cup and go, yep, he'll be fine. And so that was always kind of fun to get to do that without the actor having to come all the way in and audition, we could just do it over the phone. Uh, so that was a, a serious challenge. So was there anyone that you really had a blast with? Was there someone who you were kind of you maybe surprised that they got to work on the show? Because there were some really cool guest stars as the show went along. Um, you know, it was a dream for me because I would just say to Bruce Tim, I really want to work with blah, blah, blah. I've been Roddy watching McDowell. him on. Yeah. Right, Roddy McDowell. And he was so generous and kind and wonderful, Roddy, with his performances. And he would just tell fabulous stories about Planet of the Apes. And, you know, you know it's always fun to talk to actors about the other work that they're really proud of. And, you know, of course, we didn't know we were going to make an iconic cartoon when we started. We just wanted to make a really good cartoon that we would enjoy watching. And then come to find out that everybody liked it, too. And so, um, remarkable people. And, and you could tell what I was watching on TV. If you watch the show chronologically, you go, okay, she was watching that because there's all those actors from that series. And then she was doing that. And then, you know, things like... You know, Mickey Dolenz. I hired a monkey, you know, because I wanted to meet him and I thought he had a fabulous voice. And I like that kind of going outside of a typical pool of talent, you know, to bring in like a Michael DeBar or someone like that who typically wouldn't do this work but would be really fun and would enjoy it. And, you know, Bud Court, 
You know, I, I admired so much his work on Harold and Maude, and I thought, let me find something fabulous for him, and he came in, it was fantastic. And so everyone from George Zanza, you know, I'd just seen The Deer Hunter. It's like, well, let's bring in this guy. He's crazy good. And, and so all those wonderful actors, it was just joyous. So my last question is, what were one of your best memories of getting to work on this show, or what do you even miss most about working on this show? I, I miss working together in a group in creating a performance creating an actual track I don't miss the business side I don't miss the casting the casting's hard it really is hard because I have a lot of people to please but I miss sitting across from Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill and John Glover and whoever else and just going okay let's let's play this scene a whole different way and then what is your thought about that okay let's play it your way because after a while they have as good ideas as I do because they've been playing it for you know decades and so we all had an input and, and that was a joy one and what it did was it took a little bit of the weight off my shoulders because everybody gets to know the characters so well I don't have to remind them don't forget this guy came from this and this and this they all know at that point after many episodes that this is their history but I always wondered why does everybody keep going to Crime Alley don't they know the stuff that went down there it always made me laugh that people would go to a place called Crime Alley it's like building a house in Tornado Alley why would you do this <laughs> Which character was the hardest to cast? Oh, good question. Um, I don't, I don't want to mix up my series because I did a bunch of Batman series and I think about like Batmite and stuff, but that would not be that one. <clears throat> well, you know, Joker is always hard because Joker is so well known of all the villains. But, boy, what was the hardest one? Robin was hard because I had worked on enough series where I hired a real kid and after two seasons their voices changed and I had to find a kid who was as good an actor but sounded like that first kid. So that makes it even harder to cast. So finding Lauren Lester, an adult, who could still sound like a kid whose voice was not going to change and who could still pull it off, that was a real challenge. But I do like working with kids. I like their natural, you know, they'll be in the middle of a sentence and they'll take a breath where an adult would never take a breath. <clears throat> or they'll, you know, they'll gasp. <gasps> so, so sweet and cute and different than a, an adult would. Last I really question. Okay. You, um, uh, yes. Did Batman, Superman, Batman Beyond, uh, they're on the same universe, but they're different shows. Correct. Was there, did you try to match the casting performances to the show, or was it all kind of the same sort of real, natural performance? You know, they each were different, and so I tried to make them be a little bit different. Batman Beyond was different than Batman. It had a slightly different feel to it. It had a younger kind of feel to it, you know what I mean? The cast was a younger sounding cast, and the energy of it was a little bit different. Um, Teen Titans, even, when we got to those kinds of shows, they were different. Batman Brave and the Bold, that was much more of a, a comedy than the others. And so each one, you want them, you don't want to repeat yourself, just to not get bored, right? You want to do something that's a little bit different, so you bring yourself your own challenges. Just go, what, what can I do to, to twist this a little bit to make it not exactly the same casting? And you do find actors who can do this, the, the, you know, this different shows, same actors, but they, they understand the different energy. So you find actors that you love working with and you can't help but bring them back in in another show. So Ron Perlman shows up in many of my series and you know Clancy Brown and other people you just love. The end. Thank you very much. Thanks, you guys. It's really nice to see you. Hello. Hello. How are you? So, um, so Eric, so I was wondering, um, as far as producing this show, what did you uh, find challenging about producing this show and help bring it uh, to life? Well, there's two sides to the production because one is the obviously the art direction and preparation for animation, but the other side is managing the production. So we. Uh, 
unusual, usual in, or, or typical in the day, but these days rare that you get 65 episodes ordered up front. So we, when Bruce and I went into this, it was both our first time running a show. So the little uh, minute and a half film that we had done was sort of proof of concept. But then when you step into a production and you have real dates and you've got a real budget and you've got a staff to hire, that then you learn what it's about to truly produce a show. So the art and production side, although it's challenging and you're always trying to outdo yourself and a lot of you know creative choices to be made, that's the fun part. The, the difficult part is managing 70 people and their personalities and getting them paid and all of the issues that go on when you've got people working you know 15 hour days in a room and uh, it, it it's a challenge trying to manage that family that it eventually becomes and still put out a product on time and be responsible for for all the elements of that production so what did you enjoy most about working on this show uh, anytime i got to do actual artwork i wasn't you know because bruce and i were both you're bouncing between at any one time there's probably five shows in production at different stages so you're approving storyboard but you're also looking at designs for the next episode and then you're conceiving designs for yet a script that's coming down the pike and commenting on scripts that are still in production trying to prep all that stuff so when you find time to actually go back to your room and either even to get be, be able to give notes on design to actually sit and draw or paint or give direction was probably the most satisfying but it, as the production went along it just became more and more rare and uh, uh, you know to have that time to actually sit down and, and create artwork so actually developing the, the artwork for each episode was probably the most satisfying and it just became few and far between the, the deeper you got into the production because you had to be responsible for everyone else. Yeah. Where are the title cards now? I was going to ask that. Oh yeah. gosh. Um, you know that I know that uh, for a long time after I left uh, Warner's they had you know the studio was fairly new when uh, Bruce and I started Batman because they started off with Tiny Toons so I was there for two years he was there for the same two years and Tiny Toons was the only production by the time we started Batman it swelled into three productions and then went out to maybe five after that but during that second phase they had developed an archive in the studio so all of the artwork was archived and cataloged and somewhere Warner Brothers has a catalog of all the original artwork so whatever existed we were you know, as we got into the flow of the show we would finish an episode and then everything would go from the production managers and producers would go into the archive and they would catalog everything and unless you managed to slip stuff into your portfolio which many people did um, that's where it all ended up but I, I think most of those title cards are uh, in archives, but I'm sure uh, some of them have slipped away. And I would love to say that I've got some, but I, I have none of them. Whose idea was it to do those? Very I think Bruce and I were both. You know, it, it all sort of evolved out of the the pulp sort of influence on the show. And as we were developing the show, we needed. Tiny Toons had title cards attached to to all those shows, and they were, uh, you know, influenced by the original Looney Tunes. So we thought we would do our version of it. But since we're doing drama and we're doing, uh, we we considered all of the films as miniature features. Is the way we approached them. So then we looked back to the pulp sort of influence and uh, all the noir uh, influenced films, 
and thought, let's just do title cards that are going to go into the style of the show. And it really set the tone because you'd play the theme, you know, sure, yeah. the theme for each character with it. Yeah, and it just worked out. It, it was, uh, again, as so many things that came with the show and uh, the fact that it's lasted as long as it did, you'd love to think that, oh, we knew this was going to be great and people were going to love this. It, it just was what we were doing at the time. And the fact that it, it stuck and people gravitated towards it, it's, it's kind of cool, but I literally couldn't see it until at least for myself, until I was removed from it, you know, a few years later, and you'd start hearing folks from the outside commenting on it, and then you'd kind of realize that, oh, yeah, it turned out pretty good, but you would love to know that that was absolutely from the beginning. We knew it was going to be that way. It's like, it sounds like a lot of juggling for oh. that. So what happens when you get Mask of the Phantasm on top of the show, which is probably well, the best film in the Batman ah, That's That's Incredible. a great compliment to everybody that worked on it, but, but it, it happened to come at the... Uh, towards the end of the 65, the first order, they had ordered an additional 20 episodes and Phantasm was going to be done simultaneous just by coincidence. So Bruce and I just decided he was going to finish up the 20 episodes, I was going to go on to the long form, and that's kind of we, we were still bouncing back and forth for both productions, but they just happened uh, together. And originally that uh, Phantasm was just going to be a direct-to-video. You know, there was no intention until, and the story's been told before, but I was overseas handing the show out to the Korean studios and you're going through and talking about storyboards and what the show's supposed to be and then got a call from LA and they decided there was a window that they could release it in the theaters and said it's going to be a theatrical release and we were like are you out of your fucking minds? <laughs> this wasn't designed at all for the big screen not only in the quality but even the format you know we had to we came up with a last ditch effort to to build a frame that we could work over the top because the ratio on the screen was set for television and they suddenly wanted it to go to full widescreen theatrical. So we ended up building a frame that overseas could use on their layouts so that they could preserve all the animation and storyboard that we had planned, but then they would have to add fielding on, on either side just to compensate for the screen. But then the line quality was an issue, and they weren't going to spend a lot more money on it. They were going to give enough. Basically, the money equated to they're going to give overseas a couple more months to finish, and that's how we got our additional budget. But all that meant was a little bit more careful attention to line quality, because once it's going to blow up on the big screen, the image is going to fall apart and you know, to this day I saw the film for the first time in 20 years maybe a year ago at a screening in LA and I, half the film I couldn't even look at I was just like uh, no it's it's everybody that likes it likes it but I only see the imperfections because there's so many things that because of the, the fact that it wasn't intended for the big screen there's things that are out of focus and you know details that are really kind of mushy that again they look great on a on a table-sized piece of artwork but once you blow it up it's like oh shit that's you went really on to um, work on the spawn anime series yes what uh lessons or tricks you, you took from batman anime series did you include in that show well Purely by coincidence, Spawn was as dark as it was, but we just happened to get the, the uh, additional bonus of going R-rated. So it just further supported the idea of maintaining the drama. Now it was, you know, in this, even though it's <laughs> going to be reported, um, you know, working with Todd on that, it was, uh, he wanted it to be dark, bloody, violent, and yet the very nature of Batman was to suggest that dark violence and brutality, whereas on Spawn there was a, an uh, urgency to show that, and I didn't 
it was a challenge to, to manage that because that wasn't my first take as to the way it should have been done, but Todd was pretty insistent on the way he wanted that portrayed. So, you know, brought as much of the, the staging and compositions that we could take from the dark shadows of, of Batman and push it a little bit further and try and build into the scripts some of that drama that suggested a lot more of the what's in the shadows than showing it. So it, it was, you know, we, we had fun with it. It was great, but again... It was it was no Batman. So, you know, it, it just, uh, How does it feel to have contributed so heavily to Batman's history? Uh, it's it's overwhelming to hear it at this point because um, again, in the midst of it, it was a steady gig, and it was you know working with great people, and we we all had the same goal in mind to produce a, a quality show. But not until, again, you're removed from it by a few years and experiences on different shows to realize how unique it was and how many incredibly talented people were working on the show at the time. And you knew it at the time and respected it, but you just didn't know what it would become. So now to look back at it, it's, it's really just a privilege to have been there at the time and working with the people that we worked with. And, uh, you know, it, you, do, you just don't get opportunities like that because ever since, I've worked on a lot of different things very much with the same work ethic and attempt to try and make the quality, but there's never going to be another battle, you know, and that it's not only because it was the first big show we worked on, but it was a unique scenario and, you know, all, all of the planets were in line to allow us to be able to do what we did. So, What do you think more modern animated series can learn? Um, I, I wish that the executives that order the shows when, you know, this is when they reference doing a show like Batman, if they would let us do a show like Batman, they would have great shows. But they reference it and then they pull everything out that made Batman successful as it was. And that so means they like learn the wrong lessons. Well, or, or they don't really know what the lessons were. You know, I have my issue with executives in general that a lot of them sort of get to that position sideways and then they're dictating to the creators what shows should be and it's like but you hired me because we did that but now you don't want to let me do that and and that's why a lot of the shows suffer from the same problems it's you know second guessing by people that just don't have the skill or the experience to really produce quality shows so when whenever a solid show comes out I'm applauding all along to think I don't know how you did it but good, you know, good for you because it's 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 really difficult to get shows made these days with reboot so popular right now what's stopping you guys from going to Sam Register and saying let's, let's do a 13 episode order yeah that's that I, I that would be a Sam Register request you know I, I, I yeah I'm no longer associated with Warners but uh, I don't know I, I I've, uh, I certainly would think that that's where they want to would go you, would you be open I, I, to it I don't I, honestly I thought about that because of all the reboots that were happening when they mentioned Rugrats was coming up yeah. and for me it would be just leave it alone you know let it be what it was because it's as solid as it was and, and I'm not doubting that it could be replicated but it's almost like you just don't want to you don't want to try and redo it again you don't want to rebuild the pyramids it's like they're the pyramids and they're the pyramids leave them alone you can build them better and stronger and different but uh, you know it, it's for, and that's for me that's fans might love that and I'm sure it could be done it's just uh, it, it just seems almost desperate to want to recapture something that lived when it lived so uh, I'd rather just leave it alone leave it as it was what was your favorite Batman episode? We, we, they, the other table asked me the, my top five, so I'm going to go to the one that came up 
last in my memory, but it truly is the favorite is On Leather Wings, the very first episode, because it was the first time we saw the entire, you know, year and a half that we had planned and developed and put the show together to see it come back and be as pure as it was uh, is probably, you know, that's very favorite in my mind. Well, Thank you very much. Right, thank, thank you. So, Kevin, let's just jump right into Here we go. It. So, um, so when you uh, found you were doing uh, Batman, how did you, uh, what was the process of making it your own, but making it like, you know, something fans would enjoy? The, you know, it was the first animated character I ever even auditioned for, which just does not happen. That just doesn't happen that way. Um, I was a New York actor who happened to be in L.A. shooting a pilot. My voiceover agent said, go over to Warner Brothers to bring together a new show, give it a shot. So it was really a true um, kind of Hollywood moment of an actor in a booth using his imagination and nailing it. And that doesn't happen you know it might happen in movies from the 30s or 40s but it doesn't happen in real life so I was just so fortunate to have that happen that day um, and I think the reason it happened was because I had no preconceptions I I didn't know a lot about Batman the only thing I knew about him was the uh, Adam West show uh, which everyone loved but was not what they were doing with this they were going noir dark gritty um, the Legend of the Dark Knight, you know, they were going back to that stuff. Um, so I just improvised on the spot, and it led to 27 years of work. And so, for my last question, what do you miss most about working on this show? The cast, the cast. That's what made this show so wonderful. Aside from the great stories, the beautiful hand-painted cells, all the artwork, the full symphony score. Everything about this show was up a few notches from what had been done before, which is why it still looks so great and sounds so great. I think Eric said it was like mini-movies is how they... Each one was like a mini-movie. It was incredible. And they never were talking down to the audience. No one ever did it like, oh, this is a kid's show. Everyone always went in like, we're doing theater. It was always like a booking. And Andrea always admit, uh, insisted on getting all the actors together, which doesn't happen usually. Usually they record act actors separately. But at Warner Brothers, you always came in as a group. So Mark is the most incredible, generous actor as, as um, Joker. And he would make me be such a better Batman. And, and he said that I would, I would give him so much that it would make him do more. So there was this symbiotic relationship. And then and that would happen with John Glover and Roddy McDowell and Adrian Barbeau and Richard Mull. And, you know, I mean, the cast was just a who's who of who was working in Hollywood in the 90s. And on the 100th episode, uh, I think it was the 100th episode, Warner Brothers took out a two-page spread in Daily Variety to thank everyone who'd worked on the show up until that point. I have it. I still have it at home. It was, it was breathtaking to look at all the names that had been on that show. Because when you're doing it show by show by show by show over the years, you don't 
think about who's been in each one, you know what I mean? But to see them all there lined up alphabetically, I thought, this is an amazing group of actors that they put together for this. And Andrea used to tell me she had no problem booking actors because everyone wanted to do this show. Um, word got out how much fun these bookings were. Everyone wanted to come in. So I got to work with amazing people over the years um, that it, I never imagined I would be working with. So what do I miss most? The cast. Definitely the cast. What's been one of the best parts about portraying Batman for you? Like, when looking back on your career from all the video games and series, what's the best part about it? What he means to the audience. He is such a noble character. The stories that I hear, the wonderful thing about Comic-Cons, which I love going to, is you get to interact with the audience. You know, I'm a stage actor. That's half the reason I'm an actor. I love interacting with the audience. I love that feeling from the house at night. It's like a drug. You just love it. And when you record in a booth, you never get any of that, you know? You, 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 you do the best you can to fill out the character, to flesh out the character, but you never have that, that answer, that communication with the audience. And you go to Comic-Cons and you get it. And the, the stories that I hear from people, um, people who just want to hug me and say, you have no idea what you got me through as a child, what my house was like, and you were the safe place. Batman was my hero. Batman was the noble place I would go to every afternoon. That's an amazing thing to be a part of with people, you know? Because when you're a voice of an animated character, you really live in people's imaginations much more than the live-action characters do, which is why I have a leg up on the actors who, who do Batman live-action, because I don't have to deal with this, you know, on camera. I get, to, I, get to, I get to create him totally with my voice. And then it lives through the cartoon. And he is an animated character. He, he lives in people's imaginations. So when you live in someone's imagination, you're in a very intimate place, especially when they're children growing up with the, with the character. So that's the thing I, 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 I think I'm most proud of in terms of having played him is, is what he resonates with the audience, how he resonates with the audience. Your best. That's all we hear is your best. <laughs> <laughs> I read that uh, Andrea actually convinced you to audition for Batman in lieu of Joker. Have you ever imagined a world in which you would be? Being Joker? a typical actor, right? <laughs> I'm in this audition, I go in and I nail Batman. But I'm looking at the script and I'm going, you know, Bullock's a much more interesting character. <laughs> you know, Commissioner Gordon, that'd be fun to do. What about Joker? Yeah. So I went, you know, I could do a really good New York, uh, you know, uh, cop. And she goes, Kevin, shut up. <laughs> They're interested in you for the role that you will be in every episode. Every, get it? Every episode. I said, yeah, but, but Bullock is so much fun. She said, shut up. You're talking yourself out of this role. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, uh, I've been someone else. Okay. Thank, Thank you very you much. Sure. So, 
when you when you found out you were going to do Robin, what was your reaction when you first heard you were going to get to voice this character? Oh, I was really excited because uh, I was a fanatic about the show in the 60s. I was a really little kid, and I was obsessed with that show. And as you probably remember or know, uh, it played on a Tuesday and Wednesday. And so Tuesday, there was always a cliffhanger. Yeah. And I was convinced that, oh, they're going to die. <laughs> they're going to die. i got to watch Wednesday. And they would come back Wednesday and be like, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was very excited about that. And um, uh, I, when I developed the voice of Robin for my audition, of course, I, I, I was totally influenced by the memory of Burt Ward. So that's where I started. And then I made it my own and my own original sound. And what was one of your um, more challenging Robin episodes for you to do? Or was there one? Well, um, when you're an actor, uh, you look at a three-dimensional character as not a challenge but a joy. So the more three-dimensional they wrote the character, and especially with Nightwing, he got to be very three-dimensional. He really came into his own as a, as a, as a person, his own person. Um, I wouldn't say I looked at it as a challenge, but I looked at it as a, a joy, a thrill. Oh, here's a great script to, to jump into, something to really grab onto. And why do you, th and why do you think this one uh, has stood the test of time? Why do you think it's made this one, this, this show, so iconic and so special? Well, I think the reason people love comic books is because comic books always give you a backstory. And so you understand the motivations for what people do. It's not a two-dimensional thing or a one-dimensional thing. And a lot of cartoons are very one-dimensional. You know, this, this show, these were people, all, even the villains, the villains all had a backstory. You understand why they did what they did. And uh, I think it's in the writing. What was your favorite, or Robin's episode? Uh, my favorite episodes are Old Wounds, where I got to play Robin and Nightwing. It's the, where he tells the story to Tim Drake of how he became Nightwing. And uh, Robin's Reckoning, of course, the yeah. two-parter. That was really the turning point where the writers and the producers said, oh, let's really do something with this character, you know. And uh, then Sub-Zero, which just came out on Blu-ray. So that's uh, that was a great one. Did you ever have any thoughts about what Dick Grayson was up to during Batman Beyond, since whenever they <laughs> saw you in that? Um... I have no answers for that. I mean, you know, it's funny. Uh, actors are the last people to know. We're the bottom of the. We're kind of the bottom of the food chain. So the producers and the directors and the executives and the studios, they all get together. They decide what they're going to do, and then all that information eventually trickles down to us. Like with Batman and Harley Quinn, had no idea that was being prepared or in in the process of being made, you know, written, etc. And they called me up and said. We're reprising Nightwing. So it was, a, it was a great surprise and wonderful. So I don't know why. Oh, sorry. I don't know why uh, Dick Grayson disappeared during Batman Beyond. <laughs> what would you say the biggest differences between Nightwing and Batman are? Nightwing, luckily, has a sense of humor and a lighter side. Batman does not have a lighter side. Batman has given into the dark side completely. And I think that was a big source of um, tension between the two of them. Because Dick was always trying to lighten up. Come on, lighten up, Batman. Couldn't lighten him up. So when they broke apart and he became his own man, he carried that with him. I'm not going to be like that. And I think we all do that. I'm, I'm a parent. You know, you, you want to take from your own parents and give your kids what you think are all the good stuff. 
and not the bad stuff, and they're going to do the same thing. They're going to get rid of all the bad stuff that I had, hopefully, you know, and just do the good stuff. Were you aware uh, when you were Robin that, that he, in the comics, grew up to be Nightwing, and were you anticipating that before you became Nightwing? No, I had no idea. I didn't know anything about that or that they were planning it. And I actually, the, the, the creative team is here, and I want to ask them that. I want to ask them if, when the show started, if they were going to make that transition, because they never let on to me about that. The first time I heard about that was when Andrea uh, Romano, the director, called me and said, I've got good news and bad news. You're not going to be playing Robin anymore. I was like, what? So now you're going to be playing Nightwing. So I was like, oh, wow. So that was the first I heard about it. Again, like I said, trickles down to the actor. <laughs> so also, you have to grow a no. I don't watch stuff. I'm not in it. Neither do I. So here's the other question. So what if you thought of how other versions, or do you think your version of Robin has like kind of affected other versions of Robin that come out since then? I've been told that. I've been told uh, by uh, the people who, for example, who create the Nightwing books, that as they're writing the Nightwing books, they hear my voice in their head. So uh, I... And I was the first actor to ever voice Nightwing. So I think I'm the definitive Nightwing in a lot of people's minds and their heads. So that's that's quite an honor. I really appreciate that. So yes, I think it's been a big influence. Is there a phrase that you use to like get in character anytime you're well, we al- Nightwing? We always do, um, you know, a warm-up on the mic. We do a uh, sound check, you know. And so we go down the line. And uh, we usually say something that can't be repeated. (laughs) (laughs) That lines up with Titan's Rock. You did did, uh, Batman the Animated Series, New Batman Adventures, Batman and Harley, um, and you're you're doing the con circuit. Uh, I know you can't spoil anything that should be spoiled, but is there any more of you as Nightwing or Robin that we can expect in the future? I'll trickle down. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't heard a thing. There was also a uh, um, a episode that Paul Dini wrote that we did for Viewmaster that was uh, virtual reality that was uh, oh. two years ago oh. and that had Kevin in it and me and uh, some of the other regulars from the show so yeah they, they, they do they do pop up here and there and, but you know the question that everybody asks me at all of the cons is why aren't they doing new episodes and I don't know the answer to that because sometimes you know if you want to do something let's do something new you know, okay, but if you have something that works already, why wouldn't you want to continue doing that? And reboots are hot right now. Reboots are hot. Why wouldn't I I don't know. Maybe this Comic-Con and the release of the Blu-ray, maybe it will inspire somebody, and then that information will trickle down to me. All right. Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Well, I think just the fact that we're talking about it today showed that it had a little something extra, that it was going to endure beyond just its original run, and... Uh, I'm very grateful that it has because so many people have come up to me and said, I love that show either when I was a kid or I love showing it to my kids now that I have kids. And, uh, you know, it's it, it's very gratifying to know that it has existed that long. Now, I have to ask yeah. because um, some of the first episodes of the series, 
Did they just turn out that dark, or did they mean to be that dark? Because I remember some of the first I watched them recently after your uh, event again a few years ago, and I was kind of blown away. I forgot how kind of like someone went on a, on, a, on a level that the rest didn't go. Like uh, a tonally dark, like yeah, tonally dark, yeah. yeah, tonally dark, and just like how the direction they went. Well, you know, a show like that is always an evolution, and I think early on we wanted to see how dark we could go, how far, how much we could get away with, how true we could be to Batman's world of the the. Because at that point, his world was of the Tim Burton movies and the Frank Miller books, and and uh, and we want and that was the current reflection of Batman. So we wanted to do that. We wanted to borrow little bits from every other iteration and kind of put it through our process and, and be true to what we enjoyed. But early on, I, I remember being at uh, Comic Con 26 years ago when we showed. Uh, one of the episodes um, is never too late, which is one of the darker episodes. It's very noirish. There is no supervillain in it. It's about a crime family, and I and I remember Bruce and Eric and I watching it and saying, "Is this going to play? Are they going to be expecting Man Bat or the Joker or Catwoman or something?" And the episode started, and there was just silence. And I'm going, they either love it or they hate it. And afterwards, everybody applauded, and they got it for 22 minutes. We pulled off a noirish crime story, and I and I thought that was great and then i thought we could go anywhere We'd bring on mr freeze bring on uh poison ivy bring them all on you know so my last question yeah. is what is one of your uh best memories to get to work on this show uh one of my one of my best memories is there, there's so many all the actors we've dealt with and we've had the pleasure of, of, of bringing in and but i think one of my fondest memories is watching the rough cut uh, part of ice when that came in, there was no music, there were no sound effects. It was just the straight footage and grainy and kind of awful looking. And Bruce Tim said, come into my office. And I'd written it, he directed it. We just watched it in silence for a few minutes. And after, and after it was over, we just kind of looked at each other, shook hands and said, well done. You know, it was just like, okay, we pulled it off. Pulled off that episode, now we got uh, 64 more to do. But at that moment, it was like, okay, we got a show, we can do this, it's, and it's looking great. Heart of Ice is rightfully one of the most iconic episodes and completely reinvented the freeze. Thank you. Was that all you, you and Tim? Did you all work together? It was all of us. I mean, I think to a degree, uh, Bruce and I threw a lot of ideas down. Uh, his writer friend, Mitch Bryant, threw a few ideas down. And then in talking about him, I, I said, well, okay, he's dead to emotion. That means he's got to have an Achilles heel. What is that? What's going what's gonna to get this guy to cry? And once I started, I worked backwards and like, okay, the end scene is him crying and he's in Arkham and his tears become snowflakes and stuff like that. How, how do we get there? How do we earn that? And so then I worked backwards and we worked out the story and, and shaped it. Alan Burnett had a hand in shaping it. Bruce did a phenomenal directing job on it. So it was just... It was really great, but it was it was fun getting into his head because he was always a, a favorite villain of mine growing up uh, in in the in the um, live action show. I loved, uh, you know, I, I thought it was very interesting when he'd show up. You were able to switch tones a lot, like from the Mr. Freeze episode to yeah. Almost Got Him. Sure. And talk about the genesis of that. It's now a board game. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. It's again, you know, you. <laughs> These villains are not real people, but it's fun to think of them like real people. And what do they do on an off night? Well, they get 
they get dressed up in costume and they go down to the bar and they start telling, bragging, telling their Batman stories. Then one of them, you know, they've all got a deck of cards on them somewhere, so they start playing poker and it's fun to, you know the Penguin, you know Two-Face, you know uh, the Joker, so you put them in that situation, the tales are going to start spinning and, and it just seemed like a very organic story to tell and, and it was a lot of fun. You guys deal a lot with the silhouettes. Yes. Question. When Batman has the Killer Croc suit on, and yeah. you kind of go up, and then you see the the you know the hood kind of peeking out. Yeah. Is that in the script? Is that something you wanted to do, or was the artist? Uh, I'd have to look at the script again, but I'd have to say like they look over, and Killer Croc is in shadow, and somehow the shadow looks like Batman, Batman. Or something yeah. like that. So we, we did have to. I did have to sort of indicate something, but uh, what they did with it on in the board and in the in the uh, in the film is just is just tremendous. I, oh no, go ahead, go ahead. Well, um, you know, it's been uh, closer to thirty years now, right? And you, you Alan Burnett, Bruce Timmer, Nazi, your names are yeah. as hollowed as Denny O'Neill, Marshall Rogers, Frank Miller, and since then we've had other writers come on, like sure. Scott Snyder, yeah. paying homage to your versions. Mm-hmm. How do you, how, honestly, how do you feel being seen as sort of you know, in the tome of Batman legend? Well, grateful and uh, very appreciative that the work has stood the test of time. And it feels very right because, you know, a circle of life. You know, on, here comes Bob Kane and Bill Finger and then uh, artists and writers built from them. And then Danny came along and he was a big influence for me, for me when I was reading comics because he's the Batman writer that I grew up with. And then Marshall Rogers and Frank Miller and everybody. So once we got our turn at Bat, you know, we wanted to keep on the legacy of the, the Bat team, as it were, you know? It's, it's almost like playing baseball over and over. The, the players change throughout the years, but you're still, uh, I can't believe I was going to say, swinging the same old bat. So, and, uh, you know, but it's... Uh, <laughs> But but it's 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 nice to be a part of the team, and it's nice to have some contributions, and to know that somebody will look down the road and go like, oh, I'm going to take Harley Quinn or the Condiment King or some character in the, or, or the Gray Ghost, and just and, and write something about that or keep that going. And so I can't keep track of what's happening with the characters, but somebody will show me like, oh, you know, this element of Batman Beyond is being developed in in, in a comic book, and I go like, oh yeah, we that was our idea way back when. So. Uh, you know, your ideas are only yours for a while. You take the toys, put it back in the toy box, somebody else gets to play with it. When did you know this is special? Uh, it, it was that day at Comic-Con watching uh, 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 It's Never Too Late when I, I felt that, that we had we had an audience. And then when it went on beyond that and we kept getting renewed year after year, which is really unheard of for an action show. Back then the rule was you're going to do 65 half hours over a period of about a, about two years, and they're going to run them all, and then and then maybe you'll do more, maybe you won't. We wound up doing almost double that amount. I mean, that was tremendous. Thanks, Paul. Thank you very much. So, um, and while a little after that, I went to the DC booth to talk to Dan Jurgens. Um, DC wanted me to like, I wanted to ask him like stuff about like bringing Superman you know, back from, back to the pre-Flashpoint version, because he did that whole, like, you know, pre-Flashpoint Superman, you know, John Kent guy taking over from the new 52 guy, but because, like, DC publicity was right by me, I, they wanted me to talk to him more about, like, the Walmart stuff and about, um, uh, Batman Beyond, so we talked about that, but I did ask him, you know, like, hey, so Death of Superman premiered last night, did you like it? Um, so here is the Dan Jurgens interview. Okay. It's nice to finally meet you, and 
Take care. Hey, uh, hey, you've got 10 minutes or less. So okay, yeah, excellent. Yes. Dan Jurgens, how are you doing? Before we get into... Hi. Hey. Always loved your stuff. Before we get into, you know, everything that you're about to work on now, just want to congratulate you last night, world premiere of Death of Superman. Oh, yeah. You know, so, uh, have you seen it yet? Yes, I have, yes. Okay, were you happy? Yes, definitely. Yeah, and, and the idea that they get to do it this time and do sort of the rest of the story, yeah. that's what makes it a lot of fun. I, th I thought it was really good translation of, uh, and I love that art, you know, so yeah. iconic parts of DC, and you're still doing great stuff for DC, and one of the latest things is you're helping with that Walmart initiative now with uh, right, right. the Teen Titans Giant. So talk about how that came about for you and what you're looking into with doing the uh, Teen Titans. Sure, and, and I think, um, you know, really what we are trying to do is find new readers. And uh, obviously we have a great network of comic book stores across the country and globally. But part of the problem is people are almost inclined to be hardcore readers, you know, before they find a shop. We also have large parts of the country that don't have comic stores. So with this product that we're putting into Walmart, we have four titles. We have Superman, Batman, Justice League, and Teen Titans. And it is an effort to find and develop new readers who will then use that 1-800-comic-shop-locator service that has a full-page ad in every issue to go and find comic book shops if they are close to them. But for now, the idea is give um, newer readers something they can have access to that isn't going to be a dense, dense uh, sort of storyline that's connected to 15 other crossovers. It's going to be a little more streamlined, uh, written in such a way that it does address this notion that they are more casual. And for many of them, it might be their first comic books that they're picking. Yeah. And it's not your first time doing the Titans because you did that 90s series I did, with yeah. Argent and all of them. So right. yeah, now you get to go back and do a more... I guess classic or traditional team, you know. What I'm doing with this is I'm taking um, different eras and kind of fusing them a little bit. And, and with the awareness that a lot of the people who might be picking up this book, what they might know best is Teen Titans Go, you know, from watching the show. So I, I am picking up some elements from this and some elements from that and putting it all together. And then the other part of this is these books are 100 pages thick. So we are uh, reprinting some of the Jeff Johns, Mike McCone stuff in it. We're, we're reprinting um, some of the uh, Super Sun stuff that we have just seen. So it's going to be, I think, a With really another nice, character you created. Right, yes, and it's going to be a real nice introductory level sort of thing for people. And um, did you pick the team, or was that something that was dictated to you? It wasn't dictated. We had conversations about it. We said, who should we use? And there was a feeling that Cyborg perhaps be part of the Justice League book. <clears throat> because, again, for this reader that we're going for, that's what they recognize more. And we talked about it and we decided to use um, Tim as Robin, Tim Drake as Robin, and to go then with Raven, Starfire, and Beast Boy and build those as our four core members and then expand off that. And is it taking place kind of in its own thing, or are we thinking like, you know, it's during that um, Jeff Johns, Mike McCone era? It's not necessarily during that. I want to reflect some of what they did, but for now, yes, it's sort of in its own space is how I look at it. Uh, and have you gotten any feedback from new readers? Not yet. We just came out a couple of weeks ago, and we really haven't, at least I haven't heard much back in that direct way. 
Well, the good news is every time I go to Walmart, those things are sold out. Yeah, so, um, yeah. and I just signed my first few of them here at this convention, so they're getting into the hands of people somehow. And actually, amazingly, yes, they did tell me they actually bought them at Walmart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I and I, I've not seen them anywhere else, so that's that, that's good. And it's yeah. um, people are excited on Twitter because of the trade dresses and everything. Right, right. And um, how far ahead have you ridden those? Uh, I'm done with number three, and we'll be riding number four next week. Okay. And we have great art by Scott Eaton, so it's it's really a lot of fun, looking good. And what can we expect ahead with you on Batman Beyond? Uh, we are building towards issue number 25. That's kind of an, uh, an anniversary issue for us. It's going to be double size. We have a special artist for it. We're not going to announce quite yet. Okay. And then we'll move forward with the next art. But really looking forward to number 25. It's uh, the artwork that's coming in on it by our surprise artist is, is really gorgeous stuff. Okay, and what are the challenges and, you know, and, and the benefits, you know, because you're doing something away from the regular DCU. It's being told in its own era, yep. you know, so it has its own rules. So, is that, do you find you get to be more creative there and let loose more and, yeah. you know, do some more building? Well, I, I think, you know, it's funny. I, I try to think of it as though it is connected to our time right now, but overall, yes, I am able to look at it and have it be you know, my own little camp where we can do the kind of things we want, play around with different characters and different elements of Batman, while at the same time, you know, referring to some direct episodes that we see in the present. So I think that's all important. And Green Lanterns. Yes. Um, I mean, you're a busy guy. You I know? Am. Yeah. You know, I mean, I thought, oh man, no more Dan Jurgens when he's off with Superman, but I mean... Right. Got enough of you yeah, those for and, multiple times it, a month. Yeah, and it's so much fun doing Green Lanterns. Uh, Mike Perkins and I, again, had always wanted to work together. We were finally able to do it here because we've been saying for years, yeah, yeah, we'll do something together. So we finally got to do it on Green Lanterns. I think uh, we kick off a very special story with issue 50 uh, in an arc that will run up to 57 in which we explore some of the concepts of the rings and the guardians and how they function as a core, how they they look at each other, think of each other, trust each other, all of that. And how closely are you going to be collaborating with Grant Morrison when he does the other Green Lantern? I've read his first couple of scripts and I know Grant has said, you know, if you can just get them... uh, here and to this point and that point uh, so it fits in with what he's taking off on that would be great and we're doing that okay and um, it looks like we got to wrap up soon so last question you know um, you helped create uh, John Kent's the current Superboy and his popularity that you know very very big so can you talk a little bit about that and you know and just reflect on it well I think I'm so happy that it works the way it does because if we think of who Damien is I think it's so logical that John is the way he is they function so well together I think they have very different personalities and I think what John does is really add something to the tapestry of Superman and Lois Lane because he is their child and in a way that is kind of what is has always been destined to happen with Lois and Clark and it's something that has worked out very well and I'm very happy to see that it has worked as well as it has. All right, thank you. And you can all check out Dan Jurgens. Uh, we got Teen Titans Giant, Green Lanterns, and Batman Beyond. And you right. want Dan? DC's putting him in three places. That was pretty much it for me that day, but you had an adventure of your own, didn't you, Donovan? Well, for those who don't know, um, I do a show called Questions We Don't Have Answers with a very good friend of mine, Harrison Chute, who lives and works in L.A. He captions... 
uh, things for, you know, detaching television shows and stuff. Uh, and so he drove down to meet us at the, at the hotel, and we wanted to do kind of something fun, because we did a rather dark and sleazy episode last year to record. I thought it would be fun to kind of record something. So, like, um, we had mentioned in terms of, like, creative writing and ethics in writing, uh, an action movie that we both really enjoy, Commando, which is, which is your classic Arnold Schwarzenegger film, where he just, like, you know, blows up a lot of people and, and says cheesy one-liners. And the idea was that, like, during our commentary, which we recorded live, it was like, is does this movie, could this movie be done today? Is there anything problematic in it? You know, is there things that, like, we should not enjoy? And as we were watching it, we was like, no, this is fine. It's just so goofy that, like, it, it's worked no matter what. And if you listen to that commentary, which is available to download, it's just basically us laughing for an hour and a half. <laughs> Um, and at one point, you can hear uh, your very own Joshua uh, kind of come in and start mouthing off, not realizing that we're recording. <laughs> that's, actually, that's in the episode. It's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I went to the hospital. Group, hey, do you have anything to say about, like, you know, like, uh, to the listeners out there? Like, yes, I'm not really a sexist, I swear. I make fun of a lot of bro flakes when, like, you know, Donovan and I are alone. Like, I make fun of, like, the stupid criticism that things get online. Hey, but please. if you... But if you don't know me, warriors. yeah. If you don't know me, like, and you hear me make fun of, like, it might sound like I really feel that way. So, like, I was like riffing like that when, um, when Donovan, like, uh, uh, and, and Harry were recording. So, whoops. So I went down to the hot tub, you know, to like to to chill with some groovy chicks. Uh, <laughs> while you and Harry uh, uh, had an adventure of your own. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, we're we're, we're not going to cut to a whole episode of Cute Away. You can find that at cuteandwages dot com. But um, oh, but well, I, I mean, the party though. Yeah. Okay. So after we were eating, and we were doing this. So after we were recording, we went out to the Balboa Theater, where Harry Harry actually um, has a YouTube channel um, called Bagels After Midnight, in which he does video essays on the show Crazy as Girlfriend, which is a show on CW that's not a superior show. Starring Rachel Bloom, which is a pretty funny show. You should get into it. It's, it's, it is a really good show. It's having its final season this this upcoming year, and Rachel Bloom and the cast, because it's a musical show, were performing at the Balboa Theater, and he and some of his followers, uh, who we made, we made friends with on his, on, his, on his YouTube page, had tickets for it. So we had a ticket from me, and we were, we were actually we were actually like late. We got, we got there about fifty percent of the way through the performance, but like we got there, and we watched Rachel Bloom and Bella Lavelle. And Gabrielle Rees and um, uh, Vincent Rodriguez III, all those all those performers sing and dance to these wacky, racy songs. It actually felt like a, like an old college performance, but it was really fun, and um, I very much enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, we, we we went out there because um, we passed the bubble with theater often if, if we're kind of walking down to the con. So you would recognize him if, if you kind of spotted, kept an eye out for it. But um, that was fun, and you know he he uh, left and he got home safe. He got back to LA safe, and uh, yeah, that was basically my Saturday night. And that was basically Saturday. So. Who controls the British crown? Who keeps the metric system down? We do. We do. Who keeps Atlantis off the maps? Who keeps the Martians under wraps? We do, we do. Who holds back the electric car? Who makes Steve Gutenberg a star? We do, we do. Who controls the British crown? Who keeps the metric system down? We 
us off the maps. Who keeps the Martians under wraps? We do, we do. Who holds back the electric car? Who makes the Gutenberg a star? We do, we do. Who helps keep the shelves their sight? Who rigs every Oscar night? We So Sunday, um, you know, <laughs> um, I went to a Lego Aquaman event, and when I got there, like, Donovan has these texts, and I'm not even going to, like, read them now, because, like, <laughs> it, I get very, very angry, because um, it was a smaller event, and I would have had to sit at a table right next to um, the turn off your cell phone, please, you know, like, and I'm going to be mean the publicist guy, and I was like, I was not about to do that, I was like, I'm not sitting next to that guy. I am waiting till they open up another table. And I was like thinking about the possibility, what if they don't open up another table? Do I sit down to, do I like deal with this guy being rude to publicists and like, you know, making everyone at the table turn off their self? Like, do I tolerate him or do I like just, you know, skip the Lego Aquaman movie? And, um, uh, it wasn't a choice I had to make because another table opened up. Um, there was a reporter that was problematic at this table, um, he wasn't really mean, so, like, he was still better than what I would have had. I'm not going to be specific about this one, because I think that the guy was well-intentioned. He just, you know, had other issues. So I'm, I, if you listen to these Lego Aquaman interviews, you'll probably be able to figure out which reporter I'm talking about and what, you know, some of the issues were. Okay, Lego Aquaman had D. Bradley Baker, uh, Troy Baker, Gray Griffin, Christina... Milzilla, I hope I'm saying her name right, uh, Susan Eisenberg, and Fred uh, Tashiori, who, uh, was, who was also at the LEGO DC uh, villains thing, uh, Matt Peters, Jer and Jeremy Adams, and Brandon Vietti. So uh, here is the LEGO Aquaman audio. What's going on? Just having a Comic-Con Sunday, I'm ready to talk some uh, LEGO Aquaman. Yeah. So what can we expect? Oh, lots of fun as usual. I think we always have fun with these Lego movies. It's a great way to explore the DC universe with a lot of fun, a lot of comedy, a lot of larger-than-life characters, and a lot of Lego bricks. <laughs> uh, Brandon, will you be producing any exclusive DC Lego content for the DC Universe service? Is that possible? In the future? I've not heard of anything about that yet, but I, we can't rule anything out. That's kind of the cool thing about the, the DC Universe, right? Um, DC Universe will have Young Justice, right? Right. I mean, how, how crazy is that? We had a show. It went off the air for a while. Fans kept it alive and wanted this show to continue, and now it's back. What is What has that journey been like for you? Uh, amazing. I mean, as an artist, you, you just want to make things that makes people happy. And we had a great run of two seasons of Young Justice on Cartoon Network. And, you know, we went off the air. We, we ran our course. And it was amazing to watch in the years that followed how fans continued to support the show, um, talk about it in social media, start petitions, start fan pages. 
more fans would find us when Young Justice popped up on streaming services. And, uh, you know, we had such an incredible outpouring of kind of love and support for the show that even our bosses couldn't um, couldn't deny that, well, I think there's something here. I think we need to bring this show back. So it's just been amazing. Even, even 10 years ago when sort of like the Wild West of TV and like content was starting, I don't think I, I ever could have imagined like just the way shows could get revived like this. I guess, what is it like from the creative standpoint where you can see like Okay, maybe your show does get canceled, but now, like, even years later, it could still make a, a return. And, just, and sometimes it'll be a reboot or, or to, like, a total reboot, but sometimes it'll be, like, like what you're doing with Young Justice or even or, or for, like, something on Cartoon Network, like Adult Swim, Samurai Cat. Mm-hmm. It's just, what do you think of that from the creative standpoint? Uh, just bringing a show back? Like, like how I feel like TV... I couldn't have imagined that like 10, 15 years ago. Oh, TV it's shows. true. Yeah. So like, what is what is the paradigm shift now? Or like, <laughs> why is this possible now? Whereas like 10, 15 years ago, that just couldn't, it didn't happen. Right. Uh, I mean, I think it's the streaming services right. and the, the ability for, um, for fans to so directly be able to support the right. things that they love, the shows that they love because they're popping up on these very specific streaming services and, and they can really make their voices heard through the number of times that they watch a show so they can, they're literally racking up numbers that executives at these streaming services are paying attention to. They're able to support out of pocket by subscribing to these services and I think, yeah, yeah that's, that's a set... I don't think it's ever been such a direct way for fans to support the shows that they love outside of the streaming. You say direct, so I wonder, were intermediaries a problem in the past for you you guys? No, I I, I mean, not for us specifically, but I feel like, you know, the, the networks had larger plans, larger overall goals, like it was all Toy part sales, of that. merchandise sales. Sure, all of that stuff. I, I think it was just a, a larger machine um, with multiple uh, shows, um, sort of a, an overall network dynamic and a network identity that, you know, they were trying to build with the shows that they were uh, putting on their networks. Um, so there were just so many uh, other things. Oh, also advertising, right? I mean, there's so many uh, different dynamics at play with, like, a, a network. It feels to me, I'm no authority on this, but it feels to me like the streaming services are just much more focused and much more able to, to reach out directly to fans. And, um, again, fans are able to show their support by subscribing and giving their money directly uh, to these subscription services. And then, again vote for the content that they love most just by watching those numbers that that show up from watching like go right to the executives of these streaming services so let's do a compromise since we got young justice back now yeah let's get 2011 thundercats back <laughs> oh, no, you're let's, let's 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 keep <laughs> let's keep thundercats war go- let's give thundercats war to the people but let's do thundercats and, and get our second season on, on DC Universe. It, it sounds good to me, but are there Lego Aquaman questions? Like, I guess, yes. we derail yes, too much. There's, yes. there's a All few. Right, cool. Okay. 
Well, I asked the Lego question first. With um, Justice League, you know, yes. about seven months in our rearview, seven, eight months in our rearview mirror, and then we got the Jason O'Mara Aquaman trailer this weekend. Uh, it's an unusual time to go with the more comedic, you know, not beard, aqua bro version, you know. Right. So uh, talk about kind of uh, what went along with that thought process. Mm, yeah, well, I think we've all, we've wanted to kind of maintain this sort of classic Super Friends look. Um, Lego already had these classic uh, designs in mind, I think, with a lot of their first Justice League toy lines. And that's very much where we wanted to pick up. We wanted to, you know, create a universe that was separate from, like, the DC live action stuff or the DC television stuff or even the DC animated stuff. Did you see that they met at the, the Aquaman camp? Who met? The cl- like classic Aquaman met like movie oh, I in a Lego in, in Lego form. Oh, that's cool. During during the Lego the Lego movie thing. That's awesome. They had a little skit. I hadn't seen that yet. And, the, and, the, and then they rode off on a wave and like movie Aquaman rode off on classic Aquaman. <laughs> that's like fine. I'll have to I'll have to look it up on YouTube or something. Now, how about in, in character choice? You learned to be classic super friends. Yeah. Uh, which I appreciated and loved every one of these Lego films. We made the choice for Jessica Cruz as the Green Lantern. So, what led to the decision to use Jessica, who has what is most one of the most complex and interesting backstories, which I doubt is translatable to <laughs> to the to these Lego films. Uh, it's very tricky. I mean, you know, she has such a the Jessica Cruz character has such an interesting um, story. The Green Lanterns are known as being, you know, without fear, and yet this is a character that. Um, has a lot of inner fears Um, and so that was like a really interesting story for us to tell that we thought would be relatable to kids I think there's everybody feels a little bit of fear um, in life um, with uh, you know a test that you have to take in school or a confrontation with um, friends at, at school and and I think, you know, that's very much what we try to tackle in these movies is um, relatable situations that kids go through. And Jessica Cruz is great because she's a superpower, but she still is grounded. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, she's a superhero, but she's still very grounded um, with uh, some of the issues that she has inside of herself, some of her inner struggles, her confidence issues. And um, she is able to rise above that in this movie. And we think that's a great inspirational uh, character for, for kids. Now, you've said this is a classic take, the Super Friends Aquaman. Yeah. What are your thoughts on what Jason Momoa and James Bond to sort of make Aquaman cool again? <laughs> he was always cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, he always was. Um, I, I mean, I think the, the great thing about the DC Universe, uh, especially today, is that it holds up in many different artistic interpretations, right? I mean, it's so awesome that we can get sort of the the, the badass warrior Aquaman um, in movie theaters, but, but we can also kind of get the more classic take in animation. And I, that's the Aquaman that I grew up with. And I think kids are going to love this guy just as much. I, I think he's got s- such a big personality. I think of all the Justice Leaguers, I think our Aquaman probably has the, the biggest personality, a lot of self-confidence. Again, this this is a, a, a sort of series of movies and stories where we like to explore the weaknesses of, of heroes, superheroes, that even superheroes have moments where their confidence is shaken and are, are probably most confident character Aquaman uh, goes through a a personal crisis in this movie um, and is rather shaken by a a turn of events. I don't want to spoil everything, 
Um, but it's, it's very much about how he kind of looks inside himself, has support from friends to kind of get over a personal crisis and triumph as a hero. Uh, Brandon, in your opinion, can Aquaman only talk to fish in marine life or can he talk to other animals with if he can redirect his powers? <laughs> you know, we go into that a little bit in the movies. Um, it's uh, it's something we've explored and we've tried to play with a little bit, okay. so I don't want to give too many spoilers, but well, yeah. Well, I don't know if you remember, in the Paul Dini, um, Bruce Tim animated series, Aquaman made an appearance and he was able to communicate or have some sort of telepathic telepathic like the seagulls. And seagulls are, are, are an avian. Sure. You know, they're I mean they're I mean they're seagulls but they're birds. You know, right. They fly. They don't live in the sea, you know? So if you can do that, don't you think you could talk to other animals as well? You probably could. Yeah. Yeah, maybe there'd be some language barriers. Maybe some animals might have really thick accents for him. Sure. Maybe that would be <laughs> very <laughs> difficult. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you guys have gone really like deep cut with characters. Is there one a favorite you have that hasn't made it into a Lego movie yet? Hasn't made it in yet? Ooh, gosh, there's so so many. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I have a, a favorite though. Um, are you are you giving me the? I'm going to give you the hook, but if you want to answer Derek's question... Thank you, Gary. <laughs> Tell him you really like that mm. Lego Nightwing. I guess we're saying, when is the Lego Inferior 5 coming? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of Young Justice characters I'd love to see in Lego, yeah. for sure. Yeah, cool. So, I, obviously, Young Justice is very close to my heart, so if I could get a Young Justice team in a Lego movie someday, that would be amazing. Just do season four Thank in Lego form. <laughs> that would be awesome, too. Eva, or just like a crazy dream sequence or something would be awesome. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. They did an episode of Simpsons like that. That's true. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Brandon. Thank congratulations. Thank you. We all get along. I give you Matt Peters, the director. Hi, guys. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Ooh, the Comic Con exclusive. I still have Matt Peters. Did you get one of those? I did not yet, no. Come on. <laughs> I think they might have so, one. So, you know, Legos and these guys in the Lego movies, there's a certain type of movement and fluidity and choreography in them that you guys have developed over the years. But now we're adding underwater yeah. to the mix. So. Yeah. You know, what were the challenges there and the fun there? Well, there, there was challenges. Like, I think one thing is just the idea that characters are going to be floating all over the place. You know, that was something that <laughs> I, I, I didn't even, like, realize at first. I think we started boarding stuff out and the characters were standing on the ground. And then it was like, wait a minute, no, this is underwater. They should be, like, up in all sorts of different directions. So that uh, led to some clever uh, cinematography. You know, we, we got to play around with some shots and make things a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> How, how does the film deal with Aquaman and Vera? Are they a couple, or does it kind of does it have to be a little more vague? No, no, vague no. Relationship here. They're definitely husband and wife. They're okay. definitely a couple. Yeah. <laughs> we had no problem. You don't doing often that. see that in, in like the Lego films, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's actually really great. We, we got an opportunity to explore their relationship yeah. um, and to see how they work with one another, too. I like that. Yeah. If you think about it, it's like with Aquaman being part of the Justice League and going away, it's like Mira's actually the one who's really running the show down in Atlantis. And so, you know. She's the real king. Pretty much. <laughs> well, now I think it's vice versa. Uh, but um, when you're doing something that's so, like, it's, it's kids-oriented and yet you mentioned you've got Jessica Cruz Greenlander who has kind of a darker backstory right how do you strike that balance when you know you're doing 
things for kids, but do you feel an obligation for jokes or, you know, things for getting the adults back in? <laughs> well, it's like, I think that when it comes to the jokes, I think the one thing that we try to do is we, we never want to parody the characters. We don't want to make it look like we're making fun of the characters. So the jokes, if anything, should be part of who those characters are for real. It's like an endearing quality. And um, so when it comes to doing, like, the stuff with Jessica Cruz, that too, it's like we, we tried to maintain the spirit of that character and that kind of self-doubt that she has. And um, we we find that as an aspect to kind of move with. So, you know, we're obviously not going to be throwing in detailed information that would scare kids or be inappropriate and stuff. But for older audiences, if they were to watch it, I think they would understand the, the character. They would recognize that character without that information necessarily being brought up. Uh, as a director, what do you think about the possibilities of the DC Universe service and, I guess, just giving content directly to the fans and consumers and taking out, like, the middleman? I think it's great because it's like we'll be able to directly get everything right to people as they want to see it. And it's also fantastic because it'll be a one-stop shop that you can be able to find, you know, I think pretty much everything we've got that that involves with Warner Brothers and stuff. I'm I'm not familiar actually with how much we're actually being able to put out in availability yet. But um, as somebody, I mean, I love the Superman movies. That's what I grew up on. I love Batman. I love the animated series. So, you know, I think it's really incredible that there's a place that people can go to and just grab all that stuff for themselves. As a director, will they cop your service? Or or can, like, you tell your manager, I want it written in. I want, like, DC Universe, like, free in perpetuity. And a company car. And uh... (laughs) Warner Brothers does have deep pockets. Yeah. (laughs) We made a couple Harry Potter movies, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I, you should be my agent. I haven't actually considered that. <laughs> do, do you ask for the Lego toys at all, or do they oh, give those to you? I think the the first thing that we heard when we when we dealt with Lego when we first started okay. was the very first question that Lego gets whenever anybody works with Lego is, "Can we get some Lego?" <laughs> and uh, yeah, does that help with the storyboarding? Do you like put the Legos in different spots to kind of like you know get a sense of how it's going to look? Well, actually, what's what's really amazing is it, it helps us with the design of the movie because um, I went out and bought a whole ton of Lego sets. Like I've become like a Lego fiend actually while working uh-huh. on these movies, right. and they're incredibly well designed. They're outstandingly um, you know engineered. And uh, the thing is, when you start building the sets yourself, you actually learn how they build things, which helps you then instruct your crew, which then, who they're also buying a ton of sets, and then they build things that are actually like more and more like accurate for the Lego world. Yeah. Is there a favorite set you have out of the DC Universe that they offer? Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, the last one that I remember, I, I got some of the, the Batman versus Superman Lego, and I really liked it because it had like a little angry Superman with his little red eyes. <laughs> I just thought that was adorable, you know? It's like a little upset emo. That's the interesting thing. I had a friend say that with the like Lego video games, of like you see these really, to some extent, horrific acts of violence, but because they just sort of break parts, like, oh, that's so cute. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if you take that into account when you're playing the game, like, oh, the violence is almost mitigated by the fact that everybody knows they're great. Right, yeah. It, it, it opens up, a, like, a whole world to you. You can pretty much do whatever you want with LEGO because it's not going to register the same way. So are you looking to direct, like, a LEGO Evil Dead movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're onto something. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> can you tell us uh, how Lobo has worked into this story? I'm very curious. Oh, uh, what brings him into an Atlantean 
Aquaman story. It's really interesting, actually. He, he's kind of uh, brought in, uh, I mean, he's a bounty hunter right. and everything like that. So uh, Lobo is very self-focused on, on what kind of bounty he can get. But So that that's kind of an exploitation point for a villain that could possibly be like, well, if this person is looking for something, then we could hire him for something else. So it's like, uh, yeah, you'll see that unfold, I think, in the movie. Yeah. You get to suggest the next directions for each movie. Because the last one was The Flash. Mm. Aquaman, obvious tie-in with a huge movie coming. Yeah. But do you guys ever get together and say, this is where I want to take it next? Um, We pretty much... uh work together with Warners and with Lego. I mean, it's like they have, like, the things that they want to do with the, the different sets that they want to promote, and then Warner Brothers also has the different properties that they want. But at that point then, it's like, um, our producer is usually uh, able to kind of start um, throwing out ideas on what they want to, you know, make the story all about. And then when that starts to get a little more focused, then I start coming in, and they explain to me where they're going, and then I'm able to, like, start to channel things in the proper direction. Uh, since we've seen some uh, animated movies crossovers with like Scooby-Doo and what have you could we see some like DC Lego crossovers with maybe like DC Lego DC Ninjago oh. or Le- or Lego DC Scooby-Doo <laughs> I, I got to work on one of the Lego Scooby-Doo's and yeah. I yeah it was like uh, I love the look of it you can do anything with Scooby-Doo that. and Batman have a history yeah yeah I, I, it's like we've, we've teamed them up before so and Batman makes money anyway so like you know you add Scooby-Doo then make, you, you do Lego which is a big property Scooby-Doo Batman boom you're you're printing money you know if the fans hear enough of this stuff you know the, the companies end up reacting so yeah. you know so that's yeah. a good question what's the balance between because what you're suggesting there is the Lego movies are also theatrical movies are all supposed yeah. to be set in the same table in some guy's basement. So, do they come back and say like, well, you know, this is being done for this for the movie. Can't do this. Yeah. Between those two, because they're separate universes. They are separate universes, and I think that's that's kind of. I think we like it that way because uh, I I think that you know we, we're we don't have that much contact with the movie people who are making the Lego you know movies, and and then so I would I would hate to infringe on their creativity with whatever they're going to do, and it's just the same way back to us. So it, it affords us an opportunity to really kind of explore where each of us would rather push. And I think that's that's more liberating than trying to figure out how to tie them together. And things. Did you did you hear about during the Lego Movie Two um, panel yesterday? They had movie a, a Lego Movie Aquaman meeting a, a classic Aquaman who looked just like this. Right? Oh, really? Yeah, and they I did had not. like a fun little interaction. <laughs> and then then they called a tidal wave, and then Movie Aquaman who looked like just but a Lego. Right. He rode off on this Aquaman like a surfboard. <laughs> <laughs> That's outrageous. 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 Hey. Are we gonna get an outrageous? In <laughs> outrageous. <laughs> no, like, is there an outrageous in the movie? Oh, in this part? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, we got like. Uh, we have like obviously there's like just fun all over the place and stuff. I'm trying to think, do we have a moment where it gets like crazy outrageous? Or we, you mean the word? He, yeah, the does word. He say, oh, I don't say think outrageous like does like he say the word. Outrage. No, I don't think we have that. It's yeah. a very abstract. Quite like, is there an outrageous moment in the movie? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm not sure where you're going. Yeah, well, it, did, it did come back in one of the Justice League films. I'm sorry. In, in one of the the Justice League animated movies with Aquaman. Oh, he did, oh, I he see. Did say outrageous. Yeah, so I see. With, yeah, you know. You talked about the freedom and the fun of making a Lego movie. Is there, 
what are some of the moments in this movie that you would not be able to do with a straight up animated movie if the, if like they did like a shot for shot animation is there a, a moment in the movie that could have only been done with Legos uh, gosh there's a lot actually uh, awesome that, yeah. that's what I like to hear yeah I mean honestly one of the things I, I love working in 3D actually I was really nervous when I first started um, it was intimidating but it's 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 kind of like a middle ground between animation and live action where you're actually building a, an actual artificial world and you're moving that camera through so um, just as a director it's like it's fantastic to be able to tell the crew we can move our camera in all sorts of different directions and things and um, and then the animation always comes back um, looking fantastic and you know it's it's actually super super rewarding <laughs> to piggyback off of that is it is it creatively restrictive or liberating when you have to sort of make a design an animated world in sort of the lego style it's a different kind of challenge is the way i would, I would put it yeah because um with 2d sometimes um i worked on um beware the batman the animated uh the yeah. cg show for that and i remember when i worked on that i wanted to do something where batman dived behind a bunch of uh, bushes as gunfire went by and that would create a bunch of you know bush particles and stuff and in 2d you can do that in 3D, however, if you were to do that, you would have to design a prop of a bush that can break apart, and each of those leaves would have to break apart into smaller props, and it was like, my director said I couldn't do it. So it's like, you know, it's it's kind of give and take. There are some things in, in 2D, if you need it, you can draw it, um, but in 3D, you've got that mobility of the camera where it can go anywhere. <laughs> Fun stuff. <laughs> Well, if you could, where would you like to go next with the story? Uh, with Lego, you mean? Yeah. Or um, we have like a couple other properties coming forward. So um... Gary shows up at the most perfect moments. I only come <laughs> to interrupt their questions. <laughs> <laughs> the deal we have. <laughs> We're still going. So honestly, it's like um, you know, we'll we'll be producing more Lego stuff, and yeah. you'll be seeing it soon. So you know, I just can't talk about it. I understand. I understand. There we go. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Great. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Yep. Oof. All right. Come on over here. D. Bradley Baker, our Aquaman. Hello, subjects. Great to see you, sir. Thank you for coming. <laughs> you went from a semi aquatic animal to um, a fully aquatic sea king. So. I, I know. It's a it's a very uh, under the sea uh, Comic Con for and me. You're also a fish on, on American Dad. Yeah, yes, so yesterday I was American Dad, so I was a fish yesterday, and today I'm king of the fishes. So. Yeah, so you just love the sea and all this aquatic stuff. I do, like, and normally I'm doing a non human under the sea or wherever. It's uh, I, I gravitate towards the, uh, the, the, the non human roles, but not this time. This Well, no, actually, this time I, I am. I'm still a, I'm a dolphin, and I'm also a cat. Not a catfish, but a cat in, uh, in this, in addition to uh, the, the main guy, Aquaman, which is it's a nice, uh, nice uh, uh, treat for me to do. Was that you voicing Aquaman yesterday during the Warner Brothers panel for Lego? Uh, yeah, for the Lego movie? Uh, yes, for the for the Lego Aquaman movie. That is me. Awesome. Congratulations. It, it is that I. Was a great, that was a great moment when we saw... Like a Jason Momoa, a Lego Jason Momoa Aquaman meeting like a more classic Aquaman. And they got along, too. They weren't, they weren't like adversaries. Yeah. There's a lot of different Aquamans coming at you uh, right now. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I'm psyched to see them all myself. I, di- I did find it funny when that Aquaman wrote the classic Aquaman like a surfboard. You know? that, was, uh-huh. that was sort of funny. <laughs> I didn't see that. I'd love okay. to, I, gotta, I have to go to YouTube on that. So if you, if you make the Lego movie Aquaman different than the one that we're about Oh, goodness, to yes. Okay. My then, goodness, and yes. And then Brave and the Bold. How do you, what, what do you do to uh, keep those three separate? 
in your head well in your voice I mean the, the the key to me is is that first of all starts with the script and then uh, and it helps to have seen other projects along these lines that Lego have done and that sets the tone and the pace of the comedy and the storytelling which is very distinct from something like the features that are coming down which are it's uh, you know those are those are epic tentpole uh, uh, storytelling and this is this is light and fun and um, really directed for all ages but it's got a comedic energy that uh, is a totally different uh, totally different kettle of fish so to speak what do you think is the key or the core of your of your Aquaman? Uh, to me, the key of this guy is this: is that he's a he's a sweet guy, and he's kind of an innocent. Uh, even though there's kind of a regal pomposity to him that I think people, uh, uh, other characters, uh, will dismiss or might look down upon. That ultimately, uh, he is a big-hearted, resourceful, super being. That, uh, that is a good fellow and is not spiteful and is um, very quick to forgive and is really admirable in a lot of ways. He's not someone that was just handed these powers and just takes it for granted. I think he's admirably um, a nice guy and that makes him, uh, I think, interesting. And, he, and he's vulnerable too. Yeah. Do you have a favorite line from the movie? Uh, there's, there's an aside that he makes uh, and I can't remember what it is. Uh, but act- actually, it's really, I-, I really love it when he gets excited about his wife um, making, making bubble fish. <laughs> and he just gets giddy. He gets giddy about things. Uh, and uh, that I found particularly funny. <laughs> it's endearing. Can, it is endearing, yes. Uh, in this film, can Aquaman communicate with other animals besides fish and marine uh, Aquaman in this movie can he? They have him communicating with uh, with with under the sea life. Okay. Um, I don't think they bring in him talking to the cat, but to the dolphin definitely, and okay. to other creatures, some very small creatures actually uh, at the uh, at the climax of the story. Because in one animation, I saw him talking to the well, not talk like communicating or influencing seagulls, and seagulls are birds. So if he can do birds, I feel like he can do other animals too, and maybe he just doesn't know the limits of his powers. Um, that sounds right. Why not? Why? Why couldn't? <laughs> why? Why would he exactly. not be able to communicate exactly. with all creatures? Thank you, Dean. Somewhere in the DNA. If, I mean, and he could control them too. So what do you think he would do if he got his hands on Klaus? <laughs> well, there's a lot of house cleaning that would have to happen if he got his hands on Klaus. <laughs> yeah, he'd need to. Yeah, he'd need to clean up that situation. Uh, but uh, that 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 would be a that'd be a funny crossover that I'm pretty sure will never happen. But uh, yeah, <laughs> the lawyers would love it. Well, yeah, that's kind of a Roger Rabbit scenario where you need to get some big players involved yeah. uh, to actually make that happen. <laughs> I, I don't know if uh, you know this, but there was uh, at Comic Con there was a kids voiceover panel. On uh, Thursday, with some very talented uh, young young voiceover actors. Oh, good. Still in their teens, and they oh. had uh, nothing but the greatest things to say about you. So, oh, that's sweet. So, what? It, oh, what does great. it feel feel like? You know that we have a new generation of sort of up and, up and coming voice actors who you know you've made your mark on, and you. Oh well, that's that's very nice to hear. Um, I, I I hope so. I mean, I, I think uh, voice acting is not a. Um, a barbed wire fence wall that only lets in one person every 10 years. I think it, no matter what your age is, is that if you're a good actor, 
and you're right for this kind of work, that you can find work doing this. Um, that's not to say it's that everybody can do it or that it's right. easy to become that. But, uh, but there's, a, there's a broader range of people that are getting into voice acting um, and a, a range of ages as well as ethnicities. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Uh, it really used to be a very small stable of voice performers that did pretty much all the work, just like a handful. And that has exploded uh, in the past few decades with the explosion of, um, of animation itself. There's more animation and more wonderful, creative, mind-blowing projects of all different kinds of tones that are being made now than ever before, and that needs good voice acting. So that's part of why I made my website, the uh, IWantToBeAVoiceActor.com, uh, to put out good information uh, for those who want to pursue it, uh, because I never had that when I was a kid. There was, I think Sue Blue had a book that I read once, and other than that, I, I really didn't know how it worked or what I was doing or how to become an actor or how to do voice acting. I didn't even know it existed until uh, my late 20s. And it's not Lego Aquaman, but I just I wanted to congratulate you and, and the cast of Clone Wars on the announcement. Thank you. I am thrilled to be flying back in on the dropship with all the clones uh, to give Clone Wars a proper... I guess it's going to be a proper finish. Um, um, assuming that that'll be the end of it, I, I can never assume that because it's like Star Wars, nothing dies. Rebels gave you guys a good send off, too. Absolutely. I, I was well, really. It's, it's a three year war. I was like, how many seasons could they do? Right. Well, it's how long a. was match? Uh, there you go. It's a, it's, a, it's a vast war yeah. <laughs> on a lot of planets. So, uh, but there's, there's lots of stories to be told in that. Yeah. Uh, and happily, uh, you know, George Lucas really was able to, I, I think, uh, make the culmination of his Star Wars in doing Clone Wars that was then handed off to the, to the Rebels series and, and the other projects that are now uh, in the pipeline now and that, uh, that the fans, the lucky, lucky fans... <laughs> are going to be able to enjoy. When I was a kid, you know, I just had the features every few years and that was it. <laughs> and the Ewoks movies. What's but, that? And the Ewok movies. Uh, yes. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I watched all of it. Oh, yeah, we're yeah, about to ask, to ask a question. question. I was going to ask hey, a question, but oh. I was going to go you um, He must have, like, spider sense or something. Well, that he in. does. Aquaman out. How much fun you, is Dean. it doing the Lego Aquaman movie and sort of riding this big wave of DC's Jason Momoa Aquaman movie and all the publicity that's going on and kind of bringing Aquaman it's a blast. I, I, I really love it. And, and I, I think he's a particularly cool character to bring to life, especially because, with his connection to animals, because I love animals. I love doing animals and creatures and monster sounds. And the whole environment of Under the Sea brings in all of these creature possibilities that I think are really super cool. I, I, I think it's very exciting. I, I can't wait to see uh, not only our little project here, but also the feature film coming out and anything else coming down. Did you get to meet Jason? Uh, no, I didn't. No. Gary, <laughs> make that happen. All right. <laughs> Gary can make anything happen. He can. He can. Thanks for it. Yeah, it's my Thank pleasure. You. Thanks, you guys. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's a very, very exciting year. And this is a fun little project. It makes me laugh. I love that. Thank you. Have you ever played the Lego Dimensions game? I had that, not that one, but I, I play a lot of the other ones. That the Lego Batman um, from these movies. I'll tell you the Lego Cinema. I give you the writers, Jeremy Adams and Jim Creed. 
Hey guys. What you will find, Jeremy, is that... Tell me everything. Um, we'll have our own when, conversation. When okay, Gary introduces the writers, usually a table full of reporters go, Ooh, the writers. <laughs> Amazing. I don't want to talk to them. No, we do. <laughs> 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 uh, and Gary Preppis. You know, so... Well, let's first, from, a, from back on, how, how, how much do you think you need to be uh, comics fans to be writing these, these films? Or do you have a Bible? I, I think you have to be comics fans. I think specifically these Legos especially, because yeah. they have a big cast of of DC characters, some you know, some are obscure. Sometimes we can, we like push ourselves to put uh, slightly more oblique characters in there. And, uh, and I think... I think our our love of the characters and the and the universe shines through, and hopefully we'll we'll draw in a new generation yeah. of schmucks. I mean, the reality is, we get, awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, but we don't have time. It's it's kind of one of those things you don't have time to like bring one of those jocks up to speed. You know? <laughs> it, it it just becomes inherently faster, you know, because we all have a frame of reference. So every, all of us are total. You know, growing fan. Granted, it's a, a character choice that was almost too deep. If you're going to go, you're just talking about oblique and the re- which I've appreciated about these films. Yeah, uh, like, I can't believe you brought in this guy. Or right. This no, guy. it's never been that. It's always it's it's you, you when you do animation, you think, oh, we can we can do anything right. we want, and we can bring as many characters as we want. But it turns out, like each of them costs money. Like, yeah. And, and yeah. so, yeah. so yeah. what? I mean, you wouldn't it's crazy. Think, you think yeah. that oh, it's just a drawing? Yeah. What's the big deal? It's outrageous. And um. And so, like when I, we did a on Cosmic Clash, I thought, oh, let's do the Legion, you know. And and they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. It's like I want to do fifteen, and they're like, well, how about three, you know? And I'm like, okay, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, I guess three. so it isn't so much like they're going to say no because the characters are so obscure. It's more like they're going to say no because we've reached, we've gone beyond right. how many assets we can put in the movie. And it also is like you know, Lego has uh, like things they want to put out too. They have like a toy line that like. We really want people to buy the Jessica Cruz. We really want people to buy the Lobo, you know, which you're like, Lobo is a Lego? This and, is amazing. And obviously the intent of this movie is clear. It will convince people to go see the live-action Lego yeah. uh, Aquaman movie. Yeah. Like, Because uh, otherwise they're like, be on the fence, but then they see our movie and they're like, I am all in. Yes. I am more Black Manta so now. You are responsible for all of that. Yes, That's it's all right. on these right. shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very curious, as a creative team... Do you have to think about writing more or, or changing your style of it? Not censoring, but changing your style of that to service, I guess, a sort of a Lego Aquaman invention. I don't, I don't, I mean... It isn't I, censoring. It's not, it's not like a, it's, it's just a different medium. Like right. you're, you, you know, in, and I don't I think there's any big struggle in it. Right. Uh, it's just, it, it, at, at the outset, I think Jim and I together, like we... We really want to make things funny and silly, and this hits us right in the sweet spot. You know, so yeah, maybe we can't do a couple of adult jokes, but we will in the room. But uh, but when we put the script together, um, it, it's just it, our style is our style, and we cater that to the different projects. With this one, um, I don't know. It's just it's, it was very organic, just sitting in the room. And it's very that. close to to what we enjoy anyway. I mean, yeah. there's so, kind of you 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 enjoy different things, and when you go to see a horror movie, you want to be scared, and so when you start writing that, you think, oh, what scares me? Yeah. And this these are very easy. I don't want to say they're easy. It's still a hundred pages. Yeah. They're, but, uh, <laughs> But you say, what, what makes you laugh, you know, and, and that, that makes, and it still has to be an adventure and it still has to be exciting, but there is some, because the characters, 
are so powerful and, and can do such unusual things and come from such diverse places, uh, there's just some absurdity built into it that's easy to play off of. Well, it's also, we've lived with these characters our entire life. So, I, I mean, I don't know, if you're a comics fan, you, you have these these thoughts like what would Aquaman do if he was on a, a planet with no water like you play this out in your head so when you sit down you're like oh I get to write it now I thought about that 10 years yeah. ago yeah you know? even if and you don't becomes... remember specifically thinking of it you yeah. probably thought of it when you were a kid right you know right. what would Aquaman do here yeah one of our favorite gimmicks in this uh, was uh, using Aquaman as a divining rod yes it's like the greatest it's <laughs> yes so... they hold him by the ankles <laughs> yeah. and he vibrates when Atlantean biology they goes toward the water <laughs> yes. and, and that's true of all Atlanteans <laughs> but you know obviously ask first yeah you I know, mean, don't yeah. just Listen, pick the guy. Jason Momoa. Let me ask yeah. you, you're talking about being a kid. What was the first exposure to Aquaman? Mm. Oh, my gosh. Well, mine's, mine's absolutely the Super Friends, Saturday morning, 1974. Um, and, and you love Aquaman. I mean, it, 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 uh, later on, you're like, ah, Aquaman's dumb. Right. Um, and we kind of played with that trope. But really, the first time you see, what do you do when you're a kid? You can't fly, really, and right. they don't let you drive the Batmobile because you need a permit. And uh, but you, you're in the pool all the time if you're lucky, right. and you're logic. in a right. and you're in a community pool. There, I don't think there's any kid who ever saw Super Friends who doesn't jump in the pool and imagine those sonar rings coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, We can all make the sound almost as well as we make the Bionic Man by yeah, you yeah, know yeah, sound. Yeah, yeah. but um, and, you're not, and he's not as snooty as Namor. You know, yeah, you don't want to come up with that fake Shakespearean Stan Lee dialogue when you're underwater. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it is a lot you know, of he pressure. Just, he, he, you just uh, wait for your seahorse to show up yes. and then you save the day. Um, but I'm, I'm also curious, do you think Aquaman can only communicate with marine life or do you think he can communicate with other Land-bearing. Well, we addressed this in the movie. Okay. Yes. Uh, this question shall be answered. <laughs> yes. So you guys would know because you guys are the writers. So I'm just curious what you thought. Yeah, I think I did. You ever read that? And this is nerdy, but did you ever read that run of Animal Man when he's lost out in space? Yes. yes. And he was able to like you know access that. I can't believe at Comic Con you just sat down and apologized. <laughs> this would be really. I know, well, I didn't know. <laughs> you never it's know. True. I was trying to out you guys like the thing. It's like which one is not one of us? You know? um, no, I was watching sports. <laughs> That day. Yeah. I was watching sports meeting, games. Yeah. Sometimes in different meetings, you know, you want to maybe keep it a little simple, keep it simpler, or change it. Yeah, up. we we do play with it a tiny bit like for that. that audience because I that's the, that's the thing is like we have these characters and how would we use these characters? And I always thought about that one as a like, if I could write a story, I would do this or if I would do that. And this is our chance to do that. You know, we're not we're coming at this from a long time of thinking and and and, and playing those stories yeah pretending and, pretending. Do you and that like, was to do that you get like the figure well, the, the, when like i was little the lego we played dungeons and dragons with legos that was what we had because we didn't have miniatures uh, but we you had, should copyright that now it's out no sorry now sorry. people are going to do it. that i asked a question gary right. walked yeah, yeah. up this is so frightening dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen jessica cruz <laughs> you up. all right christina Melizia. You, you will love her. Thank you. Oh. Do you want to join her? No. Let her have her own. <laughs> and you color matched your character I tried. Today. Was that on purpose? <laughs> this was an accident. I don't know how this happened. No, well yeah. acted. <laughs> it's harder to find a green dress than you would think, actually. So. I mean, I don't shop for green dresses very often, so. But, uh. 
<laughs> Our life experiences may vary. You get to be a Green Lantern, and I just get to sit here and watch it. No, there's nothing without you guys, though. You guys help us, you know, reach people, and so thank you. I'm honored to be here. Well, talk about Jessica and, you know, what she's up to in this movie. I love Jessica so much. Um, it's an incredible honor to, to play this role. Um, and uh, it's, I'm actually the first person to voice her, which is, like, yeah, super exciting. Uh, she's the first Hispanic Green Lantern, so I, I love that she is in this film, and she's part of the Justice League in it. Um, in this film, uh, you're going to see more of a lighthearted approach to Jessica. Uh, she has a little bit more of a darker history in, in the comics, um, but this one is definitely more, you know, it's kid-friendly and yeah. fun, and uh, the movie is really, really funny. Uh, but you're still going to see her, you know, her, her insecurity. She's definitely not a confident member of the Justice League. She's kind of like, oh, God, please, I hope I don't screw this up the entire time uh, but sometimes she does an amazing job which again is, you know, she can make amazing constructs when she manages to channel her willpower but she definitely has moments where she uh, <laughs> completely fails as well <laughs> so. she's fairly new I mean in terms of guys like Five years old, maybe. Did, yeah. did you have any? Had you read the comics? Did you know who she was before auditioning? When um when I auditioned and I was cast, I, um, I did not know who she was. And so as soon as I was cast, I, I did uh, research um and uh, it was really interesting because I wasn't able to find much. Uh, you know that there really wasn't uh, because we also started. I think the first projects that we did for her. Uh, I think I did as Lego DC Superhero Girls Supervillain High as well as her. And it was, I mean, this was back in like 2016, I think 2006. So there was also material that had not even come out yet about her. Um, and so, you know, obviously the people who directed it, they knew kind of the direction they were going to take her. So it's been very exciting to be part of it as it's evolving. Um, and so, and then to read some of this material as soon as I was able to find it um, at, at later dates uh, to kind of enrich my experience with her and, and understand her character more deeply uh, has been just incredibly exciting um, because I just think she's such a unique superhero and, and I love that DC is, is pushing her um, not only because you know she represents more diversity in the media but because she deals with anxiety and um, I think that's incredibly powerful I'm so excited that they're they're bringing that to a superhero um, because and, and in a very relatable way uh, because again and it's something you know we see so many superheroes that are just fearless and they do these incredible feats and you can't really relate to it the same way Jessica is definitely you know she has doubts and fears and insecurities sometimes she's able to do it sometimes she's not um, and that's more like life really so those who do actually struggle with anxiety I think have found a superhero that they connect to uh, that they that gives them courage um, and then also just everyday people, because that's, again, it's more realistic to life. We have moments where we fail and moments where we succeed. Um, so seeing that represented, I think, is an incredibly powerful concept, and I'm really happy that they did that. Do you approach her differently between DC Superhero High and the Lego movies? Yeah, the, the Lego... Um, the super, the DC superhero girl stuff was definitely a little younger. Um, you know, this was a, a slightly older version of Jessica, uh, but she still has a really youthful feel to her, um, and I think that kind of adds into the fact that she's still very new, and she, you know, she feels insecure and, and, and young. She doesn't know exactly what she's doing yet, and then when she does succeed, she's just like, yeah! <laughs> she gets so excited, she's like, I did it! And her lantern ring speaks to her and is like, ten points for appropriate construct. Um, so, and demotes her when she doesn't get it right um, so you know she definitely has more of an insecure youthful feeling in this uh, but I think it adds a lot of comedy and it gives it again kind of a lighthearted approach she's really funny in this too because you're rooting for her and you're like oh, and she's like uh, I didn't do it <laughs> so she just has a lot of really fun moments oh. do you have a favorite line or moment <laughs> um 
Probably with Batman.、Uh, there's a moment in the in the movie where she inadvertently makes fun of Batman, and then it's a gag for the rest of the movie.、Uh, she accidentally calls his utility belt like a like a purse or like a little pouchy thing. She was like, "Oh, can you look in your little purse pouch thing? It's adorable." And he's just like. It's a utility belt, <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean." She's just like, "It's just like she's so insecure. She's accidentally." And the rest of the movie, Batman is like, "Maybe I have something useful in my utility belt," and he like saves the day for the rest of the movie, like pulling things out of his utility belt. So she's just—it was a perfect Jessica, like, "Oh God, what did I do?" moment. So he had to rub it in her face for the rest、oh, of the、does. movie. He does. He's a bachelor.、Well, yeah. Yeah. How many times during this convention has that conversation actually happened? So, <laughs> where would you like to see her go? Maybe because I assume now that she's here, she's going to be in the rest of the DC Lego. You know, I I um I can't say what I know and don't know, but uh, fair enough. There is can, a we can. <laughs> what I would love to see.、Um, I mean, again, I think it's clear that DC is, has plans for this character as she's being introduced, and we've been doing、um, a fair. We've already done, you know, several things leading up to this point.、Um, again, this character has so much rich history, and she's so unique.、Um, I think, I hope that they do bring her out, and because she has other parts of her histories in the comic books where she deals with agoraphobia and, and some very traumatic experiences,、um, and the darker side of her anxiety.、Um, you know, she also has a, a partner in it,、uh, Simon Baz. So there's a lot of potential for this character to be brought out and, and to have her story told. So I do hope they, they. I I hope that I am the beginning of a long, beautiful evolution of Jessica,、um, and uh, and I, it would be so thrilling to see that again, not just because of the diversity in the media, but because she is, you know, she deals with these other these other issues that are so unique.、Um, when you when you sign up for a Lego project, can you ask like, hey? Send me some of the Lego merchandise and products. Tell me to get it written in. I've never specified that in my contract. <laughs> But could you could you make that request, or is that just like? We'll give you what we give you. You know, I I think every as a voice actor, you kind of just most of the time it's whatever they end up giving you. It's it's not really something you can ask for. So feel free to take her from the table here if you need to. They should like send you like one of everything. <laughs> they did give me a bunch of my little exclusive figure. Okay, good. We, so we <laughs> and what's it like having a Lego of yourself? I'm so excited. <laughs> my whole family freaked out. They're like, "You're a mini figure." My sister's 11, so she was like,、Aww. "Really, yeah." When she gets mad, does she like take your head off? Like, well, I haven't gotten it to her yet. I hope, hope, hope she won't, won't do that.、Yeah. <laughs> no, but a well, lot sisters of, can be cruel. A lot of people got excited. I mean, not just my family, all my friends.、Um, I actually took one to Sam Humphreys, who's the writer for、yeah. the you know Polarity and, and Rage Planet,、um, and he was so excited. He was like, "I made my own Jessica Lego back in the day out of different parts." He was so excited. So、uh, I think there's a lot of people excited to see it. But yeah, it's a huge honor. I had no idea they were going to do this for for my character. So.、Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Were you? Did you play with Legos a lot growing up? You know, I didn't. I did not as much. I think. I think I would have. Someone had given them to me, but、um, <laughs> no. It's funny. I'm like I'm a huge nerd,、um, and but like I wasn't introduced to like nerd culture, so to speak, until later in my life. And、okay. it's like, 
yeah, like, and once I finally, like, found, um, especially when I met my husband, he's a huge nerd, and so now, like, I play magic, and, like, comic books, we're huge video game, you know, gamers, um, and it's like, oh, I found my people, like, yeah. you know, because I love fantasy, I, I love magic, I, obviously, this is, you know, why I do what I do, I, I love, you know, I love that whole world in, in Magic Land, um, so it's been really fun to come here to see all the fans and to see so many people that, that feel the same way that I do. So what do you think about all the publicity around the live action Aquaman you know, I haven't had as much time to really go and, and, and see it. You know, this has been kind of a whirlwind just kind of getting ready to this, and it all kind of came out at the same time. So, But I'm super excited to see it. I love that this is coming out to kind of complement yeah. it. It's like the lighthearted version and then the more serious. Yeah. What are some of the cool constructs that Jessica makes with her ring? Uh, in this film? Well, sorry, just give me a second. Green Lantern's got to stay hydrated. Yeah, sorry. They, they just kind of threw us through here. Like, we didn't, there was no break. So just give me a second. Um, well, <laughs> am I allowed to talk about stuff like specifics in the movie? Well, I mean, yeah. sure. <laughs> I mean it's it's premiering in like an hour. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, um, I think one of the first scenes, she's like, okay, Christine, she's like, Jessica, don't screw this up, don't screw this up. And she's like, you need to make something big, something powerful. And then she makes a giant safe around herself. Like, which doesn't do anything to anyone. She's basically just locked herself in a box. A safe like, can be big and powerful. Yeah, so Jessica. <laughs> but so, yeah, so she made a little protective thing around herself, but it did not do the desired effect of, of you know. Um, there's no, another moment where she kind of makes, like, a cannon, uh, and uh, and she's like, yes, I made a re- good construct, and then it, like, it's just, like, a little flag that comes out. Just goes, Poof. Like, it's just, like, it's not a real cannon, so... But she also makes a really powerful one, so you'll cool. see a good one, too. Oh, you're there. We're giving you Susan Eisenberg. All right. Mira. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Hi, kids. Hello, Queen of the Sea. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for noticing. Thank you. So... What are some fun Mara moments in this movie? Oh, God, she goes through total journey. So she kind of, um, like, she's very composed in the beginning, and then she kind of loses it. So that's fun to play. And then she gets her <clears throat> together, and um, you see her go through all of it. And you see her in loving moments with Arthur, and then them separated, and she has interactions with other characters, and then she reconnects with Arthur at the end. So it's it's kind of... I'd like to think of it as really their love story. No, it's not. It's not. It's really other things. But I got to play a little bit of that, so it was really fun. Are that you make little dolphin bubbles for him? Yes. Yeah, he loves it. He. I mean, that's... Doesn't every wife for her husband? <laughs> I think I need a divorce now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not married. <laughs> but I'm a little... You know, you're well known for being another uh, royal figure in the DC universe. A certain princess. The certain princess. Uh, in a couple of different incarnations, because of course you're both the animated and Injustice. Right. And uh, you, balance, you find yourself as Mira occasionally like slipping into, no, that was Diana. I was really nervous about it, i got to be honest, because unlike many voiceover people, I have made my living primarily with my voice, not doing other voices. You know, I'm not... I'm not gray. I don't do 75 different voices. And so I was really self-conscious about it. I really tried to make her sound different. I wanted her to sound different um, for the character because she deserves her own voice and for the fans. I think I succeeded. There's 
two grunts in the movie where I have to like throw. I have to be grunty, and that does it totally sounds like Diana. I mean, I can't lie. It's like when I heard it, I'm like, oh no. But for the most part, I mean, I think that DC people who have followed me on Justice League or Justice League Unlimited, when they hear me, they're going to hear Diana a little bit. But I think she's her own character, and and you know, she looks so she's so cute, and she doesn't look anything like Diana. So hopefully, that'll help as well. She's much shorter. Much, much shorter. I know. Do you have a favorite line from the movie? I just loved... I just loved being her. Because being a Lego character was on my bucket list. And I'm not kidding. I... I am so in love with the Lego universe, and I just think they're all so adorable. And so even before I got to do this, I was a huge fan. So it wasn't that I had this line or that line. It was, oh my God, I'm pinching. I get to be in this universe and be like a, a little Lego character. Um, and actually, it's not a line that I love to say. I do these like grunty sounds, and it's really cute. And that was my favorite thing. <laughs> well, what is about the DC Lego universe that put it on the bucket? I mean, you said you're a fan, but what, what is it that really makes them so cool to you? Well, because I love the DC characters. I've been connected with them since 19, 2000. So that I love. And then they're adorable. Like, I didn't grow up playing with Legos, but ever since they've given them life and they've come to life as characters, I don't think there's anything cuter. I mean, like, I get brought things at Comic-Con sometimes, and the little Lego... Am I talking... I mean, seriously, do I sound weird? No. I just think they're so cute. I mean, that's really it. I just think no, they're, they're cute. they're awesome. Everything so, is awesome. And, and, and this is so huge. There's, the characters are so funny. I mean, the dialogue we get to say, thank you, writers is brilliant and it's it's it i'm usually i'm playing a, a more serious character and i got to play like a little bit lighter and be a part of something that's very like light and um and that that was like totally joyful especially in these dark like, times yeah it seems like if I may. that's something that's becoming connected with the lego brand in general yes i mean you saw that with the lego movie the batman lego movie just that kind of off-kilter humor laugh out loud i mean i watched it on a plane and i'm like i mean it was embarrassing myself i was laughing out loud i mean i just think that kind of humor it works for me it makes me laugh and so doing this i didn't get to say like tons of funny lines that's not my character but i got to like, I got to hear all the other characters, and it it made me laugh. When you get cast in a role like Mira, uh, do you, did you go back and, and I've said some question for Wonder Woman, did you go back and read any of the comics? Any, or is this just a approach clean? It wasn't totally clean because I had a sense of, of Mira from Justice League because she was, I mean, Aquaman and Mira were prominent in the Justice League. So I could recall her and how she was portrayed in the series. Um, so I had a sense of her already, and I also knew she was a queen. Um, but I waited till I went to the session. I read the script, but then it was like going to the session and hearing what Brandon Vietti, who created this, what he wanted me to do. And then I took it from there. Um, I know, I, so I knew about her. I knew about the character. It wasn't like, who's Mira? I knew Mira. But what do you want, how do you want me to portray her? That, that's all Brandon, and he let me know. 
get a chance to check out any of the uh, live action Aquaman stuff? Not yet. I will. I've been so busy. Yeah, here is costume. I know, and I, I saw the costume because I was at that exhibit, but um, it's just been a whirlwind this weekend, so it's... It's it, very cool. I, I heard it's fantastic. The different dolls and action figures for Mira and Aquaman. I saw some of them here. I saw, and I saw also the Justice League figures. Oh yes. Um, really great. So really great. Not to put too much weight on your shoulder, but this this Mira is getting a huge push. Yes. DC is going to launch a YA series. Yeah. With of just her. She right. Just had a mini series. So there you are as one of the major. Examples of Mira, for lack of a better way to phrase it, I've been right. going is, you know, do you feel that as an, you know, to an inspiration to young young women? Not only that, but you're going to be a lot of people's introduction to her because they're going to see, yeah. you know, kids who are just coming into it. They're going to watch the Lego movie. They're going to see you before they see the live action one. All right, guys, I hadn't thought about any of this, okay, so and now I'm really I stressed. All the terror started. <laughs> That's over. It's okay. It's done. It's going to be great. Um, you know, I don't think of it that. I mean, it's. To me, I was more blown away by the fact that there's Jessica Cruz in this in this movie because that's talk about an introduction, and it's really her. You know, along with Aquaman, it's their movie. Um, I, you know, I just pinch myself, honest to God, because I get to still play in this universe. So it's an honor, truthfully. And if if people are being introduced to her for the first time, like I. I'm, that makes me happy, and that makes, and I hope I do her justice. Pardon the pun, um, because you know it, it's exciting, it's thrilling, and there are a lot of people who met Wonder Woman through Justice League, and that always felt, and that felt extraordinary. So if that's the case here, you know that's just a wonderful thing. Did you ask? Did I watch the trailer? No, no, I haven't. No, I haven't been able to do any of it, but I will. I mean, I definitely will. I've always liked Aquaman. Yeah, with Mira. Really? There's a scene where she just jumps out of a plane, and Aquaman's like, "Got a little redhead." He jumps after her. Like, I haven't seen it either. So, so we're fifty-fifty. I really like the fact that they're a couple. Like, you know, I've never been part of a couple um, in anything I've done. I think. So you flirted with Bruce. And loved that, but we were far from a couple, and I don't need us to be a couple, because I don't want them to be married and picking out schools for the kids. I mean, it's like, they don't need to be domesticated, if you will, but, so it was fun to see this relationship, and she kind of runs the show, and, um, and she always did. I mean, Arthur, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I love it. I love it. And I've always been a fan of Aquaman. Some people have issues with him. Okay, I never so had a problem with him. Let me ask this question. Uh, what was your first exposure to Aquaman? Was it Just, Super Friends? Or, or Justice League. Justice League so. Yeah, no, Super Friends, you know, because I'm not a geek in this universe, and so I learned about Super Friends. When I started Justice League, everyone brought up Super Friends to me. <laughs> everyone. So I was like, what is this thing called Super Friends? So I did some research. That's and then, yeah. and, Right, and then I became friends with Shannon Farnan, who was the original... Um, Wonder Woman on that on Super Friends so I, I like knowing the history 
And so I, but Aquaman, I did not know until Justice League. And I can still like see how he was drawn in the Justice League. Like I can still see it so vividly. Oh God. And just those big, huge, you know, and we go at it a couple of times, Wonder Woman and not to get off track, but Wonder Woman and Aquaman go at it a couple of times. But you know, he's a little and he's got that like crazy hair. Have you seen his hair in this? Oh my God. It's just like very Beatlesque. I mean, it's really funny. He's just, it's just funny. It's just funny. Well, thank you so much for yeah, sitting down you. with us. Thank you. I mean, this is a pleasure. And hopefully, you enjoy the rest of your con. It's almost done. I mean, we're going to watch the movie, and then I think we have a short panel, and then we're done. And then we drive back to LA. Uh, Batman. Is that you changing your name for that? I would Troy love Baker for that to be my, my legal name and then name. have to go to court for that. They're like, uh, Troy Baker, Batman. Um, so I heard that, you know, I, I got a bone to pick with you because I heard you oh. were a little mean to Jessica Cruz this movie. Not at all. Oh, you were making fun of that <laughs> bell thing to her the whole rest of the movie. She was making fun of, she called my utility belt pouches. <laughs> well, it does have pouches. They have compartments that are specific to specific things, for sure. What else we got? Well, let's get into it. Sure. Uh, you, you have voiced Batman many times. There are many voices. What do you bring to it in, in your head that's different? Um, I feel that I've got a little bit... I've got an easier time than most people, right? Because most people have had to make sure that they're creating their own version of Batman. For me... I have, I call it a buffet of Batman. I get to choose. <laughs> I, I invariably will pull. There's a, there's a lot of Kevin because that B-Taz to me is just like, he's the best Bruce Wayne and Batman ever, hands down, period. I, 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 I love him. But I also grew up on 66 Batman, so I get to pull a little bit of Adam West in there. It's, if we deny Bale, then we're being idiots. We pull a little bit of Bale. Pull a little bit of Keaton. But never Clooney and, and Kilmer, or Kilmer. So uh, those are pretty much <laughs> oh, <that> my... No, no Affleck. <laughs> Don't Baffleck, me. Do no. you bleed? <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's me, is, is that because the nature of Lego is to present kind of like darker storylines and present them in interesting ways, we get to do the same thing, different iterations of Batman. We get to pull in, and invariably it's going to be different. Invariably it's going to be me because it's coming out of my face. Sure. What about you? Come on. You're like, I don't care. What? I already talked to D. Baker. Well, what did you think of the Lego Batman movie? They had one of those? Just in terms of <laughs> compared to your characters. Yeah. They did one of those? Was there pressure? No. Look, I... Just <laughs> was, there, was there a part of me that, that you know... I mean, well, Maybe I sat in my car and wept for 30 minutes until security had to remove from the Warner Brothers lot. But um, I, Will Arnett's good, you know? And at the end of the day, nobody owns these characters. Nobody can throw a fit because they didn't get to do it. Um, Kevin Conroy's doing Lego Batman and uh, DC Villains. Or, in the game? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of course. What am I going to get upset? Is Kevin's playing Batman? Come on. These characters are bigger than any one actor. If I get a chance, I've got a chance to do these many, many times. I'm here on Sunday because I got to be, you know, co-star with, with Dee Bradley Baker, who I absolutely adore and think is one of the most talented people working in this business. I get to be Batman. Anytime they call me up, 
I get to do it. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. Yeah. So every time's a win. How do you feel about? I've talked to Kevin about uh, about this kind of the the legacy of being. Because you mentioned you know Adam West. So for a generation, Adam when Adam passed away, Batman's gone. You know, Kevin's another another generation, and you're carrying on this. Do you feel? any weight as he, even in the Lego form you know, sure. of, of who Batman is to fans uh, to I, kids I feel I don't feel like that will ever ever happen again I don't think that that mantle will rest on one shoulders for that long ever again um, you look at Bale's tenure was considerably longer but now it's like nope new Batman Joker, my God, they're just throwing it on. So you get to wear for thirty minutes, and it's on to the next guy. I don't think there's a perception that the role can rest with any one person. The co- the custodianship of a character has become so short, uh, which is sad because I think that there's so much more to. I want to become familiar. It's always jarring when a new Batman, when a new when a new actor steps into an iconic role. It's always jarring at first. And then you have to believe and accept him as that. And then he is the standard, or she is the standard. Um, but I don't think they'll ever let another, another Kevin Conroy, nor will there ever be another Kevin Conroy. Uh, but I don't think they'll ever let that happen again. And which is both sad and also, you know, I, somebody gave me a shot to do it. And I, I want other people to get a shot. I, there's, there's other people, there's, I'm sure they're going to continue to do all these things, you know, till the cows come home. And that means that there's other actors that hopefully love this character as much as I do, as much as Kevin did, as much as Adam did, and they can bring something new to the character. That's all I care about. As long as this character gets moved forward down the line, that's all we're supposed to do. But I, I don't think there will ever be another... That's, that's Batman. I don't think there'll ever be that again. Yeah. Can you call me when Derek's about to ask a question? I, I was about to ask a follow-up, but he... <laughs> no, you pick uh, one more question. Sure. Okay. You, you, know, you obviously have an affection for Batman. Is there any other character uh, that you would love to tackle? That you, you know, I mean, I know it's, it's not necessarily up to you, but that you would think, sure. I could bring something special to this. I... Dude, I've played Batman and Joker. It's like... Where do you go from there, you know? Um, in Young Justice, I get to play Geoforce, which is, oh. who? Like, it's such an obscure character. Like, I've heard Prince of him. Prince Bride of Markovia. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but nobody has like, oh my God, I have every Geoforce graphic novel. That's not a, you know what I mean? Exactly, it's, I, I think I did. Well, there's yeah. three of them, you know? It's, it's <laughs> yeah. not that expensive of a collection. Nobody did like, a, you know, a huge, you know, right. Geoforce run. Right. So for me, that kind of fills the, the, the void of what do you do with a character that has never been performed? You know, it's yeah. never, there's, there's no standard. There's no Kevin Conroy to, to balance that off of. Or there's no Christian Bale to kind of like, um, or there's no Mark Hamill to like kind of compare it to. What do you do with something like that? So I have that. I don't, I don't know. Um, I love what Freddy did with Lobo. Like, Lobo, to me, is a super fun character. 
Um, it was more modern. And there's even a joke in the whole thing. It was like, your whole fashion is 1983. I'm like, that's clever. <laughs> that's really, in a matter of fact, is. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't, all right. I don't know if there's any other playing. The fact that I got to play Batman and Joker is enough for me. If someone came up and threw a role at me and said, what would you do with this? Um, if I felt like I could do something with it, then I would. All right. Well, thanks so much for sitting down. Thank you. My pleasure, guys. You guys are awesome. Thanks so much. When that was done, I decided to go to this um, thing that was happening across the street from the con. It was this, like, the app for DC Universe was kind of, like, doing their own exhibit thing at, uh, like, kind of near the Hard Rock Hotel across the street from the con. So, I, you know, I was done for the day, so... Uh, I didn't have any other press things to cover, and the convention was winding down. Like, I love Sundays at the con, because even though it's out of the convention is ending, you're past the point where you have to stress about, like, stuff like, oh, am I going to be able to get into this thing, or we have this thing or this thing? Like, the stressful part is kind of over, and you could just kind of enjoy yourself. So I, <laughs> I was stupid enough that I didn't realize that I waited in line for over an hour, to like get into this thing. And that's, and that's why I didn't go the last few days because it was, I, I saw how long the line was and I was like, eh, it's not worth it. But I was like, you know what? I got the time to kill. But what I regret is apparently there was an entrance in the back for press where you can like skip this hour long line. So, and once I got in there, there was like long lines to do some of the exhibit stuff in there, which I took some videos of and maybe, but it was really cool. Like there was like a big pop out, like a, like of Dan Jurgens' death of Superman art, like the, that the like panels popping out. There was this like, kind of like a jump scare walkthrough of like the court of owls, you know, like, uh, like this kind of like maze. Uh, there was a little like doom patrol lab. It was all stuff that had to do with like various stuff that was going to be on the DC streaming service. There was, like, a Swamp Thing walkthrough. And the lines for some of the stuff was really long. I later found out that, oh, I could have used my press thing to, like, actually skip those lines as well. So I didn't realize that till the very end. Um, but there was, like, stuff on exhibit there. Like, they had the Penguin's birth certificate from Batman Returns. Um, different things from, like, DC movies. Like, it, it was almost like a little museum. And uh, there was, like, a little escape room, like, you know, where, like, this detective is like, all right, we're going to find Dick Grayson. He's missing. And then, like, when you solve the clues, like, the, the, <laughs> the, the like, panel and I, oh, my God, I think I showed you this video. Like, this guy was, like, yeah, <laughs> this guy was really committed to his role, but it was funny. They, and then they showed you the Titans trailer. And then, like, when Dick says, Batman, like, the, the, like, detective shakes his head and he says, lots of strong opinions about Batman. So even like the actors that they hired to like do the to like do the promotional events for this thing like don't like that line, <laughs> and they have to break character to say so. Um, what was cool too was they had like these tablets set up where you can like look at what the DC Universe app is. So I got to like see like the type of comics that they would have on there, and there was a lot more comics than I thought that there would be. It's not as much as Marvel Unlimited, but it is a big amount and there's like these wikipedia entries for like different characters and you know me and don we're like yeah right get on our level but when i read the entries like the one for stephanie brown it covered her time as robin and her time as like batgirl like these were in depth and i was like okay you have my attention that these are good these are good um i did like yeah uh, the only thing i didn't get to do while i was there was like there was a Harley Quinn, like, 
exhibit thing that I didn't get to do. But otherwise, I did everything there. It took me like more than a more than like an uh, between waiting on the line and waiting on the lines. It was like a two or three hour thing, and I could have gotten it done in like a quarter of the time had I like used the press thing, which I discovered at the end. But honestly, it was fun, and I like seeing the app, and I'm excited about this DC Universe thing. One of the guys who I ran into at one of the press tables is one of the, like, content editors for the app. So, like, him and I were talking earlier in the weekend. So that was pretty cool. I don't really have any audio to play there. And you, uh, what panel did you go to that day? I went to a panel with the Winter Twins, Brittany and Brianna. They are sci-fi. They're they're young sci-fi authors um, who had a panel on on writing, kind of getting into writing, kind of just, like, writing suggestions. And... I believe I'd seen them before at Comic Con, but this is the first time. I, this is, I just went okay. So, so I wanted to I wanted to make at least one writing panel because I signed up for a number of writing panels. I didn't really hit up anyone, and I usually do every year. But I, I usually sign up for writing panels every year. I never make any of them, but this one I wanted to. And yeah, these are Brittany and Brianna Winner. They are uh, two sci-fi authors. Well, they're twins. They're two sci-fi authors, and they had some pretty good um, suggestions on, on writing. And, I, and I'm happy that I made that panel. Um, they've been apparently been going to cons, talking about their writing for a while now, and they they are award winning authors. So, I uh, it, that was the only panel that I kind of went to. It was it wasn't had it didn't have anything to do with anything I was doing for any sort of websites or coverage. And um, pretty much after that, I just kind of cruised around. I got into the whole CGC comic book thing. Have you ever been over there? Because I actually looked at that. I was actually over there for like, like 45 minutes. And like, look at it. If you look on my social media, you can see all these different expensive comics, like Sensational Comics number one with Wonder Woman and the first appearance of Wonder Woman and JSA or All-Star number eight. And the first appearance of the first Flash, the first Fantasy of Four, that's signed by Jack Kirby. Um, you see all these very uh, valuable comic books. I was there for a while after that. That was, that was actually pretty cool. This one guy's like, "Are you here to buy?" And I was like, "Lord, no." But um, <laughs> uh, I was asking how how each how how, how many uh, these were worth. But um, but uh, after that, I probably just kind of just hung around and waiting for you until we until we uh, kind of just took like, chill together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after that, we uh, had some food. We went back to the hotel and uh, we Facetimed with Stella. You know, uh, you know, because the trip would not be complete without her, and we traded stories, so it was good for her to kind of bookend. Um, I usually, um, you know, kind of leave Monday night instead of Sunday night, or because uh, I like to have the extra day to wind down, so that way, like, the convention's not over and I'm rushing. But um, uh, th- this year, I did leave um, monday morning instead and like losing that extra day is like is like rough because then it's like oh man like yeah like i like having all of monday to say goodbye but this feels rushed so i woke up earlier and i was i put on facebook the 6 a.m flight felt like a good day at the time but um i was going through uh where ben lived on the way home because um his birthday was on sunday this year and uh, i was like well i didn't see him for his birthday but i'll at least see him like the day after his birthday and he didn't know i was coming so surprised him and we uh you know, watch some of the trailers and stuff together. And, uh, Don, uh, I guess you left, uh, when did you leave? Oh, yeah, yeah. I left, I mean, you left before I did. I left, uh, uh, like Monday at three, as I usually do. Yeah. So, uh, Stella's not here, but we're going to play the game that Stella always likes to play with Comic Con, which is highs and lows. So, um, uh, 
So highs and lows, and we're going to make this one related to the con, because obviously both of our lows would be, like, Stellan not being there, you know, even though uh, even though we got to Bachelor Speak for yourself, up. that's a high for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even though we got to Bachelor it up and stuff. But uh, th- th- that would definitely be my, my low, but I, I'm going to stick to, like, con-related lows. Uh, in, in, so. so what were your highs and lows? And I, I have a pretty good idea of what they are, but... My high is I have it throughout. Um, it's a combination of the bre- DC Breakfast Yacht uh, meeting, the um, episode I recorded. This is basically the time I spent with Harry is really fun, and the BTS press, press event. Primarily meeting Paul Dini and getting selfies with them. I mean, that I honestly like. It kind of sounds small and even sort of fanboys, but that that really did mean a lot to me, especially at that time in the, in the panel. And my low is by far just the Steven Universe shutout because, um, A, I, there was nothing I did wrong and I felt worse than the, than the situation warranted. And two, even though it wasn't by there was no reason why it should have happened. So, like, yeah, easy, that's the worst. Um, my high is a combination of, of, of two things. One was being able to pull off, like, the DC TV, like basically Saturday morning, because that was every year that is always really stressful for me because the publicist, it's hard to get some of them to get back to you. And every year it gets booked later and later. Like, like I was getting confirmations, like while I was on the airplane, as opposed to like before where like you would get confirmed for some of the press rooms, like the week before or whatever. Like I like landed and it's like, you are now confirmed for Supergirl and Arrow and Riverdale. It's like, Oh, like, and then, like, one by one, I was getting, like, once I was like, I guess I'm not getting into this one, but then I would get it. But because of them overlapping, it was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do them all. And, like, <laughs> by gosh, even though I wasn't in all of them 100% of the time, I made it through. And, uh, and, and it is worth it because it gave me a lot of coverage for these websites that I'm doing, like, uh, my other, you know, non-TBU work for now. So that, that was definitely great. Mm-hmm. Um, and and my other high would be basically meeting other people like you know uh, Tatiana, um, the guy who's the editor at the DC streaming service. I'm not I don't know if he wants me to say his name, and um, uh, you know talking to the down and nerdy podcast guy because him and I have been trading emails since the convention. Like basically about like hey here here's my source for this thing. You know do you know who's do you know who would be helpful for getting in touch with this person? And we've kind of gone like back and forth and. It's been really helpful because it's kind of like you and that Steven Universe person where it's, you know, I'm like, hey, I think this publicist is ghosting me. They're like, oh, no, no, no. This publicist does that to everyone. Don't worry about it. So seeing, okay, we all have the same experience. This is good. You know, we're not doing anything wrong here. Here's how we're going to try this. So I've enjoyed that. My low would be um, I tried a few times throughout the weekend, including stalking him outside of the uh, I really would have liked Donovan and I to get a Tom King interview for TBU. Um, unfortunately that wasn't in the cards. He was very busy this convention, but you know, we'll get him. We'll get him next time. Almost got him. Yeah, exactly. I wish we got more DC stuff because we tried, but like, um, next year. Yeah, exactly. So any spoilers for San Diego Comic-Con 2019? No BS. (laughs) (laughs) Wedding after wedding after wedding. And did somebody say long lost twins? I mean, I mean, I'm hoping Stella will be there. I, I, I think she will. Yeah. 
You hear that, Stella? Because <laughs> I'm sure she's she, she'll listen to these podcasts. She listens to our convention look back podcast. So, so until next time, this is Josh, and this is Donovan, and you've been listening to the Batman Universe specials covering San Diego Comic Con 2018. Almost, almost, ah! <laughs> you had to. You just had to. <laughs> I held it in for so long.